from 1973 by The Sweet. Welcome to Poker Alert Radio. What is sweet for me is that I have returned to doing this show after missing a week from being sick. This is what I get for bragging about the fact that 2017 was a year where I missed only one show due to illness. And I said, in fact, 2017 would be the first time ever that we had 46 different weeks of radio, only missing six four of which were from vacation, one was from being busy at the World Series, and one was from being sick. So I bragged about how only one time did I miss him from being sick this year, and of course, what happens? I get sick. (laughs) And strangely enough, I was sick with something else before that, which actually came on uh, two weeks ago at the end of the show, if you remember, and I actually got better pretty quickly so I could do the next week, which was last week. And then this past Sunday... Or sorry, not this past, the, the two Sundays ago, 10 days ago, I woke up with a very bad sore throat. And I could just tell. I could just tell that I was not going to be able to do radio that entire week. I could just tell it was going to be one of those sore throats. I don't get these very often, but I could tell it was one of these that was going to stick with me for several days. And it did. But fortunately, it lasted uh, a little less than a week. 
So it's been better for a while. I am back, and this is, of course, the final show of the year 2017. I was really hoping to do last week, not just to set the record for our show being on 46 out of the 52 weeks, but also because I was very proud of the fact that we were bringing you shows all throughout the holiday season. We brought you one during the Thanksgiving week. We brought you one every week of December, which we usually don't. But but this year we were going to, and then illness got in the way. Well, here is something that is not in the way. It's the free roll. The free roll, I actually delayed because this show's starting late tonight. I actually delayed it. It's at 9 p.m. So if you registered, I don't know, 8.30 or before, you probably want to go back in and re-register because I kicked you out. But the free roll is beginning right now at 9 o'clock, and it's a special free roll with some extra money and some special bounties on it. So I want to explain that. You can still get in for 25 minutes with a full stack till 9.25 with late registration. But here's how the free roll is tonight. We got a generous donation at the last minute of $83 from a married couple that listens to this show. And I kind of met them during the World Series. They were standing outside the Amazon room, and I was almost late back from a break, so I was sprinting into the room. I made it back on time, but... I didn't have time to stop and chat. <laughs> they said hi to me as I zoomed by. So that was my extent of meeting them. But uh, this is Ballhawknet and KitKat, both of whom frequently play in the free roll. They're from the Chicago area, and they donated $83 to this particular free roll. So this free roll is actually pretty large. It's $95 plus $50 worth of bounties. So this is how it goes. First place will be $45, second place 25, third 16, fourth 9, and then there will be two bounties, one on KitKat and one on BallhawkNet for $25 each. So if you knock either of them out, you get second place money. If you knock both of them out, you get better than first place money. But of course you could also get money on top of that by winning first, second, third or fourth place. In addition to the $83 given by BallhawkNet and KitKat, we got 25 from Bellybuster. Five from Willie McFML, 10 from Flipper Fair, and 22 from SMI Florida. Thank you guys for all the donations. This takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. It does not require any play chips or any money to play. It's completely free in every way you could think of. However, to qualify for the free money we give away, which I can send to you by... Bitcoin, yes, Bitcoin. I could send it to you by bank transfer. I could send it certain other ways that you might be able to think of electronically. And if you accumulate enough money in winnings, I can send you either cash or check, but only after you've accumulated a lot because it's too much of a hassle otherwise. But this is real money that you're, you're going to get. It's not crappy poker site money that you may not want or be able to cash out. I think it's the only free roll of its kind of poker radio shows or podcasts. I don't know of any other show that actually you can play for real money every single week for free and you get sent real money that you can directly put into your pocket. We don't give a very large amount every week, but it adds up. You know, most weeks are between uh, 50 and $100 and often it's more than 100 like this week. And almost all the money comes from our listeners, not even for me. So I give the listeners credit for their generosity. And this began at 9 o'clock, but there is 25 minutes of late registration. If you want to call the show, 
Our phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That's our main phone number. You can also text that number at any time, 775-372-8355. I may read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. But text me any time on that number, before, during, or after the show, and I will probably respond to you. And don't worry about the time. Don't be afraid of waking me up. Just just text when you want to text me. 775-372-8355 is that number, same as our main phone number. We also have the Mount Charleston line. I'm going to go and check on the phone. It's an old 70s rotary phone located on Mount Charleston, which is a mountain lo- located near Las Vegas. And it gets snow in the winter. I'm going to go check on how it's doing. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. I may post some pictures of me checking on that phone uh, very soon as I'm going to be going up there and making sure everything's okay. 702-430-1808, it forwards to wherever I go. It's an old 70s rotary telephone, but since it's an old rotary telephone, you can't text it. Whichever number you call, make sure to unblock your caller ID. Make sure I can see your caller ID or the call will not get through. If you call the show and I don't answer, don't worry about it. All that means is that we're busy right now. We're doing a segment where we don't want to take calls. All you have to do is try back in about 15 minutes and there's a good chance I will answer. But don't just hammer me with calls over and over and over again in a row or I may have to block you. We have the, the call to listen line. The call to listen line is a very special thing, very dear to my heart. It's been here for two years now. It's a number that you can call to listen to the show. It does not require a smartphone. It does not require the internet. It does not require a data plan. It doesn't require an app. All you need is a phone anywhere in the world that can dial. That's all you need. And just call 712-775-8162 and you can listen to the show. 712-775-8162. Again, this is not a number to call and talk to me. But it's a call to listen line where you can listen to the show. 712-775-8162. It will never be busy. There will never be buffering. You know when you try to listen to a streaming show and there's buffering? And I'm sure you hate it. And it's frustrating. That doesn't happen. The call to listen line does not know the meaning of buffering. It just works. It just, it just plays. When we are not live on the air, the call to listen line plays one of are more than 260 shows that we've done in the five-and-a-half-year history of this program. Just picks one at random, runs it in full, and then when that's over, picks another one at random and keeps doing that over and over until I come back on the air live. It faithfully did this for the two weeks since our last show. And you can also listen to these streaming reruns by simply clicking on the radio page for PokerFraudAlert.com or by going to the TuneIn app. And speaking of that, we have all of our shows in the archives, so if you miss any show live, you can go back and listen there. In fact, that's the way most people listen. It's available on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, which also can be used to listen to the live show, on Google Play, and if you want, just go directly to the radio forum on Poker Fraud Alert, and you can directly play or download the MP3 file of the show. So many ways to listen. If there's a way you want to listen that we don't offer, Please let me know. You can email me anytime at dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. It's all lowercase. Dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. 
That's also the way you would claim your free roll money, or you can PM me on the forum. That's Dan Space Druff on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. If you want to get into the free roll, you have about 18 minutes left. So here's the agenda for this evening. By the way, you can go in the chat room if you're listening live. You need a flash-enabled device, and you can listen live to the show. Not listen live. If you're listening live to the show, you can chat live with other people there. If you're not listening live, don't bother going in because no one's going to be there. This show does have a sponsor. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, who handles arbitration and mediation, especially for uh, poker players or gamblers that are having some kind of dispute. I will be playing his commercial, as I do every week, a little bit later in the show. But he's a great guy. He's been sponsoring the show for a while. He listens to the show. This is not a sponsor who just you know throws up a sponsorship because he thinks it's going to make him money. This is someone who truly enjoys this show and wanted to sponsor it because uh, he wants to support it. And I think that's great. And while I'll, I'll take sponsorship money from somebody who doesn't listen to the show, that's not a requirement, uh, it's, it's extra special to me when somebody sponsors uh, largely in part because they enjoy what we're doing here. By the way, speaking of we, I'm afraid that uh, unless he wakes up, we're not going to have Cal Watt. And this is my fault. He was available, and I just started very late tonight, and he's on the East Coast. And he was tired, and I think he fell asleep. So I, I don't think we're going to have him. But you, you never know. Sometimes he wakes up, his dog wakes him up, or one of his you know, ten dogs he has wakes him up. So it can easily happen. We can't rule it out. Brandon, who I spoke to today on the phone, told me that he will try to call in at some point during the show. And truthfully, once Brandon calls in, he tends to stay. Unless he's calling in while he's doing something, but usually if he's just kind of sitting around and calls in, he's just like here the rest of the time. So you never know when Brandon's going to come. Sometimes it's towards the very end, sometimes in the middle. But uh, when we pick up Brandon, he tends to stay around. So maybe we'll get him. Uh, see if we can pick up Trader Ruski, so at least I have a co-host here. Otherwise, I'm going to be doing the solo, which I can do and have done many times. Uh, but if not... Co-host or no co-host, I will go forward. Here's the agenda this week, and then we will get going. A Poker Fraud Alert exclusive, at least for radio. It's, it's starting to get covered in some print, but not very much yet. Betcoin, which was the very first Bitcoin poker site, to my knowledge, is closing. But it's much worse than that. Betcoin on their way out, has decided they're going to thank their loyal players by stealing $700,000. Why not? You're closing your poker operations. Why not steal from everyone? So we'll tell you what's going on with that. By the way, welcome, Trader Ruski. Happy to have you here. What's happening, Jeff? So Caesars has pulled a bait and switch. And this is one of the rare cases. I try to present this show usually in the manner that I think everybody wants to hear it. I'll put the topics up front, which I think will be of most interest to the people listening. And I even something I personally care about, I'll usually put towards the back if I don't think it's going to attract most of the audience. But this this is an exception because I'm so pissed off about it. I, I just had to put it near the front because I'm so angry. Caesars has seriously degraded their well-known diamond and seven stars levels of their total rewards program for the year 2018. 
They announced it at the very end of the year, and they announced one of the biggest degradations in a very sneaky manner. So most people don't know. Most people don't know. They got an announcement, but they didn't understand what they were reading. I can guarantee you that. So we're going to talk about these major downgrades for total rewards in 2018, and I'll tell you whether you should even bother becoming a Diamond or 7-star in the future. Rob Gorodetsky. I had not heard of him before, but I read a very funny USA Today article. I don't know if it was intended to be funny, but it was. It's, it's basically a story of a millennial degenerate douchebag who fancies himself a pro sports better and poker player. So he likes to say he's a pro sports better and pro poker player. I don't believe he really wins it either, especially the sports part. So I'm going to tell you about this article. If you want to read up on it before you get to this segment, if you just go to, uh, you can just Google USA Today, Rob Gorodetsky. That's G-O-R-O-D-E-T-S-K-Y. G-O-R-O-D-E-T-S-K-Y. And uh, it's a fairly long article. You can even see a picture of him. <laughs> You'll see what I mean by the guy being a millennial douche. Uh, so we're going to talk about him. It's actually a pretty interesting story, and I think it can bring up an interesting discussion about people like that and... Is it really possible someone like him could be a big winner in sports? I have another story about a young man. Uh, A young Maryland man has pled guilty to running a DDoS business, a DDoS and phone harassment business, where basically you would pay him to do denial of service attacks on sites, including online gambling sites, and to harass and threaten people over the phone. He actually had this business, and he has pled guilty to doing this. So we're going to talk about his business and whether or not he was the one who was behind those winning poker network attacks, America's Card Room. Uh, They've gotten a lot of those type of attacks. Uh, Was it possibly him? I was involved in a fairly big Twitter controversy I was not the main person involved. I was a side character, and I kind of bowed out of it. But nevertheless, I was involved. It was me and Alan Kessler versus the world. <laughs> That's Those aren't very good odds. But uh, we were involved in a big Twitter controversy involving the Run Good Poker series. And Alan Kessler ended up getting just clobbered on Twitter over this. Not so much me. They they pretty much left me alone. But I'll tell you what happened, what the controversy was about, and you can decide, as the listener, who was right. It's not as clear-cut as it would seem. Usually when like a whole bunch of people are on one side and almost no one's on the other side, it's pretty clear who's right. Not this time. This time, I really think people were not totally understanding the issue. And you know how it is on the internet. People just gang up and they, they want to support the popular side. And they don't even want to think about the other side. They want, they want to find reasons to be on the side that's popular, especially when the person on the other side is Kessler. Remember last, no, I shouldn't say last week, two weeks ago, we did a segment on Charlie Carroll's girlfriend, the one with the multiple personalities, or the ones who claimed to have multiple personalities. We have an update on that. And I will play you a video she made about what she's currently up to. There's a fairly big change to the whole situation. Speaking of change, Anna Kate, remember her? She's been on this show twice, once about being a victim of a a tournament series scammer, 
and once about uh, being on Survivor, which he was, the TV show Survivor. Uh, Anna Kate has since become a staunch conservative, a political conservative, and she had her own YouTube channel where she did what she called the Anna Kate Show, which covered mostly conservative politics. She has lost her YouTube channel, so we're going to look into why, and I will give you my opinion as to uh, whether she was targeted by YouTube. Kate Hall, we have uh, another story about her. She apparently told a partial story back in October, which I missed, about a partner at a law firm who had sexually harassed her, but she decided in December, you know, about close to two weeks ago, she decided to out the lawyer she was talking about and include more of the story, including a rape accusation against her own boyfriend. So Kate Hall claimed she was both sexually harassed and raped, you know, by two different men. And she did this with a hashtag MeToo, which women have been using to tell their stories about various forms of uh, sexual harassment or rape uh, victimization against them. Now, usually when these stories are told, even if the person telling it is someone who's kind of unlikable, usually I tend to believe them. It's very unlikely that someone would make this up. It can happen, but the truth is when these women post these stories, they tend to be true or very close to true. Well, as far as Kate Hall is concerned... It's not so much that I think she's lying, but uh, after reading her own words, even if you take her story as she told it, I'm kind of wondering if she was even really a victim. So you can judge for yourself when we get to that segment, the the Kate Hall rape and sexual harassment segment. And it's not – don't panic. Don't go, oh, well, he's he's saying it's the woman's fault she gets raped. No, it's not like that. Uh, Just a a spoiler here. The alleged rape – was by her long-term boyfriend. That's the first problem here. But when you hear the story, which I'm going to read to you verbatim from her Twitter, you'll see what I'm talking about, how when the whole thing's over, (laughs) you may think the same thing I do, that she may not really have been a victim of anything. So that is pretty much what I think of anything she posts. A new era of hotels might be starting. It's one we've talked about over the last three months on this show, ever since the Vegas shooting. I had feared that Do Not Disturb signs might become a thing of the past. Well, they already have at several Disney resorts. So we'll talk about what's happening at the Disney resorts and whether that is the future and whether that is a good or bad thing for the average traveler. Party Poker is having a rather aggressive guarantee to one of their tournaments, what they call their Millions Tournament, is going to have a very, very large guarantee. In fact, uh, definitely the largest one I've ever seen, or at least ever seen since Black Friday. I really think since ever I've ever seen. I, I don't think I've ever seen a guarantee this high. I'll tell you how high it is and whether I think they are going to meet it. The SLS Hotel, the former Sahara in Las Vegas, is on the verge of bankruptcy, and some investors are angry. We'll talk a bit about what's going on there. The Las Vegas Monorail. They want $100 million to expand their route in a pointless direction that most people are not going to want. 
I kid you not. So I'll tell you about this ridiculous uh, request on their part and the ridiculous plans and why I think they are really, really headed for failure. Finally, an editorial. A lot to cover tonight. Usually happens when we miss a week. An editorial provided I'm not just too worn out by the time we get to the editorial. If you have no Bitcoin exit strategy, that is, if you do not have a plan as to when you're going to sell most of your Bitcoin, you will lose money. You will lose a lot of money on it. Or at the very least, if you've made a ton of money, you're going to lose all of that. You are not going to be rich from Bitcoin unless you have an exit strategy. I will explain why. And this, is, this has nothing to do with predicting its value. This is actually a fact. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why it's a fact. I'm going to tell you that no matter what happens with Bitcoin, whether it goes to the bottom tomorrow or whether we have several more years of appreciation of it, or even if it just keeps going up over time, uh, eventually you're going to lose all or most of your money on it if you do not have an exit strategy. So I'm going to explain what I mean by that and why I think most people in poker are going to be victimized by this. This is going to be their downfall. This is going to be their undoing. That's my editorial when we get to it. So that is our topic list for the evening. Troy Daruski, thank you for joining us. And we are going to get going. Five minutes left to get into the free roll before you are shut out and you don't get a chance to get $25 for knocking out KitKat and BallHawkNet. So get after that. But I, I want to mention one other thing before we start. I was just looking at the scoreboard for the NBA right now. Lakers and Grizzlies are tied. I have the Lakers minus three and a half, meaning I need them to win by four for me to win the bet. But uh, that's not what I was trying to say. If, if you want to watch that and <laughs> see if I'm going to be in a good or bad mood, then you can. But um, I've actually put together a, a pretty impressive NBA record, which, which continues to be impressive right now. And I, I don't like to brag about these things. I never like bragging about success in gambling. I just think it's something that is of, of bad taste. And as, also because it's easy to brag when you're doing well. And then when you're doing poorly, are you going to come out there and tell everyone, yeah, I'm getting my ass kicked. I'm losing my shirt. You know, I'm, I'm just getting stomped on. Uh, it's, it's hard to come out there and say that. So I like to just say nothing either way. Usually I'd like to, if, if I'm doing well, say nothing. If I'm doing poorly, say nothing. In fact, I've, I've received compliments before that I can come on this show. And even if I've really been struggling at the tables, that you can't tell by my demeanor on here, just as you cannot tell if I've been doing very well. Um, but with sports betting, I was just a casual sports better, and, and I was a sports betting fish. I really was. And I, I like most people who bet sports, I would just pick games that I thought would win, or you know, pick totals, pick games, whatever it was. I, I pick a side I thought would win and bet on it without any kind of real method or science behind it. And even when I had some kind of method, it was kind of, it wasn't very reliable. And finally, I, I just kind of got sick of it. I go, I'm throwing away money this way. I, I, it's easy to feel like you know better than the books when they're setting their lines, but you really don't. You, I mean, it's, you can't just do it by feel or you're going to lose. And, and we'll talk about this in a second. I shouldn't say a second. When we get to the Mike, uh, the, the, the Gordetsky segment, uh, I'm forgetting his name. I don't think it's Mike. Uh, but when we get to the Rob, se- Rob there, thank you. When we get to the Rob Gordesky segment, we're going to talk more about that. But I came up this year with a new strategy, a completely new strategy. I threw everything out the window as far as my betting strategy for the NBA and approached it in a way 
that I felt actually had a decent chance to win. And I mean, I really did feel that. I really felt like the way I was approaching it was uh, something that would hold up to scrutiny of why it's positive expectation. I'm, I'm not going to reveal it out here, but but that's uh, I, I came up with. And it's not some magic system, but it's there's there's certain methods I'm using here that I felt had a good chance to actually be winning. But of course, I wanted to try it out. So so far tonight, I'm two and one. I'll either be two and two if the Lakers can't cover or. Uh, Three and one if they do cover, but yeah, that's just one night. It doesn't that doesn't say a lot. But coming into tonight, my record is eighty nine and fifty six. Now you probably say, okay, that's that's pretty good, eighty nine win, fifty six losses. But I actually ran this through a probability calculator, which is pretty easy to do because when you bet on sides of of a game, you're basically it's basically fifty fifty either way if you don't know anything. It's like flipping a coin, basically. So the only way it's not like flipping a coin is if you have an idea what you're doing. So you can calculate the odds of whether you could have achieved this record through blind luck by just doing the same thing with coin flips. And I figured out that, and this was actually, I think, a day before when my record was a little bit worse because I went, uh, I think, two and one since then. or I forgot what I went since then. Anyway, I, I calculated my record, and I was actually... My record was so good at that point that it was actually about a 99.5% chance that my record was a result of actually skillfully picking, to some degree at least. That there, It was a 1 in 200 chance, basically, that I could have lucked into a record like this. So that's not impossible, but a 1 in 200, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty small. So I, I'm actually feeling fairly confident that what I'm doing really does work. I have never had any kind of terrible slump. You know, I've had like a f- one or two times where I've, I think like twice where I've lost four in a row, and that's about as bad as it's been. And just about every day I make uh, two or more picks, I, I win at least one. And I've had very few just like awful, terrible days. But when I've lost, it tends to be like I'll go one and two or two and three or, you know, oh and one. I, I haven't been putting up like 0-5s and 0-3s. Like that's not happening to me. So, um, so if, if you want to follow these, and, and again, this is at your own risk, of course. You're an adult. You can decide if you want to bet on these. But if you go to the Flying Stupidity Wagering Forum, or you can go to the Vegas Casino Talk uh, Las Vegas Forum, you can see the Dan Druff's, uh NBA picks and on Poker Fraudler, I think I said it wrong. Poker Fraudler's Flying Stupidity Forum. There's a Flying Stupidity Wagering thread. You'll see my picks there along with other picks from other users on the site. But I, I post them up there. Sometimes right before the game. Sometimes there's not a lot of time for you to get to it. But uh, sometime, But usually I post it. Uh, you know, sometime in the early to mid afternoon. Just keep refreshing the thread. And so it's plain as day. I'm, I'm not falsifying records or playing with numbers. I mean, the exact threads, I'm, the exact spread I'm posting is available at the time I post it, so I'm not playing games with the spread either. I've really achieved that record. So, uh, you know, running the numbers, 99.5% chance that this is not just luck. Of course, I, I could go in a slump now start, <laughs> starting from when I announced this on this show, but go, go read. I mean, it, this is stuff you can get for free. I'm not selling these. So go ahead and, and and bet them if you want. And if I continue the same way I have been through about 150 picks, then 
Yeah, you'll make some money for sure. If I continue that way, that is. But yeah, it's starting to be enough to where there's some statistical significance to it. It's it's not certain that I will continue this way, but it's it's a lot more than like if I made twenty picks and started off you know, uh, fourteen and six. That doesn't mean that much. So I just wanted to mention that in case you are interested in getting those. But but if I start losing and you you lose your ass here, don't blame me. I'm not I'm not promising you anything. You can't promise anything in the NBA. No, no pick is ever a lock. So, okay, let, let's get started here. I want to talk about Bitcoin and what's going on. And it, unfortunately, it's not getting that much press. There's not much discussion of this because it is a relatively small poker site. Shall I say it was, it closed, but... It's something that was not used by that many people. So it would not get the attention like a scandal involving uh, America's Card Room or Bovada. I mean, those those would get a much better coverage. Something like Poker Stars or Party Poker, that would get huge coverage, even though they're not available in the U.S. But th- this is a Bitcoin poker site, and they also had a casino. I remember seeing it when Brian Mikon first introduced me to Bitcoin, back when he and I were friends. And he was showing me how he was playing poker on there. At the time, their URL was betco.in. And I said, what, is this Indian? Because .in is the India suffix. But the it, it, it was just a little play on the word, you know, Bitcoin, betco.in. But eventually it became betcoin.ag. So it's been around for quite some time, I think, you know, six to seven years. They've had a number of kind of moderate scandals over the years. They've, they have not been trustworthy at all. This is not a surprise that uh, they have done something very shady. Uh, something they did, in fact, over the summer was uh, they owed uh, a lot of money to an affiliate and just stiffed him completely. I believe they stiffed someone else of a... Of, of a jackpot they won. There, there's just a there's a number of stories which I'll admit I didn't follow all those cl- all that closely, but I saw a number of them being posted about over time. So this was already a shady site. They already had a bad history. Uh, some of the pros who were promoting the site were starting to come under fire, and these were not big name pros. These were guys you've probably never heard of, but uh, the, some of these site pros were coming under fire for continuing to promote them in the face of everything Bitcoin was doing. Now, Bitcoin, they had their own cash games. They were not part of a network for cash games, but they were part of the winning poker network for tournaments only. And we described this on our last show two weeks ago when we told the story about how Bitcoin had an embarrassing situation where they let people enter tournaments on the winning poker network who were broke. So basically, if you had no money in your Bitcoin account, or no Bitcoin in your Bitcoin account, uh, you could still enter these tournaments anyway. You could register for these tournaments and then uh, play them for free. (laughs) And and these were not tournaments that were free rolls. These were just regular tournaments that you'd have to pay to enter, and a bunch of people entered them, especially once the word got around about this bug, that even if you had nothing in your Bitcoin account, you could just register. And, of course, then people started multi-accounting because they, people started creating mass accounts on Bitcoin. 
with with no money in them and and just started you know registering over and over and they played rebuys you can imagine how this got abused now the way this works is that bitcoin for every time someone registers on one of these winning poker network tournaments bitcoin collects the money from them or in this case the bitcoin from them and then is supposed to forward part of that over to the winning poker network. Basically, they have to forward the winning poker network the entire buy-in that goes towards the prize pool plus half of whatever the fee is. So let's say the tournament is $100, $100 plus uh, 20 uh, They would have to send 110 So they have to send 100 for the portion going to the prize pool and half of the 20 that's the fee that the house keeps. So it was, it's like a 50-50 split on the house fee, and they'd have to send the network the entire portion that goes into the pool. So they're expected to do that. And they're not expected to do that right away. They're expected to do that when the reconciliation process happens. So if a bunch of players register who don't actually have any money and they play the tournament, then the winning poker network actually honors the prize pool of whatever it is. And then it's up to Bitcoin to either find a way to collect this money from those who were broke, which is pretty much impossible, or to just eat it themselves when a mistake like this occurs. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago. And I predicted, as others have predicted, that Bitcoin is too shady to make good on this and that they were probably going to be kicked off of the Winning Poker Network's tournaments as a result, that they were going to basically tell the Winning Poker Network to go jump in the lake and to, you know, they're not giving them anything, and of course the winning was going to kick them off. So that's what happened. That, that, they didn't say that, but that's what happened. So then Bitcoin had to decide, okay, well, we have no tournaments anymore. And they didn't have enough traffic to run their own tournaments. So they basically said, well, we've got a fairly dead cash game site and nothing else now. It's not really worth continuing. So they decided that it's time to shut down. Now, we we talked about this two weeks ago, that that was the likely result. And this would not be a big story if they decided just to do that. It would be worth mentioning, but it would not be the lead story. The reason we have this as the lead story is that there was also a bad beat jackpot, which had been accumulating over time. For those of you that don't know, a bad beat jackpot is something that is funded by the players, where they take extra rake out of each uh, pot, and it goes toward a jackpot that is paid when a very big hand beats another very big hand, like quads over quads. And usually the one who, the one who loses that very big hand gets... Uh, the la- the largest share of the jackpot, usually like 40%. And then the one who wins the hand gets the second largest share, usually something like 20%. And then the remainder gets split among everybody at the table. So that's how a bad B jackpot works. They had been collecting the money for that. The law in Nevada and pretty much everywhere is that if you're running a card room with a bad beat jackpot that is player-funded, which they almost always are, and then you decide to close down your card room, you can't just say, well, we're keeping the jackpot because it hasn't hit. You have to pay out that jackpot in some way. It doesn't have to be a bad beat jackpot, but in some way it has to be returned to the players in a fair manner. You have to have some kind of contest that anyone could enter to win. It, It has to be paid in some way, every bit of the jackpot money, before you can close. But those are the requirements in places like Nevada or Atlantic City. But what about online? 
Well, online there are no real requirements. You know, Bitcoin can basically do what it wants. So they had a rather large bad beat jackpot. That jackpot was one million dollars. No, not quite there, but close. Seven hundred thousand dollars, approximately. It was it was forty three Bitcoin, which you know every day that changes what that's worth. But uh, at the time, it was worth almost seven hundred thousand dollars. It's it's worth a little bit less now. Let's see the Bitcoin value right now. It's been jumping up and down. Yes, right now it's. 14,300 Bitcoin. So 43 Bitcoin would be about 615,000. But you know, somewhere between 600 and $700,000. You know, 43 Bitcoin is what that jackpot was. And Bitcoin was not answering questions about what they were going to do with that money. In fact, they were deleting questions when anyone would ask what's happening to it if it was on either their own forum or any forum that they moderated. Well, lo and behold, it was finally announced that they are not going to be honoring that bad beat jackpot. It's just going to be kept. Why? Because the site has supposedly been sold. They're closing down their poker, and uh, the new owners will not be responsible for this. Translation, they're stealing it. We don't believe it's actually been sold to anyone. There is no proof it's been sold. It's unlikely it was sold. The selling of the site is the excuse as to why they don't have to pay. So this is horrible. This is outright theft. And here's, here's what they... Let me read their actual statement. This is very, very obnoxious. Here we go. This was from. Uh, this was actually yesterday. They have, they confirmed it. Yesterday, December twenty sixth. We are very excited to be taking over what will be a new and improved Bitcoin. Additionally, we apologize for the delayed response, but we've been very busy keeping up with the new changes. We would like to respond to the people who have inquired about the poker bonus chips and the bad beat jackpot. Both of these were promotions, which, according to the site's terms and conditions. Uh, could be changed or canceled at any time. <laughs> Come on. This is player-funded. This is not a promotion. The players from every pot, you, you, you guys took rake out from the players, extra rake that was just for this jackpot, and put it in there, and now you're calling it a promotion. This is player money. Terms and conditions. I, I, I hate when companies steal or cheat people. And then they claim it's terms and conditions. And the sad thing is you have idiots who believe it. You have idiots who defend them and go, well, it's in the terms and conditions. You, you should have read it. You should have read it, man. You should read the terms. Now, the terms and conditions never supersede the law. And this, what they did there is illegal everywhere. Everywhere. So we're not right. With the discontinuation of our poker program, we are unable to continue these promotions. Thanks again to all our great players and supporters. We look forward to entering this new chapter with you. <laughs> new chapter. So, yeah, that's totally unacceptable. That's theft. That's theft. And, and there was no sale. There was no sale. This was an excuse. They were kicked off for their tournament gaff. They decided that they did not want to make it right with the winning poker network. It was just not worth it to them. They just told the winning poker network to, sho- to shove it and let them eat the cost of that. 
And even though laws basically everywhere require the payout of player-funded jackpots upon the room's closure, they don't want to pay it out. I mean, basically, they're like, look, we're not offering poker anymore. Most of these people are probably not going to play in our casino anyway. We're not going to pay out something worth between six and $700,000. That's, that's a lot to us. This is not poker stars. This is not a huge site. This is a small site. You know, six to $700,000 is a lot of money to them. So they just don't want to pay it. They, they'd rather keep it for themselves. That, that's the way it is. So they'd rather just steal it. They know they will lose customers, but these customers probably were not going to continue anyway since they are doing away with poker. So they basically had a decision to make. When the tournaments were gone, they said, okay, well, we could continue running this, generating a very small profit for us because there's barely any players. Or we can just decide it's time to close it down and just keep the bad beat jackpot, which is worth a lot. Yeah, we'll do that. (laughs) So they, they did that. So do not, do not, do not, do not ever, 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 ever play on Bitcoin. Do not. Now, you can't play poker there anymore, but do not ever gamble on there. They're thieves. They have stolen before in other ways, but this is the worst one. And they are censoring their own forum, if this gets mentioned. They are censoring any other site that they have moderation privileges on. You might wonder, who owns Bitcoin? Where does it run from? Well, we don't know. They've been very secretive as to who runs it. But we do have some clues, at least of some people in management there. And these people are eventually going to hopefully have to answer for what they've done. Now, I decided to screw around with them because I, I like doing things like this. I love screwing with scammers. You know, like when I like to prank all those Indian scammers? Uh which, unfortunately, it's usually too late at night to do that on the show, but whenever I find scammers I can harass, it's great, because you can have the fun of harassing someone with zero guilt. You can have the fun of pissing someone off, getting someone really angry, and knowing that when you're doing it, the person fully deserves it. So I decided to do this to Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin, on their own forum, on on Bitcoin.ag, they thought they were clever, by preventing people from ever registering any account with Bitcoin in the name. So you can't register an account named Bitcoin or Bitcoin customer service or whatever. Uh, They also won't even let you do Bitcoin with a zero instead of an O. They realize people will try to pull that, and they said, no, we're we're too smart. You're not going to pull that on us. But they forgot one variation of this. There's one variation they didn't think of. The, The O for the zero is pretty easy to think of. This is one of my favorite tricks, though, when you run into a site that does things like this. The lowercase l and a capital I look very much alike, don't they? So what if you were to register under the name BETCOLN, B-E-T-C-O-L-N, except do it in all caps, except for the L. So it's capital B-E-T-C-O, lowercase l, capital N. Well, that looks just like BETCOIN to the I. It's actually Bitcoin, but they can't see that. It looks like Bitcoin. So I made an account named Bitcoin. And I posted the following, pretending to be them on their own forum. Hello, everyone. We realize there's some concern that Bitcoin has stolen the bad beat jackpot. While it is true that the previous Bitcoin owners did indeed make off with 43 Bitcoin, 
worth almost $700,000. We are the new owners, so we cannot be blamed for this. We ask that you trust us because we are totally new owners and not in any way connected to the old owners. We would love to present proof that we're the actual new owners and simply not the previous owners using this as an excuse to steal from you, but we cannot do that. As, as we're running an illegal site in the first place, we cannot identify ourselves. Please understand this and simply trust us as we wouldn't steal from you like the previous owners just did. Thank you for your support. So as you can see for the tone of this, I try to make it look like it's really coming from them, but yet I, I throw things in there to make them look terrible. So I try to make it look like a real statement, but, but also like absurd and, and making them look like scammy assholes, which is what they are. So, of course, they, they quickly deleted that and the account. So then I made one called betcoin.ag. Same thing with the lowercase l to be the i. And I use their same avatar and everything, so it really looks like it's coming from them. So someone said, not a surprise at all. Don't be surprised when they close down everything and just pocket it all. After all, it's in the terms and conditions. So then I wrote under, yeah, posting as them. Yes, we are keeping the bad beat jackpot. Deal with it. Hello, everyone. We understand that there's some consternation regarding our confiscation of the bad beat jackpot worth about 700000 As we do not offer poker anymore, there's no way to give it away since we are just keeping it. We figure that the phony registrations of those tournaments were worth about the same amount of money, so it all breaks even. If you don't like it, you're welcome to head for the exit. Recall that most poker players don't play in the casino anyway, so it's not like you'll be valuable customers going forward. Thank you for your past patronage. It allowed us a nice boost to start the new era of our site. <laughs> so people were responding to this believing it was real. And, and then someone said, uh, hey, at least you're honest that you don't give a shit. That's at least refreshing. So I posted back, thanks for the compliment. We're trying to be transparent regarding the situation. We're taking the bad beat jackpot, and there's no point to pretend that we're not. At least we owe you players some honesty regarding what we're doing. We realize that this isn't fair to those who didn't do phantom tournament registrations, but the bottom line is that a lot of broke players on our site did just that, so we're making the entire community pay. It's kind of like when you're in kindergarten and a few kids misbehave. Everyone has to sit on the floor in quiet time as a result, even the kids who are good. We hope you understand. We also have decided to make good with, uh, we've also decided not to make good with the winning poker network, meaning that indeed we have $700,000 or so extra in our coffers right now. However, this also caused us to lose our poker room, so we feel this breaks even. Thank you for your understanding. So that was our, those were my posts on uh, on their forum, and eventually they deleted them all and IP banned me. And I can easily come back. I kind of got bored with it, but I, I'll probably re-register there pretty soon and start making more of these. It, it pissed them off. I guarantee it pissed them off. And I had people on two plus two who are angry about this. Go, why are you doing that? It's just making the situation worse. No, it's not. How's the situation getting worse? It, it can't be worse. They stole your your Bitcoin and left. That's it. It's done. They they stole the bad beat jackpot and closed down poker. How can it get worse? So I asked that. I said, what what makes this worse? How can I have made it worse? If so someone starts saying, well, that's just dishonest. You're being dishonest with everybody. You can't you can't fight dishonest you know dishonesty with being dishonest yourself. Yes, you can. That's that's what undercover police officers do every day. And I wouldn't say I'm being dishonest because I, I'm telling the truth about what they're really doing. I'm just doing it as them. And the truth is, if what I was doing there convinced people I was them and they chose to leave there and stop giving their business to Bitcoin, then great, I've done a good deed. Even if I pretended to be them, I've done a good deed. Um, think about this. Here's a more extreme example. Say that uh, you knew a guy in the neighborhood... Was uh, was molesting children, but you couldn't prove it. 
and you tried to report him, but you know you knew for a fact it was happening, but you couldn't prove it and couldn't get him in trouble. You couldn't stop. Him. Okay. If you could um, impersonate him in some way, online or with a phone call, whatever, you could impersonate him in some way and scare those children that he was going to molest or was molesting from ever associating with him. Um, would that be a good thing? Would you have done a good deed? For sure. I, for sure that would be a, a, a net gain, a huge net gain for society, especially for those kids, right? People wouldn't say, oh, you were being dishonest by pretending to be him. No, you, you, you did something great. You scared his victims away from him, even if you had to pretend to be him to do it. So sometimes pretending to be something or someone evil in order to scare people away from them not by threatening them, like scaring, but like you know, making them look bad so people stay away from them. That's a good thing. I'm getting a lot of calls, by the way. Um, I'm not ready to take calls here, so if, if you're calling right now, uh, I'll take calls. In case you're calling about this segment, uh, before I finish this segment, I will uh, open up for phone calls. So I see a lot of calls coming in. I just don't want to be interrupted right now. But but if you have something to say about this, I will call. I will let you call in. The only thing I don't really want to discuss here is like all the other past things they've done. If you want, you can briefly mention it, but I don't want to go into like long stories about other shady things they've done because it's this is one of these cases where this is the worst thing, and they've closed poker anyway, so it, it's not really worth discussing at this point. But just be it known that they've done a lot of shady things, and this being the worst one. So, who's involved with this site? We have uh, a few people we can point to. One that is uh, under suspicion is a guy named Scott Linter. And I invited him to come on this show. And if, he said he was aware of this show and in respect of this show. But uh, said he wasn't ready to come on yet. Scott said that uh, he might in 2018. But right now he just he needs to take a break. But he, he's emotionally drained from this whole thing. <laughs> Come on. Though he's happy to go on 2 plus 2 and argue with people there. But, but he doesn't want to come on because he's, he's emotionally drained. Anyway, uh, this guy apparently is a big poker fan. Uh, someone said he actually named his kid after Tom Dwan. <laughs> I'm guessing his kid is named Tom. <laughs> How do you name your kid after Tom Dwan? I mean, it's one thing if you just like the name Tom, but to actually name your kid after Durr. Amazing. So... Uh, this guy was very, very into bit, uh, to, to Bitcoin. He calls himself I Snort Booze. He looks like uh, he's in his 30s from what I can see of the picture of him. Uh, the picture I'm looking at, he's actually wearing Bitcoin gear, a Bitcoin hat, a Bitcoin shirt. Uh, he has a, a Bitcoin travel mug in front of him. He, he seemed very into Bitcoin, and he was promoting them big time on his Twitter, everywhere. He was promoting, promoting, promoting. There is also some strong suspicion that he was operating the Bitcoin support account that was posting on forums like 2 plus 2. So he claims, he told me, and he claims to others he was just an affiliate. That He, would, he was just like the, the many other affiliates that Bitcoin has, just more vocal. Just basically, you, you know, pay, basically anyone could sign up for an affiliate account and get an affiliate code, and anyone, anyone who signs up to Bitcoin through uh, that link, you know, they, the affiliate would get some money. So that's, he claims that's all he was. Pretty much, and just he was aggressive in promoting them, but that was it. But I don't believe that. And as I said, there's there's strong rumors which are likely true that he was 
the one behind it. Uh, I, I and I by the way I have people that tell me that they might be able to lead me to who is behind all of Bitcoin. So it's this is not uh, as secretive as an organization as you might think. It, it appears to be more uh, secretive than it really is. They try to be secretive, but they, they haven't kept the secrets very well. So this is Scott Lentner, who at the very least has some kind of management or support role. He's not just an affiliate. At least it's from all appearances. I don't have total proof of that, but it, it seems like that. Then uh, of more interest is a guy who calls himself PLO8 Monster, known as Randall Matthews. Randall Matthews is not a young man. He's 57. Uh, his son was also involved in Bitcoin. Some have suspected that perhaps Randall Matthews or his son were actually running Bitcoin and just pretending to be exuberant uh, employees or, or, or affiliates or whatever. But uh, I don't know yet the answer to that one. But Randall Matthews, a.k.a. PLO8 Monster from Dumbass, Texas. Actually, Dumas. D-U-M-A-S, Texas. It's a funny name. <laughs> Appropriate, too. But uh, PLO8 Monster, Randall Matthews from Dumbass, Texas, is someone who's been very involved. And he's definitely someone who needs to answer some questions. There's someone who's just hammering me with phone calls from the 551 area. I'm telling you, whoever you are, you need to wait. Do not, do not hammer me with these calls. I hate when people do that. I hate when people say, I want to get on. You're going to take my call and call me like 20 straight times. Don't do that. I, I promise you I won't close the segment before I take your call if you want to talk about this. I will give everybody a chance to call in. Everybody. Provided you want to talk about this. By the way, Trader Ruski, you still there? I'm here, Jeff. You're on a roll. Okay. I don't want to stop you. Okay. Have you heard of Bitcoin See, uh, before? Huh? Had you heard of the uh, Bitcoin before this? No, I mean, other than what you talk about, I haven't really yeah. heard much about it. Yeah, okay. So uh, so this, this is the path we've got to go down here. By the way, it looks like the Lakers are going to lose. It does seem like all these guys have the same story, though. They're yeah, all affiliates. They're not. They're not owners. That, that's what I hate. I hate when someone is either in a management role or one of the faces of the site, or just and they will just promote, 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 even when the site is stealing and scamming and not paying out. And you know, they will promote to the bitter end. And then when it comes time to take responsibility, oh, I was just an affiliate. I was just a paid promoter. What do you want from me? I didn't do this. You know, go after the real thieves. No, if, if you if you knowingly promote a scam, you are responsible. To some degree, and and uh, especially if you have a managerial role, there's there's no such thing of just saying, uh, yeah, I was a manager there, yeah, I was aware of everything they were doing. Oh, but when they finally really screwed everyone at the end, oh yeah, that's not really not my fault. I didn't do it. You can't you can't do that. That's not that's not how it works, morally or legally. So, uh, PLO8 monster, just just in case, just in case you think this Randall Matthews from Dumbass Texas, just in case you think that perhaps he was just bamboozled. And he was taken by surprise by this bad beat jackpot thing and, and that he's as outraged as everybody else. Listen to this. This was something he posted on their forum. Time for me to chime in. I'm sure some of you have been waiting for me to share my thoughts. First and foremost, I'm devastated by this. Bitcoin poker in this community have been like a child to me. As I've said countless times, it takes a village to raise a child. Right, right there you know the guy's a douche when 
someone uses that term. <laughs> it takes a village to raise a child. Come on. Anyone who says that, you know, they're, they're being phony with you. It was never something I could do without the community helping every day. I would say we did good from the infancy to puberty, and then it got beyond difficult. I made every effort to use integrity and honesty with each and every player here, and I spent most every waking hour growing this community. There were some who could care less about the community, and they displayed this time and time again. No amount of effort on my part could overcome the chat room antics. So he's referring to that there were people in the chat who were just being really obnoxious and ruining everything. Uh... Even when I explained to players they were scaring away new players we needed here to make this whole venture work. Those who did know who, who did this know who you are and consider yourselves part of why this decision was made. The decision meaning to close it, not to steal. Um, as for the rest of you, please know that I love you, each and every one, like family. I mean that sincerely. That, that's very much scammer language. Scammers love to say they love you, they care about you. Uh, you know, they, they don't always say they, they never say, ha ha ha, I just stole your money they, they never say that, that's never their approach is I, I just stole from you, ha ha sucker it, it's, even after they've done it, they, they try to still make you feel like you're special to them uh, and then, then they, of course they have the bad guys that they point to, usually the ones trying to expose the scam as, as the reason the harm occurred that they, they go after whoever's been trying to expose them and say, hey, look, this is, this is why the problems are happening. These people ruined it for everyone. So the chat room antics, these weren't people like harassing people in the chat. These were people who were going in the chat room and, and, and telling people to watch out for the various scams that were occurring there. Uh, as I won B- BTC mentioned, there must be some player there, in the, in the prior post above, that love was not returned by all our players, and the exploit the players recently took advantage of, referring to the tournament thing, absolutely spoiled any chance of me asking Bitcoin to reconsider. I have been in a unique position to see both sides, and I can attest to the fact that Bitcoin made every effort to be fair and beyond fair in most cases involving poker players, even when the players are taking advantage of that good nature. That, that's totally not true. It's the, it's the opposite. They were taking advantage of the players. They were screwing, screwing players time and time again. I swear it to be true. Oh, okay, well, if you swear. I have she- seen the sheer volume of resources poker players used for support, which in itself was not the problem. However, it was a problem, not just the only problem. From day one, Bitcoin was willing to lose money in order to establish a poker player base. We spent untold amounts of coin to keep the beloved daily coin and other guarantee multi-table tournaments open and running. Many of you received a lot of love during this, and your zero-to-hero stories kept us willing to continue to bite the bullet. So he's, he's saying that they, they lost so much money providing guarantees and that they, they were just doing this to show the love to their player base. They loved them so much, and they were so inspired by their stories of, of uh, making money from these guaranteed tournaments. <laughs> oh, they're philanthropists. That's nice. Yeah, they're philanthropists. Uh, we absolutely love to see the players come up in the Daily Coin and share their joy through the community. Still, day after day, week after week, it would not sustain or cover the guarantee, yet we continued to trudge the path of happy destiny in an effort to make it work. It simply was not affordable any longer when, when Bitcoin began its meteoric rise in price. What does that mean? They could, they could adjust it down. <laughs> they don't have to give away the same amount of coins as they did before or have the same guarantees before. What, what does that even mean? Bitcoin can be worth a million dollars. They could adjust it to where they give away the same amount. Chris, my, our software engineer, practically my hero, built this site from scratch with poker players and benefits uh, for players. We spent countless hours and money to build you guys a safe place and a pleasant poker haven. Uh, 
uh, pioneering winning poker network shared tournaments and features like Bitcoin TV for twi- tri- for Twitch streamers, a staking platform, and much more. All done as an effort to help grow Bitcoin's multi-table traffic. Separating wallet systems to make it all work was no easy feat. Support constantly dealt with less than honest players. Uh, although the vast majority of our players were a pleasure to help, the bad apples, as I call them, indeed spoiled the entire barrel. So he's going on again. So it's blaming the players, blaming the, the, the bad players who ruined everything. Not, not them. Not their fault. Much time was spent helping poker players. Regardless of the trivial nature of any support requests, we tried to treat everyone with respect. Honestly, some made that incredibly difficult. I always intervened on players' behalf when I felt it was the proper and fair thing to do. Some pushed that to limits beyond my capacity. And I guess the point I'm about to make is an example of that. A few weeks ago, or perhaps I should say many weeks ago, some players discovered a way to exploit the site by using a defunct ticket system to issue themselves tickets to tournaments that did not run and then received... uh, uh, Bitcoin for the tournaments uh, when they canceled. It grew to be more than just a handful doing it. That was like a boulder on the camel's back, and then came the straw to break the camel's back, which was actually even a huger boulder, a glitch that allowed player to, players to enter multi-table tournaments for free, rather, and rather than report it and stop the exploit, absolutely broke my heart to see the sheer number of players, some I consider close friends, who not only exploited, but entered every possible tournament on the 12... Uh, Millies, I guess that was uh, millions uh, tournaments uh, coming up. After great efforts and many, many angry man hours of cleaning up the mess and pay- paying through the nose for the losses. <laughs> yeah, right. They, I'm sure they paid uh, Winning Poker Network on the way out. Betcoin's new management team decided that the small amount of profit would no longer be worth the resources spent sp- uh, supporting poker. That I believe. This has left me no room to ask the new management to reconsider, no latitude to complain about the decision. So, so basically what he's positioning himself as is like a, a player advocate who isn't you know he, he claims he's not running it he just he's the he's the go, the go between who kind of works for them but also is a player too and always has the player's interest in mind as well so he's saying look I can go to Bitcoin and ask him to reconsider to put back up poker but they, they just won't do it after the way you hurt them after the way you broke their heart with a tournament thing they just won't do it he writes I'm deeply saddened and hope you realize the entire staff of Bitcoin worked day and night to avoid this. It just became unsustainable with any amount of effort. I hope this post is not mistaken, as many will say. I am a staff member of Bitcoin. My comment is biased. Nothing can be further from the truth. I'm one of you. I am a poker player first and foremost, and a friend to so many of you. My heart is just broken. This is Scammer 101, by the way. This is, this is so typical. I'm one of you. I care about you. This breaks my heart that you could uh, you, you could do this or think this of me or it, it, it's the same story. Scammers love to say how you're hurting them, how you're how you're making them feel bad, how they thought better of you. They they use guilt to even try to get away with what they've done. I will miss many of you, especially those who only play poker and will not be here daily. The community will change, of course, and this is to be expected. But I do hope you'll continue to stop in and share your experiences with us. For the many of you who've asked about my well-being, please do not worry. I will continue to be here daily. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody's really worried. You guys stole more than $600,000. But we're worried about one of the managers there. How's he doing? How are you doing, PLO8 Monster? Randall, are you okay? Are you feeling okay, Randall? <gasps> I don't know. It's just all ending for me. It's it's nice that I have all these bitcoins that we stole, but it just it just doesn't make a difference to me now. <laughs> I just want Bitcoin back. Come on, 
The new management team has decided to keep me on board. What a shock. Perhaps a bit less visible, as I'll be handling other responsibilities now. However, I will check in forum and players chat often and will continue to provide customer service along with other, du- uh, with other duties. I wish everyone the best of luck moving forward. I will continue to play online under the name PL08Monster. I will likely play on multiple sites I f- until I feel comfortable, somewhat comfortable and find a new poker home. Hope to see you all soon, taking down big scores. What an asshole. So that was his statement. So he's staying on the new Bitcoin. Now, Trader Ruski, what did you notice was not addressed in that long diatribe? Uh, player refunds. Well, the the bad beat jackpot. That 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 oh, was. He didn't even. Oh, I thought he mentioned that. No, okay. no, that was the, that. that was in the official statement from the site. No, his statement had nothing to do with that. In fact, he doesn't explain why he's staying after that happened. Like, it's not addressed. He didn't get an excuse. It just wasn't addressed. So amazing. Either he owns it, or he's in a high enough management role that he's getting paid well enough to where he doesn't want to leave it. Something's going on there. He's not just an affiliate. At this point, you don't stay on if you're just an affiliate. I mean, he doesn't even say he's an affiliate. He says that he's a, you know, an employee there. But he's not just a clueless employee, and he's not someone who believed in it, but once they stole the bad beat jackpot, said, okay, now I see the light finally. It's not even that. This guy is continuing on and purposely avoiding discussing the one thing that they're doing that's, that's really, really horrendous. So... This guy needs to be held responsible, and he lives right there in Texas. This is not – it's not like we're talking about people who live outside the country. And, in fact, I've heard rumors that the ownership of Bitcoin lives within the U.S. So this is a bit different than the typical poker scam that has to do with uh, an illegal site running, which this is, where the perpetrator lives outside the U.S. and is very difficult to touch legally. So I would really encourage – that those who are victimized by this... Now, I can't do anything, because I, w- I didn't play on there. So I, I have no damages. I, I cannot report this. I cannot um, you know, get charges filed against them. I cannot sue them, because I did not suffer damages. But if you, or anyone you know, did, then definitely you need to hold these people accountable. Now, I I, uh, I know that there's this uh, Mac Verstandig who, who's been filing all these gaming-related lawsuits. I would recommend our own attorney, Eric Benzamokin, but I don't think he I don't think this is what he does. I mean, he's uh, um, yeah. If he wants to take these type of things, he could. I just don't. I mean, he can clarify it to me if that's true, but I don't think that this is an area of, of what work he does. But uh, but definitely go to an attorney especially one that, that specializes in these type of lawsuits. Because uh, even if these pe- people can't be prosecuted, they can be sued. They can definitely be sued. And especially this PL08 monster, this, this, uh, this Randall Matthews, he could definitely be sued. Because he, he, he's holding himself out there to be an employee and, and, and speaks almost like he's in management. So he would have a hard time in court claiming he's just an affiliate or just a clueless employee or that he, he had no idea this was going to happen and then he jumped ship. Nothing. He's staying on. So I don't know if he has any assets, but he very well might. So there's this Randall Matthews. There's his son. 
I'm forgetting his name. And uh, I'm being told that uh, perhaps I can be led to the actual owners, perhaps other people who could be sued or criminally prosecuted. Now, someone on 2 Plus 2 suggested that you go to the Internet Crimes uh, Reporting Portal of the FBI, this i3something.gov, ic3something.gov. I I see that posted all the time. Have have you seen this before, Trader Risky, the, uh, the, the, the place you report Internet Crimes? Yeah, I mean, this isn't related to I can't. I, I can or, yeah, something. Yeah, so... Uh, I don't know if they'll care about yeah, this. Yeah, it's, tec- it's technically run by the FBI, but guess what? Don't use it. Someone posted it on 2 plus 2. Oh, you should report it there. If enough of you report it, then the FBI may take action. No, they will not. Here's why this exists, that, that portal. People are getting scammed left and right on the Internet and have been for decades. You know, think of the Nigerian scam. And, and so many other scams that you probably get in your inbox on a frequent basis. And people want to feel like they can report this somewhere. People want to feel like that uh, they can, that there's someone who will care. Because if you go to your local police department, they'll go, oh, what can we do? This is probably someone outside the country. I'm sorry. You know, we can take a report. We can't do anything. That, that's what your police will tell you if you, if you go, to, go to them about like a Nigerian scam. So... People don't like the idea that they're just screwed and have no one to report it to. They at least want the if they've been victimized or if there's an attempt to victimize them, they want to feel like they have somewhere to go and report it. It's, it's a feel good thing. So people want something where they feel like they've taken some action and maybe some investigations being done. So that's that's where that portal was set up. That, that basically so you can type in your your grievance about what happened to you on the internet, about the scam that happened to you on the internet. And, you, and you're going to picture that they're receiving it and jumping on it and, and sending the FBI after the people who did it, and you'll feel so proud of yourself. In reality, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's very possible humans do not even read this. It's very possible that they utilize uh, some bot to read it and throw out most of them. And it's also possible they just quickly skim them all and unless it's something that really grabs their attention, like something about terrorism or so, something that's really, really, really major that they feel that they should jump on, they ignore them all. So something like this, oh, a guy's running a, a, a Bitcoin poker site and, and they had a bad beat jackpot and they took the jackpot. Do you think the FBI is going to investigate that from that tip line? There's no chance. But that's not to say that you cannot get Bitcoin investigated. If you can identify, so you have to do a lot of the work yourself. You've got to identify who's running it. You've got to put together at least some reasonable proof of this. Put together a, a clear and concise package uh, to, to present to the appropriate law enforcement agent. And then reach someone at law enforcement who would care and has jurisdiction. Uh, a good way to find this is to... Uh, Google stories about uh, online poker getting busted, about busts of payment processors, about busts of other online poker rooms, and you know, contact the law enforcement officials' offices that were involved. That that's a good way to do it. Or if you have any kind of contact at at the FBI, that's a way to do it. Do, do not fill out a form online, or it will be ignored. But if if you can't get them criminally investigated, which may be tough, especially because this is, this is not something that's easily understood by someone who doesn't know poker that well. You know, bad beat jackpots, it's hard to understand. And especially if it's if it's an already taxed law enforcement organization. Uh, 
then as long as you can identify major players, players meaning owners, managers, whatever, of, of Bitcoin, you can sue them. You can sue them in federal court. So that's a way to get them. And you can often find attorneys who will do this on uh, contingency and not even charge you. So that's what I would suggest doing here. Go after these people like Randall Matthews and even the Scott Lentner. Anyone who was knowingly promoting them despite knowing what was going on, anyone who seemed to have a managerial role, including like running the customer service account, that's that's good enough. Uh, someone who's just an affiliate, they, it's going to be hard to get them. But anyone who is more than that, and you have evidence is more than that, or you have very strong suspicion, then you can sue them. And I suggest you do that. This is one of the rare cases where you might be able to recover, especially if it's someone who you have determined has some assets, or even if they have a regular job. So, I would suggest that. Yeah, or even just small claims court in Texas. If someone's in Texas, they could go out. Does it, where does this lender guy live? Does anybody know? Uh, yeah, but I don't know at the moment. Um, but but uh, I, small claims, I don't know if they're going to... That may be a little too complicated for small claims because these were not uh, direct thefts. It's, it's it's kind of like an indirect theft or a accomplice in a, in, a, in, a, in fraud. And it's hard to take that type of thing to small claims. And uh, what what you really need is uh, an attorney on contingency who will take this right case. if if you can find someone yeah. to take it on contingency, right. but I don't know how easy that's going to be. Well, so I like this Mac Verstanded guy. And again, I'm not trying to advertise for him. I, I just uh, it seems like whenever we have a case like this involving casinos or poker sites or whatever, it seems like uh, he's always at the center of it as far as the attorney that's that's suing the wrongdoer. So that, that's why, like, I, I think someone like that will understand it, and you can see if they're willing. I don't know if he does it on contingency or not, but I have to imagine he does. Like the, the Aruba uh, PPC, I, I'm pretty sure he took their cases on contingency. So uh, that, I think that's the type of person, someone who's like a someone who does cover gaming lawsuits as a plaintiff's attorney that will take these on contingency. I, I think that's a good person. Because the thing is, guys like Randall Matthews, they believe behind all this, these are simpletons. These are not people who are sophisticated criminals. And, and when they get something like you know, a, a big lawsuit against them, they're going to panic. They're going to panic. And uh, they may settle. Or they may they may give up the real people who are involved. And believe me, when, pe- when you get served with a lawsuit for a large sum of money, a very large sum of money, let's say let's say Randall Matthews gets served for, with a lawsuit for a million bucks, okay? It, it's very unnerving to get that. Now, if it's a completely bogus suit, if someone's just suing you over something frivolous that you know they could never prove, then that doesn't matter. Then you can you can just uh, it's a pain in the ass to have to deal with. You may have to hire an attorney, but uh, you know you're not going to be out a million bucks. But if it's something you know you did. Or at least they could uh, make a good case that you did it, and they're suing you for a million bucks. You, you're going to get very scared, especially if you're not used to dealing with that. If you're someone who deals with lawsuits all the time, yeah, you, you, you kind of laugh it off. But if, if you're someone who's not used to being sued for figures like that, you're going to shit a brick. You really will. So that's why, like, you know, and just think of yourself. Th- put yourself in Randall Matthews' shoes. You're just some 57-year-old dude 
who got in with promoting this site and managing this site and whatever, and, uh, you know, they brazenly steal the bad beat jackpot and rip everybody off in other ways, and you just go, okay, well, new new era of the site. Those that like it, good. Those who don't, tough luck on them. Ha, ha, ha. And then one day, you get a knock at your door, you open it, a guy drops lawsuit papers in your hands, and you open up, you're being sued for a million bucks. And, and, and it outlines all the ways you've been involved with the site and pretty much proves in this loss in the legal papers already that you're involved with the site and you know you're involved with the site very much and you know what the site did well now you panic now you go shit everything i own could could be uh you know, they, they they can go after here and you know do do i want a, a million dollar judgment against me possibly and uh, you know go cra- like crap either like i really did it or I know who did it. I didn't really do all this. Yes, I'm still supporting them, but you know, may, maybe I better call up and, and make a deal with them and, and uh, help them go after the real culprit. So when I say real culprit, I don't mean that Randall Matthews is innocent. And there's no way he's innocent by the way he's acting here. But uh, it's possible that he is not the one who actually stole the money. It's possible he just, he just likes what they're paying him and he's willing to continue being a mouthpiece for them even after what they did. Uh, this should definitely be pursued because these people are in the U.S. And maybe even the owners are in the U.S. Maybe Randall Matthews is the owner. Maybe his son's the owner. So this this is definitely, definitely worth pursuing if you are a victim of this or no victims of this. So definitely do that. Okay, I'll take the phone calls now. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. This, this, this guy from the 551 called me 10 freaking times. 10 times. I should just not take his call for this. But now is the time to call in. And I hate when people make excuses. Oh, I called over and over because you weren't taking my call and I really had something important to say that was relevant. I don't care. I will take calls when I am ready to take calls. So if you want to call in, 775-372-8355. Watch, they're not going to call now. Like, the guy's been hammering me the entire segment. Now he's not going to call. We'll give him a chance here. Or somebody else. Didn't have to be that 551 guy. Anybody wants to call in about this topic, I will give that chance first. Then I will take calls not about this topic if anyone wants to call in. But right now I'm saying call in if it's about this particular topic and you have something relevant to add. If you just want to agree with me or uh, you know, say, yeah, Bitcoin sucks. That, that's, you know, I'm glad you agree with me, but don't. Uh, I'm actually looking for calls that people who could expand upon this. So it's 775-372-8355. 775-FRAUD55. And of course, this is when I don't get the calls. Forum War says, I'm trying to get a hold of Druff, but that's not me calling. Let's let's see if uh, someone's texting me about this. Uh, no, it's... Uh, Someone's saying that genocide and never win are getting back together. I even heard about that. That would be interesting. But if if there's if this is really true, send me uh, send me proof of this. Send me a place I can find this. Someone asked me, "Are you be selling the Todd Wattella system anytime soon?" I guess he's talking about the NBA betting. No, but I I have to decide at some point. Even though I, I lost this Lakers game, and I only went two and two today. Um. At some point, I have to decide, like, 
I believe in myself enough to step up how much I'm betting because I'm betting kind of a moderate amount right now, like enough to where the money matters, but it's not like big money to where like no matter how well I do, it's not going to like make me a whole lot of money. It, it, this is kind of like the trial thing where I'm betting like semi-meaningful money but not really big. But like if, if I get enough confidence, I, I am going to have to kick it up. I'm going to have to just take the chance and kick it up and hope I don't go into a massive slump. Otherwise, I'm kind of wasting the opportunity I've found here. So we have not gotten any calls from those people who are hammering the phones before, of course. So if you want to call for any reason now, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. In the meantime, let me read some texts we got uh, besides those ones I just read. Uh, oh yeah, so Earlier today, I got a text from someone saying the radio show is online. You can hear background noise and moving around in the background. Now, Trader Ruski, do you have any idea what that might have been about? I don't know. I always mute when I'm not talking. No, they're talking about it earlier today. Oh, earlier today. Oh, was that was? Oh, was so? Was that was I connected to it? Yes, there was the Trader Ruski show today. Oh god! Yeah, there's, there there was a show, a special show today, the Trader Ruski show. It, it featured just him. Except, I think that's been going on for multiple days, actually. <laughs> except except it was just static. Oh god! Okay, here I'm, I'm going to take off from the Matt the Rat. Uh, Trader Ruski, I have to hang up on you first, then I'll reconnect you. So take. Matt the Rat's call. Let me add on Trader Ruski. For some reason, my Skype and his Skype are not, are not compatible. I don't know why. Uh, Matt, hello? The, Matt the Rat, hello. Hey. Yeah. Uh, what the hell? Yeah, what's going are on? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that, uh, I don't know. I think I messaged you. It was around 440. It said radio on, and it was just like a, like the kind of just background noise. Like yeah, nothing was going on. Right, it was static. It sounded like old school radio static. Actually, it was, it was funny. It was like it was like tuning into a station back in 1989 that the antenna just got knocked off the air. That, that's what it sounded like. Was there a show earlier or what? No, Trader Ruski was testing a few things so he he could run radio if necessary. And uh, and then I guess he accidentally left it on. Is that what happened, Trader Rizzi? Yeah, Brandon and I were trying to get a show, and the computer I had I thought wasn't connected and didn't work, or it didn't work with the stereo mix thing, whatever I had. So apparently I left it on. It was actually my assistant who dealt with it, so I'm blaming him. Okay. Oh, okay. And uh, how you doing, Matt? I, hey, good. Huh? How's it going? Um, good. I saw your uh, Twitter there, uh, Todd, and I, I did just a little bit of research and made a post on that Rob Gorgowski guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of funny, his response to my email. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely I'll, I'll look at that and uh, I'll read it on the air. So that's uh, Yeah, and uh, and just real quick, uh, Forum Wars had a link. If you want to check out his link, uh, he's got... Um, uh, late breaking news that you should. Yeah, make. I just saw his note too, and it said uh, to to get the breaking news uh, music ready. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm out. All right. Thank you. Uh, you know, what, right, he, right, Matt. Forum War sent me a PM, but somehow the the chat actually kicked me. <laughs> I got kicked off of my own chat. So, uh, Forum War sent me again what you sent me, and I will get the breaking news music. Yeah, I saw like a PM pop really fast, and then the chat room closed and reopened for me. So. I'm glad 
Calwatt's not here, he'd make fun of the chat room. Calwatt hates this chat room. Oh no, it is. It looks like it's an apology about the bad beat jackpot. Oh really? Okay. And it's an article about that. So I'll I'll, I'll uh, PM you that. It's in button. the chat if you just go into the chat. No, I can't see that. Oh, either. you might. You can't see the PS3. Got yeah. it. I'll oh. put it back in. <laughs> Okay, is it, where, where are you going to put it? I just put it back in the chat. Oh, in the open chat. Okay. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, on the official Bitcoin site. I, I wonder if my, my harassment of them had to do with this. Because I was just, I was hammering them yesterday about this. Okay, I see that. So, okay, yes, breaking news posted by Bitcoin. Here is the breaking. Uh, I, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to have to go. Oh, what a pain in the ass! I I can't read it. <laughs> Guess why I can't read it? Because they blocked my IP. Oh, that's funny. Okay, hold on a second. I I have I have my ways. I have my ways. Uh, this is ridiculous. I can't believe they blocked my IP. I mean, I can believe it, but it's funny. I can't even read their their statement. Okay, I have I have a way to send this to myself, and then I can I'm gonna have to send it to my phone. I I can get around the IP block, but you know during radio it'll be a pain in the ass. So let me uh, okay, one second here. What a pain in the ass! Only on this show I want to read a statement from them, and I can't. Because these idiots blocked uh, blocked me. I see. What a pain here. See, I, I screwed myself here. I was so proud of what I did to them. Now they're going to laugh at me. I've got to send this to my phone and browse for my phone. And then get off Wi-Fi. Otherwise, I just I just cut and paste it into a PM if that helps okay. to you. <laughs> Although I don't know if it worked. I think it worked. Okay. Here we go. It's, I think it's loading on my phone here. Okay. Oh. This is interesting. I don't think I believe it, but here we go. Apology, BatBeat, Jackpot Distribution, and Discussion of the Future of Bitcoin.ag. Bitcoin.ag will distribute the BatBeat Jackpot to players and would like to apologize for not handling this matter e- efficiently and expeditiously. I, I come, this isn't efficiently. They say they're not doing it. Y- you heard my statement. I mean, not my statement. You heard well, my statement. that sounds very inefficient if they're not doing it. Yeah. I mean, you heard the statement they made, and then, of course, I made statements as them, but that's not the point. I, uh, the statement they actually made said they're just not doing it. They're just not honoring it. It's a promotion, they said. Okay. First and foremost, this is posted, by the way, uh, just now, like, like within the last hour. First and foremost, we would like to apologize to the great players that have played with Bitcoin.ag over the last four years. It's almost like a Donald Trump statement. Uh, we apologize to you because our research indicates that Bitcoin.ag has not taken the very best care of you. Really. They, they had to research that they were treating you crappily. <laughs> we, 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 just, we just did some research. And you know what? Uh, we just realized, we just realized after extensive research 
that we've been treating you like shit. <laughs> Sorry about that. We didn't know till we researched it. We've just researched it and realized that uh, we've been screwing you up the ass. We also apologize for not handling the, ba- the bad beat jackpot matter in the most expeditious and fair manner as possible. They mean manner, but whatever. Uh, for all of you great players. Bitcoin.ag is now committed to addressing your concerns in the most professional manner and immediately handling player concerns. We are very excited to be improving the overall culture. I, I think, by the way, this has to do with uh, the talk of getting them prosecuted and sued. I don't mean just like right now, but I've been... I and some others have been discussing this on various forums, and I'm sure they've been watching. Uh, We are very excited to be improving the overall culture. As our first matter, we believe it is necessary to distribute the Bad Beat jackpot based upon the percentages to players who have contributed to that jackpot through the years. Uh, Okay, that's it. I already see the catch here, which I'll explain shortly. We will be calculating the totals over the next week to two weeks and expect that all distributions will be posted to player accounts by the second week of, of January. We believe this is the right and just thing to do, as many of you entrusted in Bitcoin.ag and continue to do so. We are excited about the future of Bitcoin.ag and committed to providing you the very best place to play. We can assure assure you a mix of new promotions, games, and opportunities, as well as exceptional 24-7 customer service support experience. Please check back here for future updates, and we sincerely thank all of you for playing at Bitcoin.ag. Now, this is what is unfortunate. I don't know if this this may be a rigged comment. This may be one of them posting it, but someone named Michigan one posted. This is the right thing to do, and I suggest going by poker players VIP level and points towards calculating the, the totals of, of BBJ to be dispersed. Okay, here's the problem. There's a few problems with this. Um, Trader Ruski, with their plan here, what problems do you see before I state the problems I see? Well, I mean, I, every, what, everybody's going to get $14 back and not be able to cash it out? Well, supposedly you can still cash out with them right now. I, I haven't heard yet that they're not processing cash out, though it's possible that will happen too. But, but supposedly you can still cash out. So provided you can cash out, what, what, is, what are some problems you see with this? I just I don't know if they'd be able to go back through and see who contributed what, right. number one. Right. They're just going to be guessing. Uh, yeah, that's one problem. Here, here's, here's another problem I see, a big problem. How do we know that they're really doing this? True. How, how does anyone know? So, so okay, they distribute some token sum of, of money to every active player on the site. Or even they, they distribute some token sum of money to every player on the site that ever had an account there, that, ever, that, that, that once had money in it and that actually raked to the Bad Beat jackpot. Okay? So... Let's say they, took, they, they distribute some token sum to everybody, as you said, like $14. How do you know that that really covers the almost 700 k worth? How do you know that? How do you know who got it? You'll know if you ask other players, like you, you ask other people who played on there, hey, did you get something? Yes, but how do you know that it all adds up to that sum, to 43 Bitcoin? And how do you know they're doing it accurately? So I think the reason they are doing it this way, rather than saying, um, you know, we're going to hold an internal tournament for this or something like that, or uh, or, or post a big list of who's getting what, or uh, we're going to distribute it based upon the the uh, you know the rake paid for each player, post a, something which is verifiable. 
they are supposedly distributing these back to players. And the next problem, uh, a lot of these players may be gone and never collected. So if a bunch of people have a micro amount, they may never log back in and get it. People who busted their account a long time ago, people who loaded up 50 bucks on the site and busted it and, and left, uh, they may never come back. So they may never see it. So they're going to save a lot of money there. So I don't think they're going to give any accounting of how this bad beat jackpot is being distributed. I don't think, I don't think they're going to make it transparent to where you can see that 43 Bitcoin have been distributed. If they were really being transparent, what they would do, they'd have a big list. Okay, the, here's what each person got. Here's what each screen name got. Now, still, they could pull shenanigans by listing screen names you've never seen before. But yeah, at the very least, you can you you, know, you can see you can figure out if a lot of it, at least, was redistributed. But the, this sounds like they're scared. They're doing this out of fear. They're definitely doing this out of fear. They're definitely doing this because they believe there will be some consequence to just running off and stealing that. They're not so worried about their goodwill because they're not going to run poker again anyway. It's out of fear. And maybe they, are, maybe they do want to maintain the casino with a decent reputation. And when it's Google, they don't want to be seen that they've stolen that. But there's so much bad stuff about them already in Google. Like they probably don't care about that at this point. I, I think it's actual fear that they're going to get in trouble. A lot of them are in the U.S. They may be afraid. So they, they're doing this to give the appearance like they are distributing it, when in reality they may be only distributing you know, 10% of it. So I'd be very surprised if anybody gets anything significant. And keep in mind, this is a pretty small site. So this must have accumulated over a long period of time, this bad beat jackpot. There's going to be a lot of accounts involved. I just don't see a way to verify it. So... And I'm sure at some point they're going to claim that at some point, uh, you know, when accounts go inactive, that you know they, they forfeit their Bitcoin. There's going to be some reason that they can take the money anyway. After some point, I think they believe they're getting off on a, a very small percentage of what the bad beat jackpot really was. So that, that's pretty outrageous. Really, the most fair thing to do is to run their own internal tournament where they give it away and open it to anybody who ever played real money on the site and put out the word about that and let everybody sign up and uh, you know and then give out the bad beat jackpot that way. That would be fine. That would be even be fine by uh, Nevada state law. Okay, let's take this call from a caller here. Caller, you're on the air. Caller. Hey, Droff, what's going on? Hey, so anything you'd like to say about this? Uh, no, I just thought you were uh, already past that topic. I just wanted to call in and say I'm thankful for you doing the show every week when you can. Okay, is, is this SysOp? Yeah, it is. Okay, well, thank you. And, uh, yeah, we're pretty much done with this topic. I just... Uh, yeah, you know, we got our breaking news here. Thank, thank you, Forum Wars, for finding that. And uh, uh, so, th- also, I tried calling the other number, and it just goes straight to voicemail. I don't know if you know about that. Oh, the the uh, the you're saying the Mount Charleston line? No, that's what I called just now. Oh boy! So <laughs> only the Mount Charleston line is working. 
Well, yep. That that I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna have to try that myself. So the main number. All is, right, man. Okay. Have a good show. Okay. Thank you. See you. That's why the hundreds of calls aren't coming in, Truff. <laughs> well, there were plenty coming in before somehow. I'm trying to call my own. Uh, you know, this this is me calling. No, he, he, see, I don't know what he's talking about. I, I just called the main number and it's coming through. I see, I see it coming through my, for my own number. So I'm th- thanks for the report. I'm glad that people are reporting these things to me. No, but it works. They both work. But I'm glad. It, see, this is why the Mount Charleston line is good, though, because when you can't get through, you can call the Mount Charleston line, and then that's a different line into the show. So see, Mount Charleston saved the day. All right, I want to talk about what's going on at Caesars with their total rewards program. I'm very angry, and I really am. I'm not. This isn't just feigned anger for the, for the radio show. I, I actually wake up every day and am bothered by this. Uh, here's the story. Hold on, before I start here, there's a, I have a call coming in from the nine three eight area coach. I don't even know. Caller, you are on the air. Free Kilgore. All right, thank you. Kilgore Trout, she's welcome to come back. Uh, she wasn't ousted or anything, yeah, right? That's no, kind of on her. She split, right? Yeah, she left because some information came out about her that was not uh, flattering. But the, she hadn't. She hasn't harmed anyone in the community, and I've, I've been very clear about that. That she, I have not seen that she's harmed anyone in the community, and I have not seen that she's ever ripped ever anyone off in in poker or gambling. So, uh, even if there were some uh, issues she had with the law in recent years, these were, uh, yeah. Uh, she, she can come back. She's not. Uh, she was not banned from the site, and she hasn't done anything bad here. So she's welcome to come back. And I, I actually told her this recently. I messaged her, and I told her that uh, just to let her know that she's welcome to come back anytime, and that uh, you know if she chooses not to, that's obviously fine as well. But I wanted to make that clear to her. So yeah, I, I don't have to free her. She is free. Okay, so this is the story with Caesars. I am a Caesars Seven Stars member, and what that means is they have a program called Total Rewards that there's, that's their players' club. It has four tiers: gold is the bottom, then platinum, then diamond, then seven stars. Seven stars is the top. Really, the only two worth anything are diamond and seven stars. The, the other two are pretty much crap. They had the best program for those upper two, upper two tiers as far as what you were guaranteed. They didn't necessarily have the best comps or the best offers, but as far as what you were entitled to once you made either of those two tiers was better than any other rewards program out there. That's the truth. So I've been a Seven Stars member since 2012. And I've spent some money to do it. Like, Like this year, for example, I had a bad year Attempting to reach 7-star. I did, but I, I lost uh, more money than I wanted to because I just ran badly. Uh, the previous time I did it, I ran well. So, yeah, that's gambling for you. You're actually gambling at negative expectation games to get to these levels. But they they both have perks, you know, Diamond and 7-star. Seven 7-star seven is yet to play 10 times as much to get to than, than Diamond. But they both have their sets of perks, that uh, make them the best casino rewards programs as far as what I call guaranteed benefits. Now, 
Guaranteed benefits mean that once you've reached that tier, that no matter what else you do or don't do, you have access to those benefits. Where most things in a casino are based upon your recent play. So if you stop playing for a while or you you keep staying there and don't play, they're going to stop giving you comps at most casinos. With these programs, you are guaranteed certain benefits that as long as you're a Diamond member, as long as you're a Seven Stars member, which would last until January 31st of the two following calendar years away. So let's say you earned it in any time in 2017, you would have it through January 31st, 2019. As long as you have that status you will have certain benefits that are guaranteed to you. Now, to be clear, this is not to mean that you can just have unlimited free food or unlimited suites at the hotels. It's not like that. But at the Seven Stars level, they did have a very nice benefit, and that was unlimited stays at any of their properties up to four nights for free, as long as you give them 48 hours or more notice which often they would honor anyway, even if it wasn't 48 hours notice. But to have it guaranteed, it had to be 48 hours or more notice. But no blackout periods. You could do this during New Year's or other really high season times when otherwise it would be very expensive to stay there. And it did not matter what your play history was. If you were currently a Seven Stars member, then you could do this. The only restriction was that there had to be two days in between if you did multiples. So you couldn't do... You know, 50 of these in a row and stay 200 days straight. You would have to do four days on, two days off, four days on, two days off. You know, that would be the best you could do. That was the only restriction. There had to be two days in between that you did not stay there. And when I say did not stay there, you couldn't even stay there and pay. You actually had to leave the property or you didn't have to leave physically, but you, the room could not be in your name anymore for two days before you could come back with those comp four. But that was the only restriction. And as you can imagine, that, that can be quite useful. Like during the World Series, uh, I, I used that a lot, where I would do four days on, two days off, four days on, two days off. And sometimes I didn't even need to do the two days off because I, I'd be leaving anyway. And, and I could often do the two days off by switching to other uh, hotels owned by other casino groups. So that was how I was staying in Vegas during the World Series, mostly at the Rio, for free. And uh, so that was a very useful benefit to me and to many others. And also, since they have so many properties around the country, you could take trips to other parts of the country and and have a place to stay as kind of a base to start off from and uh, explore the area. Some of these are in, in areas that there are tourist attractions. So it was very useful, that free room benefit. Well, guess what? They have quietly removed that free benefit for the rooms. And quietly is the operative word, is that very few seven stars realize this. You ask the average seven stars member, and they have no clue that this has happened. And that's on purpose. In addition, the diamond level had several tiers within it. You would make diamond once you got 15,000 tier points. But then you wouldn't be a seven star until you got 10 times as many, 150,000 tier points. So what about in between? What if you don't want to get all the way to 150,000? Is it worth it to keep playing 
And the answer was, well, kind of, because they would give you additional benefits at what was called Aspirations Level 1, which meant 40000 and Aspirations Level 2, which is 80000 So you would get these additional benefits along the way to 7 stars, and that made the trek up to 7 stars a little more palatable to those who otherwise uh, might not want to get all the way there. And that's existed for a while. So here are the changes to Diamond. The Diamond Aspirations 1 level is gone. So among other things they gave you there, uh, one of the things you would get would be a guaranteed four-night stay one time at any Caesars property with a $100 folio credit. That's gone. Aspirations number two at 80,000 tier credits, you'd get uh, a trip of a four-night stay at any Caesars property and a $750 airline credit to use to travel anywhere you want to one of their properties. That's gone. A two-night suite stay at any of their properties. That's gone, too. That's also an Aspirations 2 benefit. That's all gone. No more Aspirations 1 or 2. They're just gone. They've also changed the redemption rate of your rewards credits. You know, rewards credits are things you earn as you're playing. These are You could use them to comp yourself, basically. You would earn points, and you could spend them on property. Each reward credit is basically worth a penny on property, but you could trade them in for free play at a reduced rate. However, if you were a diamond, you could trade them in at a, instead of the reduced rate of of 2 to 1, it was only 1.75 to 1. And if you were a 7 stars uh, member, then you could change, you you could trade them in at a rate of 1.25 to 1 instead of 2 to 1. So for example, if you're a 7 stars member and you have $500 worth of rewards credits, you could trade it in for $400 of free play. Which I never did because I had use for the rewards credits, but if you didn't, or you like just getting free play for them, you could do this at a reasonable ratio where you're not really getting screwed that much on the exchange rate. Well, that's going away. Now everybody, from gold to seven stars, will be two to one. So that's also been done. Uh, and and as a, another change for seven stars, a negative change, that they have these stupid uh, signature events. They'd have these little kind of parties there at... Uh, one of four different locations of Atlantic City, Las Vegas, New Orleans, and Lake Tahoe. Uh, For whatever reason, even though these events are kind of lame, uh, now the Lake Tahoe one and New Orleans ones are only for seven stars with 500,000 tier credits or more. If you have 150K through 499,000, you don't qualify. (laughs) Which is so stupid because it costs them so so little to have you attend these. Like, I don't know why they would even do away with that, but that was done as an extra kick in the ass. But the real big problem here, the real thing that is the issue that is so disturbing is the whole thing about the removal of the free room. That, that's the biggest change for the seven stars. Now, you may say, okay, well, when does this begin? You may want to know. This begins February 1st, 2018. You may say back, well, okay, well, why don't you just book a bunch of rooms in advance before that date? Nope, that will not work. When I say February 1st, I mean any stay that encompasses February 1st or after, you can no longer get these rooms comped. So I can't call today and say, yeah, I'd like to book a four-night reservation from uh, March 27th to 31st. Nope, can't do that. That's after February 1st. So that's when this begins. And then you may say to me, well, okay, well, this is 2018. 
So if you don't like it, don't earn it again. Don't don't become a seven stars again in 2018. Just uh, quit playing their video poker and be done with it. And you know they they can change their program however they want. Yes, but there's a little problem. Recall that I said that whenever you earn your status, it is good for the current calendar year and the entire next calendar year and one month of the following calendar year. So, for example, anything earned in 2017, you have that status until 2019, January 31st. There's a reason for that, and that is if people were to earn their status towards the end of the year, let's say someone just earned their status today on December 27th, they'd be very disappointed if this lasted all of four days and then they, it expired for January thir- you know, by, on January 1st. So in order to give people time to enjoy the status they've earned, they give them the entire next calendar year and one more month after that. So everybody gets at least, the, uh, at least 13 months, which they still do. But the problem is that whoever earns these statuses understands this and they know that they basically have it for as much as two years. It's basically like a two-year program. And when they change something on the fly like that with no warning, everybody who earned seven stars in 2017 expecting those benefits to basically be the same. They, they change little things here and there, but expecting them basically to be the same for the next, you know, this year and next year, when it turns out next year is severely degraded, that is a bait and switch. And if this sounds like a familiar story, this is exactly what poker stars did with their supernova elites where they also had like a two-year program and also abruptly announced a change that very negatively affected players who had earned it, who said, I wouldn't have earned this in the first place if I knew you are going to change it in the middle. So that is what has happened to me. I earned it and actually lost a lot of money earning it at the beginning of 2017 just from bad luck, believing I had it for two years. So that was a consolation to me. Okay, I, I ran badly. I lost a lot more than expectation earning it, but I get it for two years and I do get a lot out of the program. I get every benefit you can imagine, as you can probably guess. I, anything available to me, I pretty much take. So multiply that by two years, yeah, I, I, you know, I recover a good deal of that back. No. Can't recover much back next year because of the free room benefit being gone, which was very valuable to me. So this is very, very frustrating. Now, had they announced this and said that this is going to take place starting next year, then fine. Then I would understand that. I'd say, okay, this is your program now. It's degraded. I kind of wish it wasn't, but okay, you guys can offer the program you want, and I, it's my decision as a customer to see if I want to earn that status based upon what you're currently offering. But th- that wasn't it. I earned this believing I would have this for two years. Now, is there a guarantee? Did they ever guarantee me it'll stay the same? No. They've always had in their terms, and I understood, that it could change. But it's a crappy thing to do to change it so drastically in the middle. Now, you may ask, does that mean that nobody's ever going to get comped at Caesars Properties? That couldn't seem right. I mean, isn't seven stars the highest tier? How come you don't qualify anyway? Shouldn't you get comped rooms anyway if you made seven stars? Well, the answer is no. The thing with the Seven Stars program that is different, that contradicts all other reward programs, and even contradicts Caesar's own internal system and how it generates comps, is that you have guaranteed benefits for as much as two years, regardless of how little you play once you earn it. And that's the way the program works. This is not exploiting the program. It's not, it's not pulling a trick. It's not, uh, you know, it, it, it's just the way the program works, that once you've earned it, you get those benefits. That's the way it works. That's the way it's always worked. 
So a lot of people realize that once they get to 150,000 tier credits that they're really not earning very much anymore. And even people who are not advantage players or ones who try to work the system, they get to 150,000 tiers and go, okay, I'm a seven stars now. Okay, well, you know, I like gambling, but uh, maybe I should just move most of my action over to MGM where there's like ongoing rewards or where they give better comps or whatever. So like you know, people start to slow down their play at Caesars Properties. And when I say people, again, I'm not talking about advantage players or people trying to work the system. I'm talking about the average gambler will often slow down his play once he's earned the seven-star status at 150,000 tiers, knowing that he can always still stay there for free. Well, that's gone. So what's going to happen here is that people who've done this, or who will do this in 2018, will get a very rude surprise when it comes time to book comp rooms again that they don't qualify anymore. But the worst part of all this is how they chose to hide it to where hardly anyone knows about it. You would think such a major change they would inform you of. And by the way, they do inform people of negative major changes. For example, uh, um, I I forgot to include this on my list uh, because they had announced this earlier, but they they also changed the diamond lounges to where people who only have 50,000 tier points can no longer come at diamond lounges without paying $10 in rewards credits to do so. So that's something else they changed for 2018. But they were at least upfront about that. They sent an email to every single Diamond member informing them that this is the case. So you know, I mean, it's, it's still a bait and switch in the middle, but at least they told people about it. At least they were clear about it. It, it was a crappy thing to do, but at least they told people. And they even told people about the... Uh, actually, the, let, me, let me read you it so, so you can understand this. This is just... Unbelievable. It's, uh, I'm going to read this exact email they sent out to the Diamond Seven Stars members. So this is the Diamonds. They sent out this. We want our valuable guests to be the first to hear about the 2018 Total Reward Diamond Benefits. No resort fees on any hotel stay, $100 celebration dinner, complimentary valet and self-parking, uh, access to Diamond Lounges, but then they have the last risk about the you need 25,000 tiers. Uh, priority lines... Uh, turn rewards credits at free play at a rate of $1 for every 200 reward credits. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So they did mention the rewards credits thing, but they didn't bother to tell you it changed negatively. But at least they mentioned it. But notice they didn't say anything about the aspirations. That's just gone. You had to figure this out yourself. They didn't say, hey, by the way, if you earn 40000 or 80000 what you used to get, we've taken it away. That, that doesn't exist anymore. Please be aware. No, it, it's just... They just don't mention it. They say, here's your benefits and list them. They just omit that. That's already sneaky. With seven stars, this is what they listed. Uh, annual retreat to any property, uh, you know, with $1,200 round trip airfare and $500 dining folio. Uh, $500 worth of uh, $100 vouchers for food. No resort fees on any hotel stay. Uh, access to diamond and seven star lounges. Complimentary parking, uh, turn reward credits at a rate of uh, 200 reward credits per dollar, blah, blah, blah. So they mentioned nothing in this email about the room thing going away. All they said was no resort fees on any hotel stay. But they didn't say that... Um, they, they didn't say that you can't stay for free anymore. They did not mention that. 
Furthermore, interestingly, in the Seven Stars email, they actually said Aspirations will no longer be available in 2018, but they didn't tell the Diamonds. They only told the Seven Stars. Isn't that funny? If you're a Diamond, you didn't get that notification. If you're a Seven Stars, then they're telling you. But they just omitted that they omitted this, and it was so confusing to everybody that even experts on the total rewards program, such as myself and such as uh, the guy who runs sevenstarsinsider.com, uh, everybody was confused by it. No, no one was totally convinced this was really going away, though we were suspicious. So sure enough, yeah, it turns out it's going away. So the average person is going to read this, and it's going to go, yeah, blah, 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 okay, yeah, it kind of seems like it's the same as last year. But it's not. So people are not going to realize this until they re-earn seven stars and then try to use the, the comp room benefit and then we're going to find out it's not there. And the reason they'll find out it's not there is because, you know, they'll get to 150000 they'll, they'll lighten their play, they'll start staying without playing, and then, whereas before you could still stay for free, they'll try to book a room during some, you know, higher profile weekend and be told that it's going to be a rate and they're going to get furious. So... This is really bad, and the reason Caesars did it, by the way, is to get rid of people like me. They want to get rid of the seven stars grinders, the ones who earn the minimum to become seven stars, and then really utilize all the benefits, especially the room thing. So it's kind of like a soft way to push out people like me, which is fine. They can do that, but at least don't do it in the middle, and at least if you're doing it, be honest about it. Now, I called up. Just to make sure, because you know this did not definitively say it's going away. I called up to make sure. And I got someone on the other end, Total Rewards, and I said, is it true that you guys are removing the free room benefit for 2018? And at first she said yes, but then she qualified it with, but it's pretty much the same. The only thing different is before... Uh, you could do it pretty much at the last minute and always get a room. Uh, now you have to give substantial notice to get the comp room. And I said, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. That's not, I didn't see anything about that. I said, so you're telling me if I book two months in advance, I'm guaranteed a comp room? And she said, no. <laughs> so it was just an outright lie. So then I said, well, wait a minute. The, so like we went back and forth, back and forth, and I had to slowly drag out of her the truth that it really is, they're just taking it away. But they, they basically told the employees there to break it to people softly because some of them are going to qualify for free rooms anyway based upon the fact that they play a lot every time they stay there. So don't make these people panic. So just basically tell everyone it's pretty close to the same and then just let the people who don't play as much find out the bad news later. That, that's basically what they told the employees to say. That's why they tell me things like, oh, it's, it's, it's pretty close to before. You just can't always get it at the last minute. But it's, it's pretty similar. You, you'll probably qualify anyway by your play you know, if you're a seven-star. They, they said things like that. But then when I really broke it down, for, you know, she, she slowly led on to the fact that I was right and that it's really just gone. So, And it's been verified by other people it's gone. So I'm pissed. And... Uh, I, I can guarantee you this is pretty much the end of my tenure as a seven star. I, I'm going to have it anyway for 2018, but that's it. And honestly, this is going to take away some of my desire to play the World Series in future years because if I have to start paying these expensive rates to stay at the crappy Rio, especially during weekends when other things are going on, like the Electric Daisy Carnival, like it's going to just start not being worth it to me. One of the, one of the things I liked about the World Series 
was that I could go there and I had very few expenses aside from the tournaments I would play. That I was I was eating for free with my rewards credits. I was staying for free with my seven stars benefit and other comps I had. Like I, I was able to keep the expenses very low. And that that's really a big drag on tournament players is all the expenses. Here I was able to avoid all that. So it, it's very frustrating. And I, I, I don't I'm not feeling entitled. I don't feel they owe me anything. I, I just feel that if they've got a two year program, don't drastically change it in the middle. Okay, I've, I've ranted enough on this. Here's a text I got from the 505. Saw Molly's Game, which is the movie about Molly Bloom and her private poker games in New York. Pretty solid movie, not much poker, only a few cringeworthy scenes. I'd be happy to call in for a review. Yeah, that, that came out. I'd like to hear that. Yeah, if you want to call in. Uh, this guy knows the number. He, he texted that number. Yeah, go ahead and call in. 775-372-8355. You can give your uh, Molly's Game review. I haven't seen it yet. I, I do have interest in seeing it. But not as much interest as as some people might have had because it's it's not really a poker movie, as he said. And it seems like it's something that's presenting her in a, a way that she probably really wasn't in reality. So it may be an interesting movie. Like, it may be a well-done movie. And I've heard so far pretty good things about it. So, okay, here, here he's calling in here. Let me take the call. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, hey how's it going? All right, so, so you saw Molly's... Uh, Molly's room. So, what was the uh, what's the review you want to give us? Um, I mean, for it, it's actually a pretty good overall movie. There actually isn't all that much poker in it, but it's got some funny scenes, I guess. It's got some. I mean, the cringeworthy parts are just basically anytime she's discussing technical terms in poker. Um, you'll you'll kind of know what I mean. Um, but I mean, overall, it seemed pretty close as far as following the actual story. And, and I mean, it reveals some things like assuming her backstory wasn't made up. It actually shows. I mean, she had some. She had like a pretty extraordinary life before she started, you know, dealing or hosting games and whatnot. Now, here's a question uh, for Michael Sierra. Oh, oh, go ahead. Here's a question for you. Do you think that the movie was kind of framed to portray her as a more positive character than she really was in real life? Yeah, for sure, because actually the the girl they have act her, I mean, she's beautiful. Like, you can definitely see the whole aura of, like, wanting to smash the host of the poker game. And you can kind of see the issue between the male players and... But, I mean, they definitely made her seem like she was just a lamb and, you know, just so innocent, like, housewife-type host. They do mention some drug abuse. I'm not sure how accurate that is and everything, but... But, yeah, I mean, I mean overall, like, as far as sentencing-wise, you kind of feel like she did nothing wrong, and it wouldn't really... If, you know, if Ray Batar didn't get any time then, you know, she definitely didn't deserve any. Um, I mean, it's actually, it's also a pretty good movie just for anyone who doesn't even really understand poker. 
they I mean I thought maybe two and a half, two hours and twenty minutes is kind of nuts. They probably could have shaved like forty minutes off, but it it's actually worth seeing. Like I I'll probably see it again. I think it's going to do well as far as um, the release date because there was nothing else. Everything was sold out that day, and it was kind of a limited release. I had to go to the South Point to go see it because um, the Town Center one was sold out. Um, but, yeah, it's not a bad movie. It's actually – it'd be worth going out of your way to hit the theater for. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe I will go see it. Uh, I always have the issue – of what to do with Benjamin with things like this. That's why I don't go to movies much anymore because I can't take Benjamin's mom. Like always one of us has to watch Benjamin and, and we really, he, he really has not been with babysitters ever. Like uh, he's, he's been with, uh, yeah, occasionally he's been with his grandparents or something while we go do something. But, but uh, it's not that common that both of us are just go out alone. Like we're pretty uncommon without him being there. So uh, that, that's been kind of the hindrance for me to go do something like this. But I, I, I think she would probably have an interest in seeing this, and so uh, maybe I will try to see this. And uh, I've heard gen- general good things about the movie, and you know, and it can be a good movie even if it's not that much about poker, or even even if it isn't 100 percent accurate. So it can just be a good movie in the story it, it tells itself. So uh, it's, it sounds like you enjoyed it. You're going to see it again. So I, I probably will make an effort to go see this and give my reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, I. I definitely want to look more into her own personal history just to see how much may have been embellished. But the most interesting part was just her family history and just how she was as a person. But I mean, that Sorgenson guy, like he did a pretty good job as far as making a movie from nothing. I mean, there's not much concept. I mean, it should be like a 15 minute movie based on what happened, but he does a good job as far as keeping your interested based on nothing, really. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, it's good that they, yeah, you're saying they took a subject matter that wasn't very deep and somehow extended it into a, a fairly long movie, and, and and it held your interest. So I guess that's a pretty good job for them on that part. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, uh, thanks for the little review here, and you actually have convinced me to probably make an effort to go see it. Yeah, cool. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Uh, take it easy. All right. Trader Ruski, right. take it easy. All right. Talk you to too, later. brother. Have a happy New Year. You too. By the way, for those of you that don't know, that's that's one of our uh, black listeners. That That is one of our, our two regular black listeners. We may have more, but the two I know about. This is one of them. Um, here is... A question I got from someone through a private message. Um, say someone pays someone else to grind to get to seven stars using their card. Their card meaning their player's card. Would that person still be able to collect the jackpot? And I'll explain what he means by that. Or, or I can see how the house would 86 or penalize both. But do you know what the gaming rules are? As long as they're putting in money from their own pockets or using... Uh, so so anyway. Um we, this person basically wants to know, and this is a common question, that if you give your player's card to somebody else who's going to gamble anyway, and let's say they already have the status that they want and they don't need to get any hired, and they're like, hey, I'll do you a favor, give me your card, and I'll run credits on your card next time I play. And this way you'll get a good status too. So he's basically asking, 
uh, a few things. Number one, if someone was caught doing this, would the casino kick one or both players out of the casino to where they can never come back there? And number two, if a jackpot is hit, what I mean by jackpot, I don't mean like a massive jackpot like Mega Millions. I mean like a jackpot on a machine is anything $1,200 or more, which means it's a hand pay. They actually, the machine locks up and a, an attendant has to come over, gets your ID, and uh, issues you a, a tax form, and then hands you the money in cash. And that's, that's federal law that they have to do that. So he's saying if you hit a hand pay like that of 1200 or more use, while you're playing on someone else's card, what will happen? And is there any law that uh, that gaming ha- Nevada gaming has? Well, I don't know for sure what Nevada gaming law is, but it's really up to the individual casino. Now you cannot get a jackpot in somebody else's name, but you can uh, say sorry. You know this. Uh, um, you know someone else was. This is somebody else's player's card, or this person was with me before and they left, or they I grabbed the wrong player's card. We're both staying in the same room. Whatever you 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 can. It's up to them what they want to do about it at that point. They would not issue a tax form to that other person. They'd issue it to you. You would show your ID, and provided that's really you and you're giving your own ID, then you, you have then satisfied the federal requirements for, for the hand pay. What the casino wants to do as far as the way you're treating their rewards program is up to them. They can kick you out. They can kick you and the other player out. Even if they're not present, they can ban them. So the next time they come in, they'll be kicked. Uh, and the reason they could do this is because it could be considered abuse of their rewards program because you know the rewards program is based upon what each player is doing. They want to reward each person based upon how they are playing, not how somebody else playing for them is playing. So some casinos would consider that manipulation of their system and kick one or both players out. But surprisingly, this isn't very common. Surprisingly, there's little consequence for this in most cases. Now, don't take my word for it. Don't, don't do this yourself and then get mad at me when you get kicked out of the casino. But I'm just telling you from what I have been made to understand from those that have done it, that they're, the, the thing is that the people involved here who catch this don't care all that much. They They... This is not something they really worry about too much. There, there's so many different departments of these casinos that, that they offer. The, the ones doing the hand pay, all they usually care about is just that uh, they're paying the right person and, and, and adhering to the law. And then, of course, you know, tipping them for, you know, decently if this happens is, is a way to have them look the other way. And, you know, and even the hosts, they the, – the hosts – they only care about their commission. They don't really care who's running the you – know, they're happy to have you run uh, – your friend's card, if they're going to get action for what your friend is doing, you know, if, if they get if they get something out of it, then they don't care who's running that card. So that's why often those that find out about it at casinos, you know, I'm talking about the employees, will often look the other way and not care. And it's it's kind of become something that's common. You know, the husband runs his wife's card. Uh, someone runs their best friend's card. Someone runs their father's card, their brother's card. These are semi-common practices. You're, you may think you're pulling a fast one and, and barely anyone's thought of this. No, everyone's thought of this. Like This is done all the time. And yet I, I really have not heard of any cases. I'm not saying it's never happened, but I haven't heard of any cases where, where people were 86 for doing this. So at least currently, 
I believe it's fairly safe to do this, but at the same time, it's smart if you're going to do this to play a machine that's not as likely to hit one of these jackpots. So play lower limits or play you know, like what some people like to do is do a multiplay machine at lower limits. So you're still running a lot of coin in, but it's at a much lower limit. So you'd have to hit something really big to to trigger it. So you, there's there's things like that to at least somewhat avoid that $1,200 threshold. And Drop, let me ask you a question. So I agree with your last scenario. Oh, I grabbed my friend's card, roommates or whatever. Would you recommend doing that or the minute you hit it, just yanking his or her card and putting yours in? Um, here's the problem is putting yours in is not going to help much because it will it will lock that up and it will not let you uh, – it will not – I don't believe it will – Well, no, but because then when the lady comes, she's going to grab the card out of the thing. Oh, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Here's the money. I'm going to get the cash for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. In other words, yeah, right? I know what so you're if saying. you have your friend's card in there. What, what I would do is either do nothing and then just um, say, oh, shit, I, yeah, my friend, I'm as a grab this card. Right, grab the wrong card. Or, I think, yeah. Or, or, or just pull it completely and, and, uh, and then just when they come, just – uh, give them the uh, if they ask you, you know, give me your player's card, then give them yours. And if they and if they uh, just want your ID, then just give them the ID. But uh, and if they and if they do ask you why did you pull that card, then say that um, you know when this happened, you uh, you, you, you right, it was, the, it was right then you realized that that wasn't your card. That you uh, like you, you pulled it to make sure that you would grab the right card. Oh no, crap! I grabbed the wrong card. Uh, yeah, uh, well, it could be what you say if they say, "Hey, why did you pull that?" As soon as you hit that. So, yeah, that's probably the best thing. So that's uh, th- yeah. There, yes, it can be an uncomfortable situation, but it, it sounds like something where they're going to like say, "Oh, you were doing something bad here. We're kicking you out. You're never coming back." Or you could even like if you know, like fear they're going to take you to jail for some kind of fraud. It never happens. Uh, I've, I've never. I don't know one person who actually got eighty six from a casino for doing this. It would sound like you should, but 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 uh, for some reason they don't care about that very much. Uh, partially because you're just, you're still just putting in action. It, it, you're, you're manipulating the rewards program a bit, but they you're still putting in action. So, um, for some reason they don't care about this as much. And again, I think this is mainly because the people who find out about it are not the ones who are more likely to care. Every, everybody's got their own goal. As a, each employee at a casino has their own goal. I'm not even kidding. Like it, they've got their own objectives that they have to meet as a casino employee to be considered to be doing a good job, and that's what most of them focus upon. So most of them. Right. Don't... So I guess sorry to catch off track, but I guess the big. So I guess the big question is. When you hit the jackpot, is it being registered somewhere? Player number, blah, 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 blah. Just hit a jackpot. Go pay him. Then it's not that person, someone else. Yeah, see, I don't know or that. Or would that not even be, I guess you don't know that, right? Okay, because I think that's the only issue. Yeah, I don't know that. And it may vary from casino to casino with how their their system works. So, I, I yeah, I don't know... Yeah, I mean, that. my thing would be give the person an extra twenty, forty bucks than you normally would. Right, right. You, you and then I'm sure they're not going to be. Uh, they'll want to keep you there as long as possible. Yes, yes. And 
And, and of course, it, once you've used that excuse and you hit it, then it's probably better to leave at that point if you're going to keep continue playing on that person's card. Like the, the excuse only goes so far. Like if if they question it, if they don't question it, if they just pay you and say like you know let, let, let's say you hit it on the other person's card, and you just pull the card and they say players club card please, and you hand them yours, and then. Uh, you know, then they say nothing. Then yeah, maybe you can continue playing. But if they if they question you about it, then you can't really then put your friend's card back in. Then what are you going to say the second time? So that that that's the problem. But yeah, through all that, I, I haven't really heard of anybody that. Uh, and especially if it's your wife's, you're much better off. If it's your wife, your husband's, you're you're much better off with that than like some stranger who's not related to you because that really happens all the time where where uh, a wife plays the husband's card or vice versa. So I w- that I'd especially not worry about. And uh, um, something else you can do, if, if, if it is a husband-wife thing or even a two-friends thing, if you really are physically together and you're worried about it, uh, have the person come down and sit with you for five minutes at the beginning. And, th- and then say, you know, we were playing together uh, and, uh, and then this person left and we, we never switched cards. Yeah, I never took their card out. But you know, the person was once here. Now, they, it's possible the card you're running, the person's not present. But if you're really worried about this, that's another thing you can do is actually have the person with you at the beginning and then have them leave and make it some excuse. Okay, you know, they had to go do some, whatever, and uh, I just kept playing. We never switched the card. So I, I, the thing is, people are just not going to care that much in most casinos. But it's a good question, though. So I don't think we've ever discussed that on the show. So. All right. Uh Let's go to the next topic. Rob Gordetsky. Talk about his story. This is a guy I had not heard of until this week when I saw the article posted uh, on Twitter and I, I was led to it. And it was, uh, it was amusing to say the least. Yeah, it is, the chat room just kicked me out completely. I love how I got kicked out of my own chat room during the show. That's, that's always lovely. Yeah, I was going to say, this Dan Druff guy keeps going in and out. Yeah, maybe I should ban him. <laughs> okay, I, I, think, I think I'm back here without further problems. So, so here's, here's the story with this uh, Gorodesky uh, guy. And it's, it's actually... It's actually a pretty ridiculous story, and I don't know if USA Today was fooled by him or if they were just covering it kind of at face value and let the reader decide, but I love how the article starts, too. I love the very first sentence of the article. It starts with, a fat Jewish kid from Chicago. This is really what it says: a fat Jewish kid from Chicago, and then it says by his own account. So they're just they're just trying to make sure that they're showing you that they're not being anti-Semitic here. But he doesn't look that fat in the picture. That's the funny thing. Uh, Robert Gorodetsky is also a 25-year-old college dropout who has emerged as one of the most compelling and controversial, albeit largely unknown, figures in sports. He wears a black cap with a. <laughs> Sports, yeah. really? Well, I think they mean sports betting. He wears a black cap with letter with letters that spell gambler, but that's without an E. G A M B L R. And like his personal logo with the missing E suggests, Gorodesky is no ordinary betting man. 
sitting courtside at NBA games and behind home plate at Major League Baseball games, canoodling with beautiful women, including a former Miss Utah and Miss California, sharing photos of himself with athletes such as Odell Beckham Jr. and celebrities such as Drake, using gut instinct to bet upwards of $100,000 on games, winning and losing millions of dollars in what he calls Big Rob style. In seven days of being shadowed by USA Today Sports in October and November, Gorodetsky wagered well over $1 million. I missed the opportunity to play that sound effect. On a range of sporting events and tens of thousands of dollars on more, more on blackjack and roulette. He bets upwards of 350000 on NFL Sundays, $100,000 on Major League Baseball games, and tens of thousands of dollars on the NBA, WNBA, tennis, soccer, and high school sports. Even on smoking hot women, smoking hot, they put in quotes, who Gorodesky calls dimes. You see this girl, right? Gorodesky said. We'll set a line like Vegas does. Can you get her or not? So this, this is supposedly a guy who bets on everything. His, uh, his, he has an Instagram, which is uh, Big Rob Style. And he acknowledges that while he posts large winning sports tickets on there that he rarely posts losing tickets and his justification if you have a hot wife you're going to show her off right if she's ugly she's staying at home you know what i'm saying so anyway the article goes on for a while now they show a picture of him and (laughs) he's wearing a a hoodie which uh it, it says supreme on it now i i was told the article says it's a Louis Vuitton hoodie that costs six thousand dollars. You move this to a six thousand dollar hoodie. Someone else claimed that's not a Louis Vuitton hoodie. I, I don't know. It does say Supreme on it, but I, and I don't know what Supreme is. I'm probably too old to know this stuff. But he's wearing a six thousand dollar hoodie. Supposedly, he claims he's wearing this gambler hat. And then the most amusing thing about the picture that you can see on this USA Today article is that he's actually holding a large portrait of himself. <laughs> and, and it's him wearing the same clothes and the same hat. So it's basically him wearing exactly the way he's portrayed in this portrait that he had someone paint of him. <laughs> so, uh, so the article goes on to explain how he's just basically firing on large you know, large amounts on sporting events that he admits that he does not know much about. He fired on uh, something large, on a, like $100,000 on a co- college football game, and he wrote, I can't name one fucking player on the field. I can't name a quarterback. I can't name anybody. And then he says, can you believe we have $100,000 in this stupid college game that no one's watching in the world? It's sick, right? And this was a, the Colorado State-New Mexico football game on October 20th. He did that as a parlay along with the Washington Wizards to beat uh, the Detroit Pistons. So this is on October 20th. So, so basically he just, what he calls through gut instinct – firing six figures sometimes on sports and claims that this is how he's been making all this money to live so large. And he lives a very, very extravagant lifestyle. He, as he mentioned, he sits courtside at at NBA games, uh, buys very expensive clothes, uh, bought a watch, which he said 
he didn't even know what price it was. He, it was a forty-seven thousand dollars watch, which he he thought was thirty-seven thousand, but it turned out to be forty-seven because he didn't really look at the price when paying for it. So th- this is what this guy does, and he claims he made all this money through this crazy sports betting of of uh, all this money. Now you may say, okay, you know, someone has to get lucky. Maybe this is just a guy on a, on a superheater. Maybe this is a guy who's just guessing on what side he wants in these games and is betting large sums of money and just keeps winning because he's getting lucky. As I mentioned earlier when talking about my own NBA betting, when you're betting sides, because there's a point spread involved, it's supposed to be like a 50-50 proposition. So, you know, for example, on this Lakers game I bet on today, which was Lakers minus 3.5, this meant if the Lakers won by 4 or more, I would win the bet. If they lost or won by three or fewer, then I would lose the bet. And the reason that point spread is there is to, if one team seems favored over the other to win, this this is what neutralizes it. So basically, whatever side you pick, it's supposed to be pretty much a 50-50 proposition. And if you were to just randomly select sides like this based on the point spread without knowing anything or even flipping coins to do it, in the long run, you're supposed to come out 50-50. It won't be exactly that because of variance, but that's that, that's it's just like flipping a coin, supposedly. So he is. Uh, so you might think, okay, maybe he just happens to be falling on the right side of these things enough, and he's be- betting big enough that to where he happens to be way ahead at the moment, and you know, you know soon enough, variance will catch up, and he's going to lose. But he claims he's been doing this for four years, and that he's making a lot of bets. Now, off the top of your head, Trader Ruski. Since we're talking about how it's like coin flipping, mm-hmm. if you were to flip a coin 100 times, uh, how what do you think the percent chance is that you would get 60 heads or more? So it can be 60 or more than 60 uh, out of 100. Well, I, I was flipping coins with this black guy in the hallway at the Bellagio. <laughs> He seemed to hit 65, 70%. I couldn't believe it. Might, might he have later been on a, a hover round around the World Series? <laughs> yeah, he was on his razor, or what's it called? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but, uh, but yeah, what, what do you, like 60%, getting 60 out of 100, out of exactly 100 flips. Yeah, 60 or, 60 you can get more. 60 out of 100, then the next 100, you're getting 40 out of 60. But, but I'm asking you, just to guess, out of... If you flip 100 times, what are the chances you will get 60 or more hits? Any guess? Oops, sorry. Um, I don't know. If this is my, what is it? Six? Is it 40%? Yeah. Would you believe it's 2.8%? Really? Yes. So wow. that so that shows you that I I, di- I didn't know this either. I I found this out very recently when analyzing my own record. I always thought that sixty out of a hundred that that seems to me so easy to get if if the coin happens to fall <coughs> one way more than the other. Uh, that would seem like to me now. Yes, you would never maintain that in the long run on a coin that that isn't uh, messed up in some way. But I would think on one trial of a hundred flips to get sixty, that would happen every so often. Like I would think that would happen at least one out of every ten times. No, uh, now, uh, now we're not talking about either way. We're not saying heads or tails sixty or more times. We're saying just heads or just tails. You, you pick beforehand. What are the chances I would get just heads sixty or more times? It's it's two point eight percent. So that is the reason 
that sports betting on these on these sides where it's supposed to be a, a pretty much a 50-50 proposition, that's why it is so hard to even maintain a 60% win rate after not that many bets. That's why, and I'm not trying to brag here, but that's why after my 150 or so picks to have a 61% record is, is, it's, uh, is very good so far because uh, you, know, you see how hard that is to do. So let's go back to this guy. For four years, he's been regularly sports betting. And he claimed in the article that he has won between 60 and 65% of his picks. <laughs> and he's doing this not through any kind of research or system. He, he's just, he's just kind of guessing. He just gut instinct, as he says. He said, people are always like, what's the secret? I'm like, there is no secret. It's hard work. It's luck. It's odds. It's probability. It's not a magic show. It's not Copperfield. Uh, so... But, but he does not say that uh, well, he says hard, it's hard work. He doesn't describe that hard work. He's not saying I do research on the games. In fact, he even admitted on that college game that he did that parlay that he didn't know a single player on the field. Uh, now, there are other ways to make bets that you can sometimes bet based upon observing the action of others and then either mimic them or go against them. There, there's, there are ways to bet on something without knowing that much about the game itself, just basically doing what others are doing or doing the opposite of what others are doing. There are strategies like that. Some of them are valid or semi-valid, but he's not even saying he does that. He's just saying he does it. Also, parlays. Parlays, for those of you that don't know, are a type of bet where you have to bet on several things and two or more things, and they have to all win for you to win the bet. Now, they pay very well because they have that condition. But like, like take a five-team parlay. You would have to bet on five teams, and all five would have to win. So if you go 4-1, and one, you lose the bet. 4-1 and one is the same as 0-5. You have to go 5-0 and oh to collect the bet. People, got, people like parlays because if they get way in the hole, this can get them out of it. If you get way in the hole betting sides just individually, you'd have to win a whole lot in a row to get yourself out of the hole. A parlay, just in one shot, you can get them all if you happen to get all five right. So, so degenerate gamblers love parlays. However, parlays often have a high house juice on them to where they are not worth doing. And so when you see – and now there are, there are some strategies to doing parlays. Like, uh, for example, there, there have been some winning sports bettors who bet what I call related parlays to where it's, it, it parlays are the same game. So someone will do the, the total and the under. So if the reason they're – so, for example, let's, say, let's take a, an NBA game and they're, they're betting on uh, – you know, on, on Washington versus Detroit. And they think the reason that they're actually picking Washington is because they think Detroit is going to score very few points. Well, then they say, well, okay, since Detroit's going to score very few points, I also want the under in this game, the under of, of the total points scored in the game. So then they parlay them both, and, and that's a way to make extra money if they both hit. If, the same, if you're doing it for the same reason, then, then sometimes it, it can be worth it to parlay together for the same game. But that, that's the exception. But parlaying two separate things, you know, a Washington uh, something basketball game and, and a college football game, those have no relation. That's just a sign of a degenerate. But you could say, okay, maybe he's a degenerate, but he knows what he's doing, which can be, you know, you can have that. But he's admitted. He doesn't, he doesn't know the players in the game. He just kind of fires. So then the question is, okay, the guy's 25. Where'd the money come from if, if he didn't win it this way? If he's not winning it from sports betting, how is he winning it? Now, he does have some association with poker. If you look, look him up, 
this Rob Gordeski, you do see six caches, which isn't a whole lot, but he has six lifetime caches, including one two years ago at the PokerStars Caribbean Adventure, where he played the 25K buy-in high roller event and finished 10th for 98K. So 98K sounds like a huge cash, but of course he entered for 25K, so it wasn't that big. And there are not that many people in it, but he finished 10th in that, and he's had five other caches. He claims to play in private games, including one one run by Donald Sterling's wife, of all people. But still, where did the guy come up with the money in the first place? He's not a known high-stakes cash player. He's not someone who's known to be crushing poker. In fact, he's really not known in poker. So it's not that. So nobody knows, but I suspect that he comes from family money. And this has been something that's been going on for decades in Vegas, where people who seem to be betting large sums of money on sports and claim that they are betting these large sums because they've been winning so much and they're professional sports bettors, and that's why they're firing 30K a game, 50K a game, 100K a game, when in reality they're just compulsive gamblers who have money from other sources. But they like the status especially if they inherited the money. That's, that's well, didn't he say at the beginning of the article, draft the lifestyle? Or what, what was it? He says, they said something about that. What, what about the lifestyle? No, that it's his life. This is the lifestyle of a high-stakes gambler. So yeah. he's trying to, like, you know, show, oh, he has this high-end lifestyle because he's such a successful right. better. Meanwhile, he's just pissing away all the family money and right. posting the tickets of the one every four he wins. Right, right. And that's... And that's see. Some people love to do that because it's not very glamorous to say, hey, my, my parents are really rich and, and they just give me tons of money and and I, I'm betting compulsively large sums of money on games I know nothing about. Then you kind of look like a fool uh, and you didn't even earn the money yourself. But here, if, if you're betting these large sums of money because you say you've won this, you've won the money from sports betting that uh, allowed you to bet this way now. You've won so much, now you can bet this much, and, and you make even more money. Then you can start looking real glamorous, and people can start to respect you, and people can start to buy into the lie that you're selling. And when I say selling, I don't mean he's scamming people. I mean just the image he's trying to project, as Trader Ruski mentioned. He wants people to admire him and look up to him and, uh, and see him as, as a sports betting genius that the casinos can't beat. Now... In the article, they're quoting a casino host of his. And by the way, it also mentions he plays uh, other you know, negative expectation casino games for high stakes, which again is the sign of a, of a losing gambler. But they, they quote this casino host who's, who's defending him, saying that he's a winner and stuff like that. The, the way the casino host was fawning over this guy, it's very clear that he wants the guy to just keep firing and make commission off of him. So the casino host will say that, anything. That's hilarious. Once he gets, oh, no, he's losing. You know, this guy's probably tipping him so much, he's making a fortune off this guy. Yeah. What's funny, though, is this casino host did acknowledge that uh, he's lost over a million dollars in a single day at Blackjack. He said, it says, when it comes to the Blackjack tables, Gordeski has lost as much as $1.1 million, according to Tran, that's his casino host, uh, uh, and and Gordeski proudly acknowledged it, so he probably wanted to show he makes so much money he can you know, even lose this at blackjack and not bat an eye. And so this this is uh, and, and not only that, but when they were keep in mind, USA Today was tailing him for a week, and they watched him sweating the games that he was betting on, like a hundred thousand. 
And he really was like getting stressed out. He was pacing. He was literally sweating. Uh, he, he was looking very nervous on one of these games that was close. And then when he ended up getting kind of a lucky win, he uh, then he got calm again and said, "That's game, bitch." <laughs> like, 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 yeah. You know, as if that doesn't matter. But here's the most interesting part of the story. When I mentioned that some people are buying into the lie that he's selling, the people I'm talking about are not just inconsequential people around Vegas or even poker players. I'm talking about sports celebrities, including one major sports celebrity. Football player Odell Beckham Jr. got to know Rob Gordetsky. Uh, Gordetsky claims that he met... Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. through uh, Beckham's cousin. That uh, you know, they, they both knew the cousin. So, anyway, at some high limit lounge is, is where they actually met up. He did post on his Instagram, Big Rob Style, is the name of his Instagram. He did post a picture of him and Odell Beckham Jr. standing in a hotel hallway with their arms around each other for a picture. Now, yeah, you, know, you could say maybe you know he just quickly snapped that picture because they you know he saw him in the hallway or. It could be that, but I don't think so. I think he really knew him, and I'll explain why. He claims that uh, Odell Beckham Jr. wanted to bet $20,000 on a baseball game. Basically, Beckham was impressed by Gordetsky's sports betting, quote, success, and wanted Gordetsky to bet twenty k on it for him on, on a game that Gordetsky would pick. So uh, he was supposed to send him $20,000 and get this done. Somehow it fell through at the last minute. It never happened. But Gordeski did show the text conversation to this USA Today reporter with them, uh, with, with them talking about it. So these text messages really did exist. He showed the reporter this. And, uh, and then when this got out, because... Uh, you know, he told USA Today about it. this is supposed to be a secret. Gordetsky really screwed Odell Beckham Jr. because uh, the NFL has a policy that players are not allowed to bet on any professional sporting event or even a college sporting event or an Olympic sporting event. They can't bet on any of that stuff, not just on football games. They can't bet on anything like the NBA, baseball, college sports, whatever. So even though he did not bet the 20000 because the whole thing fell through, if... Had he done so, or even had he attempted to do so, this could be a violation. So when he told USA Today this, uh, Beckham panicked about this. And uh, this is the statement that his agent made. We do not know Robert, nor can we confirm any of his statements. Which That right away is very suspicious. What do you mean we can't confirm any of his statements? It should be... Odell does not know Robert and not remember meeting him and his statements are all false. That that would be the definitive way to say it. You don't say, I can't confirm his statements. That means they could be true. We just can't confirm them. <laughs> we have confirmed with Odell that he has never placed any bets on any professional sports games. We can assure you that he has and always will continue to comply with all the NFL's rules and regulations regarding gambling activities. Notice he did not say that Odell never expressed an interest to do this or that there were never such text messages. He just said he didn't place the bets, which even Gorodetsky said is true. 
that he actually didn't place it, but he just was showing interest in doing so, and somehow it didn't happen. So, by, by the agent claiming that we don't know Robert, obviously that's a lie. Even their statement denying it is very sketchy. Uh, and then he also showed the text messages. Or sorry, he sh- he showed a, a copy of an email he got from uh, from the cousin, you know, the cousin of Odell Beckham Jr. that uh, that he knew that introduced them, and and uh, showed them how pissed off this cousin was that he revealed this to USA Today and, and was jeopardizing Odell Beckham's career, which is understandable. But he, uh, Rob Gordeski said to the USA Today, he's flipping out on me. Uh, oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I, he didn't say this to USA Today. He said this in text message back to the cousin. He said, uh, re- referring to, uh, to Odell, Beckham's, Odell Beckham being upset about this. He said, he's flipping out on me. I told them I'm denying it and I'm tracking down to see what's going on. So I wonder if that means that that he really did place the uh, the twenty thousand. He's just denying that the vet ever took place. That's to me what it kind of seems like. That uh, I told them to, that I'm denying it because he's not denying. He told USA Today that the guy showed interest in doing it, even showed text messages about it. They just he just never showed proof that the bets were actually placed. Yeah, or the cousin could be trying to free roll, uh, whatever his name is. Oh yeah, my cousin's Odell Beckham. He his credit's good. Put twenty grand on it. <laughs> if he wins, he takes the money, and if he doesn't, you know, no, I'm no, sure he'd have a tough time collecting. No, I think you're misunderstanding. He wasn't the cousin who. who it was actually Odell himself. Who, no, no, no. I got it, but that. But he wasn't talking to Odell directly. I thought he was working through the cousin. No, 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 no. He only met him through the cousin. He was talking to Odell directly. Oh, okay, got it. It's just, it's just he showed them the cousin, like, like pissed off about this in an email. That, that that he put Odell in, in this position, and then and then also they showed the te- you know, the text message with the cousin saying uh, you referring to how Odell's been flipping out on him back at the time. So okay, got it. Yeah, which is just stupid. Plus this guy talking about those numbers with the IRS and everything. I mean this this guy's just a douche. I think what what you call him? I think he had a name. yeah, a, a, a douchebag millennial degenerate. So then there's other players. Uh, their uh, L.A. Lakers rookie Kyle Kuzma got to know him somehow, and that uh, he met him at the University of Utah somehow. I, I, he must have lived in Utah or something. He mentioned how he mentioned a, how he dated a Miss Utah, but he met him at the University of Utah last year, and he said of Kyle Kuzma, he'll always secretly be like, "Who do you got? You know what I'm saying." But he says, that, but it's a, like a dark subject because he's like playing the game and he doesn't want it to talk about gambling. You know what I'm saying? So he said that uh, he actually never gambled with Kuzma, but that he was giving picks to Kyle Kuzma, who was then gambling on sports. There was like a, a kind of a, a message like, who do you got? You know what I'm saying? Without directly asking for sports picks. And then Kuzma would go bet himself. So what did Kyle Kuzma's agent or spokesman say about this well his agent said that he has no comment and that Kyle Kuzma would have no comment on the matter (laughs) so I think we know the answer there (laughs) because it wasn't true they would just deny it they would give a very clear we don't know him 
Like, if I put out that I, I was giving picks to Kyle Kuzma, and this article came out, and then they asked Kyle Kuzma, hey, are you getting sports picks from Todd Wittellis? He'd say, who? I don't know that guy. No, I, I never got anything from him. I have no idea who that is. Like, that, that's what he would say, not no comment. Uh, Gordeski said, I have a lot of NBA friends, and we've bet together, but they can't be in the article or I'll be dead. He did mention, however, a big NBA star, Russell Westbrook. But uh, he didn't mention about Westbrook betting on sports. He only said that they played high-stakes poker together at the win. And he said he's actually not bad at poker, and he's a funny dude, referring to Westbrook. So was he making up a relationship with uh, NBA star Russell Westbrook? No. When they asked Russell Westbrook's agent, the answer was no comment. (laughs) (laughs) Then there is uh, Cleveland Cavaliers shooting coach Damon Jones. He used to play in the NBA, but he's now in his second season as an assistant coach for the Cavaliers. And Gordeski showed USA Today text messages from Damon Jones, where Jones was asking him who he liked for baseball games. And uh, Gordeski clarified that he's only betting on baseball, he's not betting on basketball, but still he is betting on baseball. I don't know the NBA's policy on doing that, on betting on Different professional sports I know the NFL bans it I don't know if the NBA does But uh, Gordeski said He used to text me every day And ask who I like And one of uh, Gordeski's security guards Named Russell King Said that he saw Gordeski and Jones Together several times During the NBA Summer League That's held in Las Vegas And at the time In the Summer League Which is like the like a practice league They run during the summer Jones was actually the head coach of the Cavaliers summer team. And then Gordeski claimed that he was betting $150,000 a day on summer league games. So that's a real problem if these two are close. And then you have Gordeski betting big money on these summer league games, which are just exhibition games. So, of course, when the Cleveland Cavaliers were asked about this, Cavalier spokesman B.J. Evans said that Damon Jones does not know Mike Gorodetsky. Yeah, and those summer league games, because we talked on the show a few weeks ago about just how you can't really bribe players now. But as far as the summer league goes, I'm sure there's big risk there. Right. But now there is. You have so many players that aren't making, you know, that are making maybe 50, less than 100K a year. Trying to get on a squad. Well, and listen to this. This is the this is actually from Gorodetsky, who said, um, "You just you just pay college kids, inner city college kids who don't have any money. Give them ten grand. That's like a million dollars to them. You know what I'm saying? Have a bad game. Here's ten grand. I don't see how they wouldn't do it. I'd spread it around Vegas. Twenty grand a place. They'd never notice. I wouldn't beat one casino badly. I'd take one little piece from every single sports book." But then he told them that he hasn't uh, engaged in such a thing. He was just saying you could do this. But now, before you say, ah, he's been fixing summer league games. That's how he's been doing it. Uh, First of all, if he was, he wouldn't say something like that in the article. Even this guy wouldn't be that stupid. But but second, even if you think he is and he's just so proud of what he's doing, he thinks he can't get caught. There's no way any casino would let you bet any significant amount on summer league games. A lot of them won't even take bets on those because they're not real games. And there's no way around Vegas you could 
accumulate $150,000 worth of bets on summer league games. So I think that part's just a lie. I think he's just a... Uh, uh, he's just trying to be a big shot. Yeah, and I, I think that's for, he, he's trying to come off mysterious, like maybe he is fixing the games. But it, especially if he was, he wouldn't say things like that. If that's what he was doing, he would uh, he keep that part quiet. So I, I, I do think that... Uh, I, I don't... I don't know if Damon Jones gave him any tips or had anything to do with with that, but uh, yeah. That, wait, here, hang on one second here. Hang on. So we're going to pause in this uh, discussion here. I have an important caller here that I, I want to put on the show. We'll finish off this Mike Gordetsky discussion. This is just a caller I want to get on here before the segment's over. Ken Scaler, hello. Oh, God, that's not why I called. I know, but it's Wednesday night. You know how it is. Did you send me an email about that thing we can't talk about? No, I will I will write it at the end of the show. Okay, it's very it's very important. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessing about it. Yeah, I know. I'll send it at the end of the show. So it means when I wake up in the morning, it'll be in my inbox. Yes, it'll be it'll be greeting you when you go down to the cyber cafe or the library to access your email. When it goes, you've got mail. You've got mail. But you won't know that till you get down to the cyber cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Ken has... Oh, and Drop, I do want to put out for Ken Scaler. He's got a corned beef... And or brisket sandwich at Mort's Deli. Whenever he wants to go, I'll ship you the money. Really? On me. Absolutely. Okay. Do you hear that, Ken? Well, that's really nice. I hardly ever go there in Tarzana. I, but it's, it's, I hear you. I'm just saying. But, you were saying. But, well, that's really, I really appreciate it. By the way, the guy who owned Canner's Deli just died today. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a yeah. He had a massive heart attack. Maybe was from eating his food. I don't know. How, but. how old was he? Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Wow, that's, that's, that's not uh, that's not a very good age to die. Well, well, Jonah Hill's brother is only forty, and he had a heart attack, and he was you know forty. Well, you know, at least I know, this week. At least I know I will not have a heart attack at forty. At least I can say that. Well, you beat it. Yep, by five years, more than five years. But okay, I beat it by seven years. I didn't have a hamburger today, so I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> I don't think one day of abstaining from hamburgers is going to do much for you. No, I know, but I mean, I'm 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 going to try to I'm I'm going to try to give up soda on New Year's Day. That's my next goal. Really? So. Well, that that can be helpful. That actually can be helpful. I, I heard even I, I keep reading that even if you drink diet, it's bad for your liver, and I care about well, it, my it, liver. It, yeah, so. it, it is, and diet also has chemicals in it, which can arguably you you won't get as fat, but but they're, they're, the chemicals could be actually worse for you than the sugar. So really, then all that, but but diet has no sugar and no calories, no sugar, no I know, calories. But, that, but that's about gaining. No but that's about gaining weight. That's it, it's got uh, harmful chemicals in it. I, I don't honestly, health wise, I don't trust any of that diet stuff. I, I think it's worse for you than whatever you're trying to, uh, whatever you're saving by not having the extra calories and 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 the, sugar and sugar. I you're, I think you're actually hurting yourself more by the harmful chemicals that are in it. So I, I wouldn't trust this. Really? Yeah, I don't trust any of that stuff. I, I just, not only don't you I hate this. Like, you, sound like 
You sound like a Republican trying to go green. It's almost like a Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> branch. No, it's nothing like that. I just, I, I also think they taste terrible. But putting that aside, I, I don't even trust. Well, I got them. used to the taste. Even, even which if it's kind of bad because it'd be easier to quit if I wasn't used to the taste. Even but. if the taste was the same, I wouldn't want to do it. I'd rather just take the calories than take whatever uh, unknown problems that can come from those. So I, I don't trust any oh, of that Lord. diet. I don't trust any of that diet stuff. Anything, any of those substitutes, any of that diet stuff. I don't trust it. Well, if I was diabetic, I mean, you know, you can't have really sugar. No, I know. That's, have a, no, then that's a different story. Want, but I'm not diabetic, so this it's moot, you know? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, what else is happening here? In 2017, how, how was that year for uh, for you and the ladies? Uh, it's a lacking the ladies department. Were, were, there, were there any? Like, did you do anything with any girls in 2017? Uh, I don't really remember. If I did, it might have been early, and I might have repressed it. <laughs> Were there any girls like you even somewhat liked you did something with in 2017? No. Oh. Not remotely. That's too bad. That's too bad. I'm like Ken Ober. I got no respect after I left MTV. <laughs> well, hopefully 2018 improves in, in that respect. I think I think you... yeah. I mean, I've, I've been kind of. I mean, my mind's been on other stuff for most of the year, and and it still is. And and uh, I'm waiting for these clouds to to really clear up in my favor. You know. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think this will be over fairly soon. So. I really, I really do. And, and then, I'm, then, I'm then I can explain to the, about... I, I can explain to the listeners here what's going on. This is not going to be a secret forever. This. I don't so... think we can yet. No, not yet. I'm just saying that when when it's totally done, I'll explain to everybody. Have you looked into the new love connection? Is that a possibility? Uh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> I, I, the application was kind of weird. I actually looked at it, but I, I might, I might make an effort on it. They want people like 21 to 45, but I think because of my personality, maybe they'll make an exception. And the sad, the sad thing is he, since they look at your ID, you can't even lie about your age. So, Otherwise, you could say he's forty-five. Yeah, but... no, no, you cannot. No, you cannot lie about your age at all. You, you can't be like Angeline and act like you're twenty-five and you're really ninety-five. You know. I found out how old she really was. I think she's like. Oh, I know. Her real name is something Goldstein, and and yeah, and she just got divorced when she was nineteen. I think and, she's like. I, mean, I, I think I, she's I, like sixty-nine yeah. or something. She's somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She lives out of like Thousand Oaks or something. Yeah. Well. Yeah, she she tried she did try for many years to pretend like she was really young. But if you, if you like if you look at her closely, like she tries to not let people get that close of a glance at her for a long period of time. If you look at her really closely beyond all the makeup and everything else, you can uh, you can and see the surgery, that, plastic surgery. Yeah, you can see that she's old if you look closely. And it's I yeah, must I have know. seen her in the big pink caddy driving on the one hundred and one probably a dozen times. I mean, it's That's been over many format. many years. No, well, well, right, but didn't she had a caddy years? This is years ago, though. I think. Really, I just thought she always had a pink Corvette, and then Maybe, she would replace it. it a, if it was like, was it a Corvette? No, because I'm, t- I'm talking. It like was always a pink Corvette, like, like, like Rodney Bingenheimer always had a GTO, and Angeline always has a pink Corvette. Yeah, I hadn't heard of a caddy either. Uh, okay, maybe. It'd be yeah, no, it was always a pink. It was always a pink Corvette. It's a, it's a but trademark. I would just see her driving around. I mean, you know, it's. It was, I mean, it was over many years, all those times. But who paid? Who paid for her billboards and whatever the hell she was marketing? I mean, I don't even know what she really did. I mean, no, she, 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 she was, was like, married. She, she, was, she was married to an older guy. 
That's what it was. Yeah. That, he was paying for it. I mean, it was successful what they were yeah. doing because they, yes, the billboards are expensive, but she really did get to be pretty well known, uh, especially around Southern California. She was in some rock videos, you know, and she was on Hot Seat with Wally George. Yeah, but she, you know, she she got to be well known, especially in Southern California. But even even nationally, people know who she who she was to some degree. I think she might have made an appearance on USA Up All Night, like a cameo once, like very very briefly. I think from memory. Yeah, but that, it was funny because she really achieved this all from self-promotion, not not even from like anything she did. Yeah, and if she was in like she's her twenties, if she was in her twenties or thirties now, she definitely could have gotten a million plus to do a porn of it. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm not in Erie, Pennsylvania, right now. But yeah, what, what what's in Erie, Pennsylvania? Didn't they have like sixty inches of snow? The oh last yeah, few days? yeah, yeah. They they did have massive snow. I, I asked Calwad. He's not on here tonight, but I, I asked him. He lives in, in Rochester. I asked I asked him oh, if he, I asked him if he got a lot, and he said that uh, he said much less than I thought it was. Like it was like a, we got a foot. It wasn't terrible. Oh, well, I don't know why anyone would not live hammered. It was from yeah. Logan Airport. It was like a joke. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. Well. I hate cold. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Kent, Master Ken Scaler here. He he loves the heat and hates cold. Yeah, I'm impervious to to, to cold. I mean, to heat, to yeah. heat. Yeah. What am I saying? I hate cold. I'm impervious to so heat. Th- this is Ken's least favorite time of year because in Southern California and also other parts of the country, in Southern California, the coldest weeks are the end of December and the beginning of January. So this is. Uh, this is the cold time for Ken. Once, once it gets to February, it starts to warm up a little bit. So, like the next actually, in Woodland Hills was eighty six today, but that's during the day. At night, it's still getting cold. Yeah, you know? yeah today was an unusually warm day, uh, but recently it had been cooler. So, anyway, Master Scaler, at least you don't have to stand a payphone and call me anymore. No, I've had an Obama phone um, for a couple years. Yeah, though Ken has he doesn't have a smartphone, and he does not have a computer. Todd, Todd's seen how bad my phone is. Remember you tried to retrieve a text for something we can't talk about? Yeah, and yeah. It was unbelievable. His phone had a bug. It was either the phone or the network had a bug to where it kept receiving the same text over and over and over, and you couldn't stop it. Like, it just kept coming in again and again and, I've again, almost, and again. Every time I turn the phone on and off, I get the text. I have almost 2,200 of that same text well, it, by it, now. Is, is it still happening? Yeah. Oh, you need to call the customer service about it. I, I bet they could stop it. I don't want to lose all my other texts. And no, no, but know. You, know, you can I, ask them. They, 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 won't just hit a, they won't just hit a button and erase your text. They will give you instructions on how to do it. If you don't want to erase your, your text, then you don't have to. But but uh, you could uh, – I'll, I'll give you suggestions later on how to contact I think this company is called Life Wireless, which is linked with AT&T, and they're, 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 their customer service is – you know the little Caesars level, not the Spago level. No, I understand, but I think I think this can be stopped. Anyway, okay. So, uh, Master Scalers, thank you for calling. We're going to continue with the show here, and uh, I will email you what you want emailed uh, after the show tonight. Oh, are you going to do it tonight? Yes. Will, will you hit? Will you hit all those points? Yes. Okay, because all the points are very, 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 yeah, very I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, important. I'm aware of that. I don't want to talk too much about this because it's bad radio. So, okay, thank thank you again. Yeah, I know. All right, I hung up on him. I know you guys. A lot of you like the Ken Scaler call, so I put him on. But I also know it's annoying to hear people talking about like something cryptic. So, yeah, it'll be good once uh, you're able to talk about it. 
Yeah, though I think he's building Whatever it up. It to, he's building it up too much. It's not. It's not quite as exciting as he's building it up to be. But it is an interesting story. So I will tell you guys when it comes out. Uh, so let's get back to this uh, Rob Gordeski story here. So I don't think he was. I don't think there were summer league games being fixed, and I don't think that's how he made his money. I don't think this Jones guy was somehow giving him tips or even rigging these games. I do think he did have a friendship with this Damon Jones and that uh, Damon Jones probably did have some kind of gambling problem and was betting a lot on baseball and believed that Gordetsky was some kind of sports betting genius and was, was getting picks from him. I, I wonder why Gordetsky is, is exposing all of this to USA Today. I don't know if it's just a show to show off that he knows these people or if he has some sort of bitterness towards these people who may not be friendly with him anymore. Maybe that he feels insulted that these sports celebrities have distanced themselves from him or stopped talking to him. And this is kind of his way to get back at them for ending the friendship. And maybe he got stiffed by a couple of them too. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. So there, there could be, other reasons that he's doing this besides just trying to show off to USA Today, but he also gives to be a jerk who wants to show off to USA Today and doesn't care what happens to these people, especially if the friendship just kind of went away and he's like, well, screw it. I'm not friends with these guys anymore anyway, so I'll screw them over. Then there was Drake. Drake is not an athlete, but he's a famous musician. And he claimed that he met Jake in the High Limit Lounge. I'm not sure where, but in a High Limit Lounge of some casino and that for months Drake would actually gamble on games through Gordetsky that, that Drake would uh, send him money and say, Hey, you know, bet on, uh, you know, whatever you think is good. And, uh, or, or Drake would, would, what would happen? Drake would text him. Who do you like today? Then he'd tell him and Drake would probably say, okay, well bet such and such on it. And then he, he would wire money to Gordetsky to bet for him. Which now that by itself that's is, is that legal by the way, Jeff? Um, yes, it's 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 legal, but um, I, I think I, I think it's legal. If it isn't, it's not something. It's something more casinos care about than than something that they're going to prosecute people for. Um, you can't, you know, you can't. Uh, well, okay, it, let me say it's it's technically illegal if the person's doing it from outside of the, of the state because they're your. Uh, uh, like if I called from within Nevada to like Brandon and said, "Hey, you know, can you bring this such and such money down and bet for me?" Uh, then there's probably not a violation there. If, if it's me calling from another state, then then it is because I'm actually doing phone wagering, and uh, you know, if he's betting my money, then it definitely is. So if if Drake was outside the state, which he probably is, then yes, it's it's illegal. But this is something they typically don't clamp down on unless it's something like a service where let, let's say let's say someone's charging a commission to do this or whatever then then they can clamp down on people for doing this or especially if they're just booking the best themselves and then it's just you know standard illegal bookmaking so but but putting that aside he's claiming that Drake would would send him money and that would ask him for picks and then would ask him to bet on it so he says that uh, Drake's manager got frustrated that the betting was actually distracting him, that he wasn't concentrating on his music career, he was concentrating too much on which games to pick and the result of these games. So finally, the manager 
convince Drake to both stop the betting and to stop the friendship with Gordetsky, and he did. Gordetsky said, it's kind of like dating a hot chick. It was a fling, right? So is it possible that Gordetsky is making up this relationship with, with Drake? Well, they contacted Drake's spokeswoman who said, no comment. <laughs> So it's amazing how many people he bamboozled here. He really convinced these various celebrities that he was for real, that he was this young betting prodigy, that he made all this money from sports betting and they could get in on it too. And now he's outing them for some reason. He does have 170,000 Instagram followers. And he claims, who knows if this is true, but he claims that more than 100 of those people are paying up to $500 a month to access his picks, which would mean he's making 50 k a month off these picks. I don't believe it. I think he's lying about that. But uh, this, is, uh, this is what... A sports better named Dave Onesia, that's O-A-N-C-E-A, Dave Onesia. He's known as Vegas Dave, and he sells picks, but he claims he doesn't actually bet on games himself anymore. He said, I tip my hat to Rob because at least he puts his money where his mouth is. But the truth is, when I used to do that, I was down millions. I know for a fact that Rob is losing his ass. If someone is born into $10 million, anyone could purchase $200,000 tickets. Purchase meaning you could even, if you wanted to, bet both sides of a game. And just, you know, you'll of course have one winner or one loser. Uh, it doesn't mean you're good. If you have money or if you're laundering money or if you're a drug dealer or your parents gave you $1 billion, that doesn't mean you're a good, good or bad handicapper. That just means you have access to funds. But when... Gorodesky was asked if he's involved in drugs or money laundering. He said that's not even a discussion. There was a lawsuit against Gorodesky involving a poker player. Now, I haven't heard of this poker player, but this poker player's name is Jeremy Joseph. And he got uh, Gorodesky invested funds, $59,000 worth, in... uh, Sports bets and stocks. And then the allegations were that Gordesky mismanaged the money. I don't know what that means, but that's what the allegations were. There was a lawsuit on behalf of, you know, that was filed by both Jeremy Joseph and his mother, Linda Joseph. Gordesky said that this lawsuit was about retaliation for losing that they bet on stocks and sports jointly, and that when they lost, then Jeremy Joseph sued him. He says, I've got nothing to hide. It's not an issue. Now, what about his parents? Well, his father is a radiologist, so he probably makes some good money. He said he has provided, quote, little financial help to his son. What does that mean, little? I mean, that means he provided some. That's kind of a strange thing to say, too. Or you could say, like, you could say, like, I, I gave him little money to live on five years ago, but haven't given him in years. Like, he's not saying he just said that he gave him little help. 
Gordesky claims that he won his money gambling. And he said that he won 500000 playing blackjack and other table games at the Aria. And then he showed them a 2017 casino statement showing that he won more than $1 million. However, this could be very misleading because maybe he won uh, money at the Aria but lost a lot of money elsewhere if he's spreading his action around. But this is what's most suspicious. He only, As far as the sports betting, he only showed them one statement. That was a statement from William Hill. And it showed that he's bet $26 million on sports in 2017 with the William Hill Nevada Sports Betting App, which is a legal sports betting app that you can use to bet in Nevada. In fact, uh, Brandon has access to that. This is legal, by the way. So they issued him a statement showing that in uh, 2017, which I'm surprised they even issued this yet because they, it's, it's 2017 is not over, but he showed them a statement that he bet total $26 million, actually a little bit more than that. And it showed on the statement that in that $26 million worth of betting that he won $245,000 total. Now, that's less than 1%. So that first of all, that's not that impressive. It's good he didn't lose, but that's not someone killing it. If you're, if you're hitting 60 to 65% of your bets on sides, you're going to win a lot more than 1%. But put that aside here. He said that uh, he's bet millions of dollars more at the Aria and other sports books, but would not provide additional win-loss statements. The only thing he would show them was this one thing from William Hill, showing a $245,000 profit. So to me, that looks like that's his very best statement. Because remember, he's trying to show off here. So his very best sports betting statement he could show them was making two hundred forty grand, two hundred forty-five grand on twenty-six million worth of bets. You have to think that he must have made other very large bets at other sports books and was a loser at every single one. Uh, his casino host, this Tran guy, claimed that uh, he's made more money than he's lost. This is what uh, Tran said regarding the sports betting. He said, we know we can't beat him. <laughs> okay, time for a reality check here. Time for a reality check. That's not how sports bets work in Vegas. If a sports book knows they cannot beat you in Vegas, they cut you off. They are aware in Vegas that there are certain sharp sports bettors who are positive expectation overall with their bets, and they don't want them. Now, if you bet a relatively small or moderate amount on each game, uh, they'll probably still take your action. If you're betting 500 a game, 1,000 a game, if you're not like you know, hammering tons of games, you know, if you're going in there every day and buying it, you know, one ticket for $1,000, uh, they're probably not going to be watching too closely. You'll probably be able to keep betting with them. But, but if you're betting five, six figures routinely and you're beating them, if they think it's just dumb luck, they'll let you keep betting. If they've determined that you're uh, either betting with an edge against them or somehow you're just beating them, beating them, beating them over the long term and they can't explain it, you're gone. They're not going to take your bets anymore. So if, if the truth really was what this host said, that they just, they've realized they can't beat him, they would stop taking his action. They're not required to take his action. So that's, that's a lie. The, the guy's just saying what uh, Gorodesky wants him to say. Uh, Steve Fezzik, a well-known sports better. He runs a site called Fezzik's Place. 
said uh, he's referring to uh, he said there's two types of winners he knows in sports. He says, one guy tells me Colorado State's quarterback has a hamstring injury and he's not recovered from it and their leading wide receiver has been suspended. The second type of sports better says that, that wins says Colorado State averages only 5.6 yards per play. They give up 5.7 yards per play and they fa- face a strength of schedule that's 256th in the league. In other words, they either know the players very well or they know the numbers very well and they've crunched all the data very well. The best guys do both. If you don't do either, you don't win. Totally true. Totally true. You can't just uh, uh, go on on feeling and win consistently in sports. Fezzik said that uh, Gordeski either could be lucky. He said he could just simply be lucky and eventually they'll run out. I don't even believe that. I think he's not even winning. Now, the casino host Tran said he's not cheating. We can't find anything. He's just lucky. Uh He's like Rain Man. <laughs> and Gorodesky says, to close, uh, he says, if I've been here for four fucking years, it can't be luck, right? Well, yes, you're right, but I don't think you're winning. So that's the story with this guy. Uh, if he really is selling picks and, and, and making a lot of money per month doing that, that still wouldn't support the sports betting habit he has at the at the limits he's betting, but that's pretty sad. That's pretty sad if people are spending that much money on these picks. So, you know, it's one thing if, if you really have a, a winning record and you want to sell your picks, even if you're not betting anymore, you just want to sell them and you have a lot of confidence in them and they're winning in the long term, fine. But people paying for some flashy show off like this any guy who's like a winning sports better and is he's not going to be like this he's not going to be flashing everything he's not going to be living a super extravagant lifestyle and flaunting it in his face in your face that's not what they do the people who successfully beat sports tend to be pretty quiet about it even if they're known they don't flaunt it in everybody's face they just quietly go about what they do So anybody who goes out of their way to show off like that, there's a reason they're showing off. Trader Risk, any other reactions to yours from this article? No. I Sorry, I couldn't get off mute. I think we covered it all. All right, lovely. So here's a, a new topic. A young man from Maryland, a, uh, he was 19 at the time, now he's 20. He has pled guilty to the crime of running a service to perform DDOS, that's Distributed Denial of Service Attacks Against Sites, and to harass people by telephone and text message. He was for hire for both services. So here is the story with this. This is a pretty disturbing situation. Uh, his name is Zachary Buchta, B-U-C-H-T-A. He's now 20 years old. He was 19 at the time. He was even younger at, at when he started this. He had uh, what was described as a hacker-for-hire service, and that for as little as $20, you could buy services to harass people or screw with websites. 
there were also two others that were associated with this that were arrested in other countries. Uh, Bradley Jean-Willem Van Roy of the Netherlands. Uh, or sorry, that, that was the other. Per- it was only one other person. It's such a long name. I thought it was two people. Bradley Jean-Willem Van Roy of the Netherlands. He was. Uh, he and Bukta were arrested in October 2016, and they basically attacked a whole lot of different sites and individuals, including online gaming sites. Basically, if you paid them, they'd do it. So Van Roy has not been charged yet. He's going to be charged in Europe, where he lives. The investigation began in 2015, back when both of these guys were 18. And these were cyber attack groups that called themselves Lizard Squad and Poodle Corp. And Bukta founded these. And there were, uh, there were other hackers involved with these groups, but the, for whatever reason, they were not charged in connection to this. It was Bukta and Van Roy who were the leaders of it, and they went after them. They had a site where you would buy services. You could buy packages. They're known as attack packages. And they also ran a site that had stolen credit card numbers and fake IDs that you could buy. That was based in Russia. They were at least at a Russian domain name, stressor.ru. But the, the main charges are actually about this uh, these attacks. So uh, the winning poker network, the one that America's Card Room uses, they have been hit with so many denial-of-service attacks, and they've claimed at some points that they feel that competitors are hiring hackers to do this. They didn't have proof, but they had a, uh, a belief of this. And one of the reasons they had this belief was that one of the hackers was in the chat room on the Winning Poker Network at one point and said that, and said, quote, it's my job when they asked him why he was doing it. Because one of the hackers said, yeah, it's me who's doing it. And they said, okay, well, why are you doing this to us? And he said, it's my job. So that's when they really thought that the people are hiring hackers you know, who run other sites to go after America's card room. At one point, someone came on Poker Fraud Alert and claimed that they knew who was doing the DDoS attacks and wanted to make a deal with America's card room to turn them in. Because America's card room had offered a reward for information. And this was actually back in September. So this was not related to this particular uh, group of because these guys were already uh, in trouble. They were already in prison. But back in September of this year, someone wrote on Poker Fraud Alert, looking to collect a 10 Bitcoin bounty, have information leading to the person behind the DDoS attack. Not Not quite friends with this person, but I know who they are. And this person said that they know who the hacker is and where the IP address of payment came from. So... Basically, this person claimed that someone paid for those attacks that were happening at the time in September of 2017. Again, not these guys, but uh, it would make sense there could be multiple attackers because if these guys were put out of business in October 2016, then whoever was paying for these, you know, maybe a competitor, 
hired somebody else. They, they, they were not the only ones in the world doing this. Uh, so they were doing other things besides doing DDoS attacks, which, again, were verified in, in these... Uh, in the information presented in court that some of them were online gaming sites that were being attacked. So it's very possible America's card room who's been getting these attacks for years could have been one of the victims that there was a site called phonebomber.net, <laughs> And the site said your target will be left with only three options, change their number, bend to your whim or deal with a ringing phone for the length of our attack. So what it would do is it would start bombing people's phones over and over and over with calls from spoofed caller IDs. So if you made any attempt to block the numbers, it didn't matter because it would be a a different caller ID each time, which is easy to do, by the way. And you... so, So this would continue for as long as you want to pay for the attacks, these phone attacks... And it's basically saying that anyone who's being a victim of it, there's no way to stop it. That you either have to change your number or just put up with it or, or, or give up and, 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 and you know, give in to whatever the person who paid for the attack is demanding. The service on phonebomber.net even had a one-click way to disable the attacks. And it said, we, we give you one click to disable them for the extortionists among us. Meaning that if you're extorting people, if you're harassing them on a phone that they don't want to have to abandon, like a phone number they've had for many years or they get important calls, uh, you know, maybe you want to extort money. Maybe you want to say, okay, pay me $5,000 and I'll stop these attacks in a second. So they give you one click to do that. Isn't that nice? It actually said for the extortionists among us. This was presented in court. And they also did text message attacks. Text message attacks were ones that would come in and, and basically threaten people. Uh, for example, someone was getting text message attacks in 2015 saying, when you walk the fucking streets, motherfucker, you better look over your fucking back because I don't, I don't flying fuck. I don't know what that means. I don't flying fuck if we have to burn your fucking house down. If we have to fucking track down your goddamn family, we will fuck your shit up, motherfuck. Bukta is also uh, accused of, you know, back in 2014, making swatting calls. And that is, is swatting calls, that's what uh, Vanessa Russo seemed to claim was happening to her when it seemed like she was just going crazy. It wasn't, I doubt she was actually being swatted. But as we've discussed in the show before, swatting is when emergency services are called with spoofed phone numbers where it makes like the makes makes it look like the phone is, the f- calls are coming from your house and then emergency personnel come down and sometimes kick down your door and it turns out you're you know, you're sleeping in the middle of the night you have no idea this is happening and it's very scary. So that's what swatting is. For example, someone may call the police and claim that there's someone in their house creeping around with a gun and that they're terrified and please come immediately. And in reality, that's not really the person in the house calling, it's someone swatting them, then the police come down, they kick down the door, and then, lo and behold, the whole thing was a prank. So, he was accused of doing that in 2014. So, he also had a Twitter, which I, I think is gone now, but he had a Twitter 
at FBI are losers. Let's see what happens if I go there. <laughs> that's, that's one way to antagonize them. Twitter.com slash FBI are losers. I bet it's gone now. No, it's here. It's still here. You can still see it. It's got a picture of, of uh, I think, uh, Katy Perry or something, but it's not. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's called Dragon. It last tweeted on December 7th. Uh, December 7th. And it says 20, 25 to life hashtag lizard squad. That's funny. It's still it's actually still tweeting. It actually hadn't tweeted before that. Uh, the last time it tweeted before that was uh, February 4th. So he may have been out on bail or something to where he could manage to tweet there. So maybe somebody else uh, tweeted him. It also had a link to a website on the Twitter, crime.li. Let's see what that goes to. No, it's gone. So he had a website, crime.li. And it said, Dragon, leader of the Lizard Squad, king of the Onion Land, untouchable hacker god. (laughs) Guess that wasn't true. I think these hackers always think they're untouchable, and the truth is, if any, if if the FBI really wants to find them, they always do. These guys are never as untouchable or, or unlocatable as they think they are, especially if they're in a country where the government gives a shit about this type of thing. So, and they were, they probably waited till they were eighteen to to bust them too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So could, that's yeah. true. That's true. In two thousand fourteen, he did uh, he did this stuff at seventeen. Yeah, I think he's been eighteen since two thousand fifteen, so it's been a little while. But yeah, that's that's a good point. And it's funny that the phone attacks he mentions those are very effective. Those are very effective. Now, I I will take credit. For having done this before myself, not not for, to extort money, and not to uh, you know to harass people you know maliciously, but uh, I will confess that uh, at some point I will not say when, uh, not any time recently, but at some point in my life, when I was uh, scammed by certain parties. That uh, this can be a very effective way to get people to pay. That uh, and I'm not again. These were I'm not talking about like what the the collector on our who was on our show a while ago did. I'm talking about personally people scammed me for sure and basically gave me the middle finger and said "f you." There's nothing you can do about it. And I said, "Oh yeah," and uh, I I would hammer them with call after call after call with my computer. I don't mean you. I wasn't individually dialing it myself. I would leave my computer on, and it would call them over and over and over and over again. And it's very effective. And this is again, this is a long time ago. So this is before they could even block my call. I didn't have it, there, there was no caller spoofing involved or needed because the, people didn't have the ability to block back then. But it, it was very effective in that you just can't use your phone. And unlike when someone is pranking you and you just take the phone off the hook and figure they'll get tired of it. A computer doesn't get tired of it. So you can leave the computer dialing over and over and over again for 24 hours, 48 hours, 96 hours. So the person finally puts the phone back on the hook and ring immediately. It's, it's so demoralizing to get one of those. And, uh, and, and I knew when these happened that the, person, you know, the people involved were not going to go to the police because they had actually committed a crime against me. 
So I knew they were not going to want me to tell the police what had happened. It was one of these things where I couldn't – if I went to the police myself and said, hey, this person's substance has scanned me, they'd, you know, the police would just say oh, – you know, they, they would just dismiss me. They would say, oh, OK, whatever. You know, the, the, the investigation wouldn't go anywhere because it wasn't major enough. But it was one of these things that like, they knew they could not go to the police and, and, and report me because then I'd report back what they did and they'd look you – know, then they could get in some trouble once they'd bring themselves attention. So, so that was the way I handled it, and it was very effective. Every time I did that, uh, they backed down. So – this this guy did it in the more modern era by uh, you know f- spoofing caller IDs a different one with every call so people can't block. But he was doing it is different than what I did where I was actually going after people who who victimized me and and ripped me off. Uh, this guy was just selling the ability to do this to anyone for any reason, which is very different. Of course, that's obviously terrible because. Uh, innocent people can get targeted. So it was interesting reading that. Like, oh yeah, that, I, I can. I know that's terrible because <laughs> it is effective. I, I did it before to people who scammed me. So, and if you think about it, it is. Think of if you have a phone number that you don't want to give up that you've had for years. You get a lot of important calls on. You don't want to change it. And when your phone is on, it just rings and rings, and there's no way to stop it. It's from every different number, every random different number, you know, every di- different time. The only solution to that is to, like, whitelist phone numbers, only ones that you know that you want to get from to get in. But then you, br- you block everybody else out from calling you. So there's no solution to it. There's actually no solution other than changing your phone number. So it, it's very, very demoralizing to have something like that happening. Especially when you realize it's a computer doing it to you and there's no way you can, it'll get tired of it. So, anyway, it's, it's uh, I'm not defending this guy in any way. Obviously, the guy was a scumbag and it was just an opportunist, you know, selling harassment packages to the highest bidder. So, that's obviously terrible. Uh, I, like the collector we had on our show, at least the collector believed he was really harassing people who, uh, who actually had scammed. Now, he got some criticisms, including from our sponsor, attorney Eric Benzamokin, that he was, uh, there was no way he could verify that he was really harassing people that were guilty, that you know, he could easily be tricked into believing someone had done something they hadn't, and that uh, you know, Eric didn't like that idea at all. But... Uh, the collector did at least he, he was he believed he was doing a good deed what he was doing and making money from it. This guy was actually just selling it. He didn't give a crap why you were doing it. This this guy who was just arrested, he just if you paid him, he doesn't care if the person you're harassing is innocent or guilty or what their situation is. He's like, Okay, you're gonna pay me, I'll do it. So pretty bad. Now he he is very young. A lot of times young people they they don't have the same set uh, of morals that older people do just from you know maturity from life experience so this guy just kind of thought of, of himself as a hacker god and just said okay this is a way i can make money and you know i can do it i can get away with it i'm going to do it and it's possible when this guy gets older he'll mature and look back on this and say hey i was an idiot 
But I gotta think, yeah, you know, if you're selling these packages to just screw with anyone for money, uh, that's probably the sign you're not a very good person. That's different than hacking something for fun or for the challenge or harassing someone who you really believe harmed you. This this is just like you'll harass anyone if they pay you enough money. And that's a different story entirely. Well, speaking of our sponsor, Eric Benzamokin, who I appreciate very much uh, sponsoring this show, and he is providing a very useful service, and you can learn about it right now. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us. All right, so I think it's time to move on to our next subject here. Before we do that, I will, I will read from the chat room. The X Factor, in reference to Vegas Dave, the supposed sports handicapper, he says, Bullshit, Dave, Vegas Dave is a complete phony. Uh, <laughs> the X Factor says, uh, you know, talking about Vegas Dave. Yeah, I'm so good at predicting winners. All the major sports books have banned me. Send me $50 now for the pick of a lifetime. Uh, he has a point. Like, it's one thing if you are not wanting to bet very large sums of money on your picks because, uh, 
yeah, you, you want to reduce the variance and you rather sell your picks to others. That's kind of like spreading the variance around where you, you have confidence in your picks, but you don't want to go broke uh, backing them because you have a bad run. But it's another thing if uh, you don't bet on your picks at all. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You should, you should at least want to bet something meaningful on your picks. If you're only selling your picks, that means you don't think your picks really have much, uh, enough of a chance to win. So I, I agree with that, that if anyone who doesn't bet their own picks is very suspect. Uh, the X Factor asking, does Micon run a Bitcoin poker room still at this point? Well, yes and no. I don't have proof of any of this, but his Seals with Clubs site is still up under its second incarnation. It's not very active. He claims to not be part of it anymore and that he sold it. I don't really believe that, but I, I don't have proof otherwise, and I haven't tried to come up with proof. I, I just kind of ignore it, but I'd be shocked if he were not still very involved behind the scenes and does not own part of it. But it's not, it's not very active, so it's really not of much consequence right now. Uh, it does have a better record, Seals, than Bitcoin did. Though Seals did do something kind of shady. I don't know if Micon benefited at all from this, but the original Seals, when they closed down because Micon got busted, they gave people only 30 days to get their money out. And if they didn't, then tough luck. We keep your money. And a lot of money was kept that way, including $4,000 belonging to Jesse Martin, who then later gave Mike on a very hard time online about this, saying that he was trying to get a hold of support to claim that 4000 and that they were not responsive because he couldn't access his account. And then the 30 days passed, and they just disappeared into the sunset. Mike on countered, saying that he was not involved in that process, that he was basically just a, a marketer that he wasn't actually involved in the real operations of it, which did not seem to be true from what I observed. So uh, it is possible others were managing the refund process and that Micon didn't have to do with that, but I don't know. Whatever it is, uh, to give people 30 days to collect the funds, I've talked about this before, I think is BS. That's an excuse to steal people's money while giving the appearance that you tried to pay people their balances. 30 days is way, 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 way too short. And with how much Bitcoin have gone up, can you imagine how much they made from that? So, Trader Risky, you still there? I'm here. Okay. So, next topic. I had a little uh, Twitter controversy about two weeks ago involving Alan Kessler. Not against Alan Kessler, I was actually on his side. And it had to do with the Run Good Poker Series, a poker series which is associated with the Run Good gear, which is clothing you can buy. And it's a poker series that actually has a good reputation. People like it, you know, pros and recreational players alike have good things to say about it. So I've never heard anything bad about the Run Good Poker Series. I wasn't super familiar with it, but what I had heard of it it was always good. So I was a little surprised when Alan Kessler, who usually is right when he brings things to my attention, you know, as weird as you want to say Alan Kessler is, and he is weird. I mean, let's, let's face it as, as weird as he is. And as socially awkward as he can be. And as kind of petty and, uh, 
overly complaining as he can be. When he complains about something that is you know, something that someone's done that's dishonest or, or, or accuses a casino or a company of doing something dishonest, he's usually correct. The, it's rare when I see Alan Kessler accusing someone or something of malfeasance and it turned out he was wrong. So whenever he brings something to my attention, I pay close attention and I will look into it. So Alan Kessler, he, and he likes to bring these things to me because he knows that I'm interested in these type of stories and he knows that if I back it, it has more credibility. He knows that he knows he gets dismissed easily because of his general complaining nature. Uh, he knows that I have the reputation of someone who constantly fights fraud and scams and poker, and that if I if I'm backing what he's saying, then it's uh, another voice behind him that might get him more credibility. So Kessler sent me a private message to take a look at his tweets involving the Run Good Poker series that was taking place, uh, where was it? I think it was in Oklahoma. Let me uh, let me go to the specific thread about I made about this. You can read the thread, by the way, in the Poker Community Discussion Forum on Poker Fraud Alert, and the thread is entitled... When is a when a tournament substitutes a prize for cash out of the prize pool, is it ethical? That's the name of the thread, and you'll understand what this is all about if, if you want to read that before hearing the segment. But it's not required. You can understand this from what I'm about to tell you. So, yeah, it was in Oklahoma, the Run Good Poker series, this particular stop of, of this series. And Kessler's complaint was that they were forcing the top ten winners to buy a cruise they may not want. So I thought out right away, okay, that's pretty bad. So he sent, he, he tweeted out, LOL at forcing 10 players to buy a $1,500 marked up cruise and deducting that directly from the prize pool. So right there on the surface, that sounds pretty bad. It sounds like that they, in their poker series, they took out, they, they marked up a cruise more than it really cost and then took out that value from the prize pool and awarded that to the top 10 players. I thought, okay, yeah, that sounds kind of like it's, uh, that's kind of shady, could even be stealing. I, I was a little surprised to hear that about the Run Good Poker series, but Alan Kessler is usually not wrong about these things, so I decided I would look into it. So I asked a few questions out there, and uh, and I got some answers. And yes, they did have a series where they, they had a tournament in the series where fifteen thousand dollars was taken out of the prize pool to give ten what they called fifteen hundred dollar cruise packages to the top ten finishers or you know, one to each finisher. The cruise would be a card player cruise taking place from May 3rd to 10th, 2018. Card Player Cruises is a company that runs poker cruises. It has nothing to do with Card Player Magazine, to my knowledge. And uh, they've been around for a long time. They have a good reputation. So, Alan Kessler said, Great way to sell cruise seats at full price to people who may or may not want one. Cool idea. So, of course, my first concern was that maybe they did not disclose this properly to everybody playing the tournament. Of course, everybody should know that this is being taken out of the prize pool and should be made very clear, not buried in the fine print, so people know what they're really playing for. Because if you don't want to take this cruise, then yes, that's a, that's a complete waste of $1,500 that should go to you in cash. So then I was shown the flyer for this particular series, and sure enough, it was very clear. It was in big print, 
And it did say one $1,500 cruise for two package will be awarded out of each prelim prize pool uh, for each prelim event. And ten of these will be awarded out of the main event prize pool. So it says right there, clear as day. Okay? Out of the prize pool, it says it says there'll be ten for the main event. I mean, it, 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 it says it right there. You'd have to be an idiot not to see that or understand what that means. So that, that concern is out the window. That, that was no longer the problem. But let's go on to the next accusation. And, and by the way, Kessler didn't say they didn't disclose it. He was just saying that people may not want it. But I, I said to Kessler, look, you know, if people know and they want to play anyway, then they must want it. So that's not really something, that's not really something to object to. But then there was the question, how much is the cruise really worth? If, if they're giving away a $1,500 cruise when the cruise really costs 1000 then yes, uh, then they are stealing from the prize pool if that's what's happening. So it's a very important question. Is the cruise for two really worth 1500 Well, uh, Kessler then conceded to me privately, yes, it is. He said last year, the equivalent cruise, that's about what a inside cabin for two went for. It turned out when later information came out, it was actually $700 for each person, meaning it was 1400 but then they gave people 100 cash. So basically, if you won one of these packages, you'd get a $1,400 cruise plus $100 uh, onboard spending or whatever. So, yes, it was worth 1500 So that seems to have been acknowledged as well. Even Kessler admitted that was true. So I said to Kessler, come on, what, what is this? This is much ado about nothing. If the cruise is really worth 1500 if they're taking 1500 out of the prize pool and they're disclosing it very clearly, then what's the problem? I, I can't imagine what the problem is. Why are you complaining about this, Kessler? I said, I think you should stop. I think you should... This is, this is one of the rare times you're, you're in the wrong, I said to him, privately. So then he brought up a point which I hadn't considered, which I thought was actually a very good point. If the cruise is worth 1500 and they are taking out 1500 from the prize pool for each one, then why make the cruise part of the tournament at all? Why not just give 1500 cash to each player and say, okay, if you want to spend 1500 on the cruise, you can, otherwise keep it. Why force them to take the cruise? Yes, they know that going in, but why do it? How is it a benefit for any player to give the, to take fifteen hundred out from what they'd otherwise get paid, and then give them something worth fifteen hundred dollars? Why not just give them the cash, which could not be worth? Even if people want to take the cruise, if they could buy it for the same fifteen hundred, they still get no advantage from this. So why do it at all? What's the whole point? And. While this clearly is not a scam, I said this is a little bit unethical because you know if a prize is being awarded in lieu of cash, there should be some benefit to the prize being there in the prize pool, such as it being added there for free or at a discount. This one was neither. They're taking the full value out of the prize pool and then, uh, and then giving it to the players instead of the cash. And to me, what this looked like, while it's not a scam, it looked like this was a backdoor way to kind of force the sale of 10 cruises. So Kessler was getting hammered at this point on Twitter. People were bashing him hard for complaining about this. Uh, Many weren't understanding the point he was trying to raise. Many thought that he's just an idiot. If if the cruise is worth that much and if they disclose it to people and people want to play to win it, what's the problem? He's just being a jerk by complaining about it and, and attacking a good tour that everybody likes. So finally, I got involved. Finally, I, I, I spoke up for Kessler. Before this, I was just kind of asking questions, but I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't being uh, too critical. I just was 
saying, can you tell me this? Can you tell me that? Finally, I, I had to jump in and defend Kessler a bit. I said, to me, it sounds like a backdoor way to sell more cruises that people may not necessarily want. Uh, kind of unethical, in my opinion. Either add the cruise for free or roll it in at a discount. Otherwise, zero benefit for, for any player to have it there. And then I got a response from one of the representatives. So she said, she said uh, run good is adding is also adding a World Series main event seat, so who wouldn't want to go on the cruise? Uh, so the, the, the World Series of main event seat, is, uh, that's, that's nice that they're adding that, but that, that has nothing to do with this. So I said, I'm still asking what benefit any player gets from you taking the full retail price of the cruise out of the pool. Even if the winners want to go, why not just award the cash and let them buy it if they want? So again, not saying it's a scam, not saying they're cheating anyone, but... It, it's player unfriendly. Why do that? Why, why take it out? Why force them to buy something? Even if they wanted, why force them to buy something if they're, if they're not getting it at a discount? You're, you're buying in for cash, so why are they paying you somewhat in a cruise for the exact amount you could buy it for in the open market? Uh, Trader Ruski, were you aware of this controversy? I was not aware of the controversy. But look, I mean, I think it's a marketing... You know, it's just a marketing deal that they probably have with the cruise line. I mean, first of all, I'm sure you could get a group rate if you're taking 10 or 15 people on the cruise for probably a thousand each. So it could be said they're making a little money off that. But it seems like they set everything up front, and uh, I don't really have a problem with it. Well, it's funny you, mentioned, it's funny you mentioned this last thing about the group rate, because I was worried about that, too. That was one other question I asked. I asked them, what are you guys paying? Not how much is it worth in the open market. How much are you guys paying to get these cruises? Because the truth is, if they are getting a group rate, that is unethical. Because then they're, And then they are kind of stealing from the pool because they're getting something worth a thousand, something they claim is worth 1500 but they're getting for 1000 and just pocketing the difference. And that's, that's a very different story. So they, they said in response, and I, and I believe them. I, I don't think they're lying about this. They said in response to me, Casinos are invoiced $1,400 for each cabin for two from Card Player Cruises. And by the way, this is the Run Good Poker Series Card Player Cruise. So it's, their, it, it's a cruise associated with their series. So they have an incentive to be selling it. But they, anyway, they said that, that they are being invoiced $1,400 from Card Player Cruises for each package they give away. And then they're given $100 of cash on site. I guess not even on board credit. It's cash to, to, to each player. So they said we received zero revenue from cabins. We themed the season about a boat to excite players and have been transparent about packages transferring or use at a later date. So at this point, I, I started to think more like Trader Ruski. At this point, I thought, okay, fine. I, I think I understand now. Well, I have no way, no way to verify if they're really getting any kind of discount. I think I believe them. I think what is happening here is that they did want to sell 10 extra seats to their crews that they're having through Car Player Crews. They just want more people on the ship so it looks better. And uh, since this is a recreational-friendly poker series, that they, they did theme it around, hey, win a cruise. And they just thought it was, it was something interesting to do. And they, they probably didn't even think of the fact that taking that exact amount out of the pool 
is very player unfriendly because if the player wants the cruise, they could just buy it anyway. Like they, they are kind of forcing the players to buy the cruise. Now, yes, the players know coming in that that's what they're playing for. So they weren't tricking anyone, but uh, you know, I don't think they thought of it that way. I think they just thought of it as like, hey, this is you know a, a way to promote our cruise that we're going to be having in May. We're not we're not upcharging. We're not marking it up. We're just taking the full value that it's really worth it. We're really paying for it out of the prize pool for each per, for the top ten finishers. And this is just kind of the theme of what we're doing now. I don't think this is anything sinister or anything sneaky. I that was just my gut feeling after that last response from them. I thought, you know what? And they, and they were pretty open and, and like they were. They were never nasty. They were upfront. They were straightforward about it. So I said, okay. Like, I I still think that there should be a cash option. I think there should be a way. And they try to mitigate this by claiming that the, that if you don't want the cruise, that they'll try to help you to sell or transfer it to somebody else, and that they are transferable. But why have all that if they're actually buying these cruises directly from card player cruises? Then why not just say, okay, if you don't want it, we'll give you the cash. Even if it's like kind of a backdoor thing where when the people win, that bef- like before they give them the cruise, like when they go to cash out, go, hey, you know, would you like the 1500 instead of the cruise? Like, they, you know, just quietly say that to people without, you know, even directly stating it's an option in the flyer. That'd be fine, too. But at least give people the option. But you know, for, to have to have them help you try to sell it. And, of course, if you sell it, you're probably going to have to sell it at a discount. Like, why put people through that? So I thought they should give a cash option, but it's not a super major thing. It's just like a thing I think would be nice to be more player-friendly. But I don't think they realized it at the time. And this was already over by this point, so there's nothing to change for this year. Now, before I kind of changed my mind and decided that there's really nothing to this story, David Baker, David ODB Baker, you know, who I've had feuds with going back years. We meet, David and I have disliked each other for a decade not my fault, by the way. He, he just decided... I, I've explained this before on this show, but 10 years ago, he wrongly thought I was impersonating him on Absolute Poker. And when I heard about this, I explained it to him, and he didn't believe me. <laughs> I explained it v- very specifically and in a detailed fashion to him, and he didn't believe me. And so, so he's always been a dick to me whenever I see him. Like, not horrible, but just kind of just rude and... and, and uh, Unpleasant. It's where I could tell he didn't like me and he's just kind of a jerk. So in 2014, we had words with each other at Commerce over something stupid that he started. And then I was so frustrated about this afterwards. When I went home, I uh, tweeted about what he did. And F5Poker.com actually covered it. It's actually one of the – I think it's still on the front page of Google, which I don't mind. I mean, I don't care about it. But, I mean, I'm the one who brought it public, so – Obviously, I don't care if poker media covered it. But if you Google my name, I think it's like on the front page about the thing with me and David Baker. But he said there that he doesn't like me. But the funny thing is he claimed he didn't even remember the thing that started this whole thing, which I kind of believe. I actually think like he doesn't remember even why he first disliked me. But he did. And, and, uh, and but he also was a commentator, unfortunately, the last time I made a final table at the World Series and was bashing me in the commentary. And it, we, we just we don't have a good history with each other. Nothing terrible. Nobody scammed each other. In fact, I actually believe David Baker is an honest guy. I don't think he'd ever scam anyone or rip anyone off. And he obviously doesn't think that of me either because he actually had me escrow a bet between him and China Maniac after that incident, like like I think two years ago. So 
obviously he wouldn't have had me escrow a bet if he thought I was dishonest. He's never said that about me. Like he's never said I'm dishonest or I'm a scammer. And I've never said that about him. I actually think he's trustworthy, but I just don't like his personality. He doesn't like my personality. We just don't get along. And uh, we actually have some things in common. Uh, we're both Jews. We're both 45 years old, <laughs> but uh, we both play poker. But beyond that, no. So we're never going to like each other. We're never going to be friendly in any way. But uh, anyway, we, we haven't had any words since that 2014 incident. And in fact, we've played at the World Series a few times at the same table and basically said nothing to one another. And that's fine because I'm not looking for a, an ongoing feud with him. I, I can dislike someone without wanting to like, have an open feud with them. So I haven't been bashing him on Twitter anymore after this, and he hasn't been bashing me. And when we see each other in person, we just kind of ignore each other, which is fine. But I guess David, I don't know this for sure, but it seems kind of like he must be friends with someone who runs the Run Good Poker series because he got very emotional about this whole thing. So this is what he tweeted to the Run Good Poker series in response to what I was saying and, and Kessler was saying. Now, keep in mind, Kessler was far more aggressive both in number of tweets and the tone of his tweets. My tweets were kind of very businesslike and, uh, and, and mild. Uh, I, I read some of them to you. I mean, it, it wasn't offensive stuff, but, but Kessler was getting pretty aggressive with them and accusatory. So David Baker wrote, You guys are great. Creating a fun environment for the casual poker player, giving them opportunities to have fun and compete on a tour without a bunch of negative, assy, washed-up whiners. Keep doing your thing. Your target market appreciates and loves you, guy. So David ODB Baker called myself and Kessler negative, assy, washed-up whiners. He didn't name us, but that's who he was referring to. We were negative, assy, washed-up whiners. So it just so happened at that point was when I also, not because of anything David wrote, but, but I, I, that was right at the same point when they had responded about, about how they're paying in full to, to card player cruises. And I kind of came to the conclusion that this was much ado about nothing and that even how it's player-unfriendly was probably an oversight, not something done on purpose. So... I backed down. I actually thanked them for uh, – first I gave a suggestion. I said, I trust those numbers are correct, so I'm glad you aren't making money from it. I'm still a bit concerned that you're deducting a full price of a, a prize from a cash prize pool, which the winner could otherwise buy himself. Maybe give the winners an option to trade it for cash. Uh, thanks for your openness and your responses regarding this matter. I think it's possible the situation was simply due to an oversight of possible objections, and I think offering a cash option would fix this in the future. And that was it. I, st- I stopped tweeting about it after that. I, I, I quit. Why? Because I decided this was not uh, an issue to complain further about. They, they were open. They were upfront about everything. They, they were very polite. In fact, they even wrote to both myself and Kessler, thank you both for your suggestions and feedback. We will work to improve our product for players in, the future, in future seasons. I don't think they were really happy we did this, but they, you know, they, they publicly handled it well. So I wasn't going to continue to get on their ass about it, especially since I didn't think it was a big deal. Well, Kessler, unfortunately, couldn't let it go. Kessler just went on and on and on and on, kept 
hammering his point that they're making people buy cruises they may not want. Just over and over saying various forms of that. And, oh, my God, you would not believe <laughs> the firestorm of anger. I've never seen – I mean, people have bashed Kessler sometimes, but, I mean, they just really got all over him there, including some well-known players, not just uh, David O.D.B. Baker, but also uh, uh, Jamie Kerstetter and, and, and others were just really ripping into Kessler for this. So and this went on for days and days and days. And there were a few people who were on Kessler's side, kind of inconsequential people who – inconsequential meaning not known players, not anyone who uh, really had any influence over the situation. But for the most part, he was just getting destroyed on Twitter who were just you – know, people super angry at him about this. Now, I, I felt that people were being too harsh on him in that he was trying to do the right thing here. He was trying to – he did believe this was something unfair and was trying to point that out. I, I think after the whole, if all the information came out, I thought this was he needed to back away from it, like I did, and say, "Okay, you know, thank you for explaining it. We understand better now. Um, you know, maybe change such and such in the future. We're done." Instead, he kept fighting, 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 and he was doing it in, a, in an aggressive fashion, where it seemed like he was still kind of, kind of accusing them of doing things wrong. But. I mean, boy, did he take a beating on Twitter over this. And anyway, uh, that's what happened there. And <laughs> I never responded to ODB Baker, by the way. I, I never, I, I could have responded to what he said, but because he didn't mention me by name and because it was just that one tweet, and I knew it was mainly aimed at Kessler because he was by far the much more aggressive person. And by the way, Baker and Kessler, they were the main two going back and forth. Like, they, they were really going at it hard. So it, it was clear that, number one, he didn't like Kessler either, personally. And, and number two, that was the main person who was bothering him there. So I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm not even going to respond to this. Had it been a direct attack on me, then I, I would have responded. But I said, nah, it's not worth it. And in, indeed, it seemed like Kessler was the one more pissing him off there. So, Kev Math showed up on Poker Fraud Alert, and he brought up that, uh, for whatever reason, Kessler is not complaining about a poker series he was playing at the moment that's doing something much worse. So, in interest of equal time, I'll... I'll Give this point of view that Kev Math said that uh, at the Golden Gates Casino in Colorado, where the Colorado Poker Championship was going on, the buy-ins listed as eleven hundred. Uh, they don't break down the buy-in on the structure sheet, even though they do for other events of the ser- of that series. But the main event, they won't. And that it turned out that the buy-in was really nine seventy plus one thirty instead of what people would assume would be one thousand plus one hundred, which is much more standard. So they don't list that, and then they sneakily throw in that extra $30. So he was surprised that uh, Alan Kessler didn't call them out for that. And and also he said that they were taking a seat, uh, they were giving a seat to the high roller for $25,000 out of the prize pool for the full value. And then for some reason Kessler wasn't complaining about that either. So he he says that he thinks that Kessler picks and chooses 
who he attacks for things like this. And if he doesn't like the tour as a, a problem with them in some other way, then he'll bring up something that, yeah, maybe something he really believes, but, uh, but you know, he'll be much harsher on ones he doesn't like than, than ones he does like, like this Colorado poker championship. And, you know, who knows? That might be true. It's, it's a boy, good point that Kev Math brings up. So overall, I think Alan Kessler, for all his complaining, is actually good for poker. You need someone out there who is actively playing on the tournament scene as he is that notices these things and calls them out. And you can call these people whiners or complainers, but if if they're much more right than they're wrong as far as the complaints they make, it's good to have them because that's what causes change. That's what causes things to be fixed. That's what causes the right thing to be done. If no one out there like Kessler existed, then poker rooms would get away with a lot more shady behavior. All right, I'm going to take a call here in between segments. Caller, you are on the air. Hello? Hello? Caller. Hey, this is Brett from Sacramento. Hey, Brett. Hey, is it a good time to call in with a general question, or should yeah. I wait? Yeah, go ahead. Um, my question is, there's an article in, uh, I think, the Las Vegas Sun. It talks about the recent mass exodus from the people living in Southern California to Vegas. And um, I did that 20 years ago. And my thought process is it's a 20-year cycle because it you know, came and gone. The, the 90s were hot. And then the, the recession. And in my opinion, it's a 20-year cycle, the, uh, the back and forth from Vegas to Los Angeles or Southern California. What's your opinion on that? What do you think? Is that a right number or what do you think? Well, I, I think that uh, – keep in mind there was a mass uh, influx into Vegas all the way through 08, and then the real estate crash occurred, which hit Vegas very, very hard. And, and now we're nine and a half years after that. So uh, if you want to take the last time that the, the influx to Vegas, you know, when that ended was much less than 20 years ago, it was nine and a half years ago. There has been some recovery, but uh, – as far as people moving to Vegas, um, I haven't checked recently what the numbers are as far as the population growth there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it depends. Each individual has their own needs and uh, even to some degree personality type of whether they would be compatible with Las Vegas or not. For some reason, Las Vegas does attract a lot of people. Who, who just kind of go there for a new start when they don't really have a purpose. They don't have, they don't have a reason they're going there other than just, I want to go somewhere new. This seems like an exciting place to go. Uh, this is where I'd like to start out. And then they get there, and then they say, oh, crap, there's not a lot of opportunity. I, I don't, like, yeah. They don't really know what they're going to do once they get there, and then they find that the industries that exist there – a lot of them revolve around gaming, of course, and if you're not looking for a job there or have skills that could get you a good job there, then unless you have certain talents or experience in certain fields that you could uh, that you could still get a good job over there, th- then you can sometimes be out of luck, and, and then people will struggle. And then there's others who will struggle in Vegas with addictions, such as gambling addictions, drug addictions, and of course the, the the drug and alcohol addictions; those can happen anywhere, not just in Vegas. But in Vegas, the thing is, uh, the gambling is much more present in Vegas, and and sometimes just the whole culture around gambling can encourage more reckless behavior of other types, such as the drug and alcohol abuse. So I've seen people go to Vegas who 
had I wouldn't say they were stable, but they were they weren't in a terrible situation. Maybe financially they weren't doing that well, or were just kind of doing just getting by. But then they go to Vegas, and by the time they leave, they're a mess. I've also seen Vegas completely eat up various poker players, especially young ones who are not prepared for the uh, for for the responsibility they have to show there, and they they end up going usually back home to live with their parents broke and often addicted to, yeah. to drugs or, or, or bad alcohol problems. Uh, it wasn't a 20-year cycle, maybe more like a 10-year cycle. Maybe maybe 20 years is too as far as stretch. Maybe 10. I don't know. It just seems like it's a back and forth, up and down, even thing, you know? I, I never tried to observe that. but yeah. So And, and the people who... Uh, of the people who come there, something else that happens and the... you know, the, If you think about the prostitutes in Vegas, like how do they become prostitutes? Not many of them just, you know, as they were growing up as teenage girls said, you know what, one day I'm going to be a hooker in Vegas. Like they, most girls yeah. don't think that. That's not, that's not, so how do they get there? Well, there's a lot of different stories on how they got there to be hookers in Vegas, but a lot of them are these girls who came, you know, they were, they came to Vegas at age 20 or something, 21, whatever. And they expected to succeed there in some way. They, they often didn't have a plan. They just kind of seemed, thought it was kind of cool to move there. They'd move there. And then they'd find that they really couldn't get uh, any job that paid well and that they, they were starting to struggle. And then they started to realize that there were certain industries where they could succeed. And that was ones where they could use their looks and basically sell sex. So if, sometimes they start out with stripping, which you know, that, that at least you don't have to actually have sex with anybody. Uh, or, or perform any sex acts, but then they, a lot of times the strippers then transition into prostitution, especially if they develop a drug problem and need extra money, and uh, and, and that's how it goes. So a lot of times, the, and sometimes it, they don't just jump feet first into it. Sometimes they don't go from just a normal job that doesn't pay well to okay, I'm going to be a prostitute uh, full time. They'll start doing it once in a while. They'll you know they'll they'll say okay, well I'll do this once a month for some extra money. I'll do this twice a month for some extra money. That's it. And then, and then they start going well, but why am I even going to work for for eleven dollars an hour when I you know this I can just have a guy come over and have sex with me and pay me three hundred bucks. So you know, why don't I do that? You know it's so much easier. So then they just they eventually transition into that and it becomes the the full time job. And then unfortunately it, it takes various uh, emotional and physical tolls on them. And uh, and the whole thing usually doesn't end very well. So, yeah. so so that's now when men move there, that's much less common, obviously. But he's a, you know, a male prostitute is is basically a gay prostitute. There's there's no such thing as a a, a male prostitute who sells his services to women. So I mean, it's very uncommon. I guess there's a few, but almost all the male prostitutes are, are gay, or at least they're for gay men. So. Uh, but but still, you know, males they run into all kinds of other issues, you know, gambling issues, drug issues, alcohol issues, and uh, you just have you have to have a certain mindset there. You've got to be you've got to go there with a certain plan and know what you're going to do for work. Uh, make sure that that whatever job you want to have there that actually is lined up uh, before you actually move there. If you're going there to play poker or do something else gambling related, you have to have a plan of how you're going to manage your money, how much money you're expecting to make, you know, be realistic about what you're really going to make, uh, be realistic about variance, uh, be realistic about what, what, you know, what kind of spending you're going to do even when you're winning. So if people don't do this, they're going to fail. And I've seen so many people fail uh, in, in Vegas over, over the last, uh, you know, 
two decades or so that I've been observing it. So, yeah. my my case, my, a quick note. In my case, when I did live there, I had a great state job, and I could have stayed there, but I just didn't want to stay in that work environment. It was pretty poor. That high turnover. That I could have stayed there, made a lifelong career there, and it would have been fine. But my, can I have another comment about something? Can I add it? Yeah. Um, I'm on your Las Vegas hotel uh, forum, and I posted something in the uh, non-hotel uh, section about self-defense and carrying a firearm, and I reviewed all the comments that followed just recently, answered back, and a lot of the members on that forum board, they're all talking about, well, I don't want to get a firearm because a bad guy is going to shoot me first, and a lot of these guys are like wanting to be... Uh, like almost like a victim. Well, I don't want a gun. I don't. Uh, so I put a lot of responses on there. But if anyone's in the Vegas bulletin board, they're talking about I don't believe in self defense. I don't shouldn't have a gun, and they're basing everything on movies and TV. And if any of the guys are there, I put a lot of answers in. If you buy a firearm, it it's like almost being like poker. Um, you can't just get a deck of cards, and you're an expert. You need training, experience, and skills. And these guys are like all on the on that bulletin board. They're saying I'm just going to be a victim. I don't want a gun. I don't want to shoot first. And if anyone there is listening, I put a bunch of answers up tonight. Um, if you're interested in being a firearm owner, it, it, it's like poker, cards, skills, you need lots of training, you need training. And a lot of those guys had some really poor answers up there, and I just hope they're not embracing those answers that they're posting there, and they really get, read my responses. Well, okay, a lot of people on, uh, he's talking about the Vegas Casino Talk Forum, VegasCasinoTalk.com, and he posted a, I know the thread he's talking about, it's on the Whatever's On Your Mind Forum. And uh, yes. so, so that's a lot of those people who are posting that thread are not residents of Nevada. Uh, they're all over the country. So just just letting you know that there. And uh, but yeah, anybody who wants to see that thread can go check it out. It's pretty obvious. If you go to the whatever's on your mind forum of VegasCasinoTalk.com, uh, you guys can see that there. Okay, thanks and for PM, PM me if you, PM me if you have any questions. Yeah. Okay. But but, thanks. But thanks, Jeff. Thanks for calling. So that was Brett from Sacramento. And let's go on to the next topic here. So if you are someone who likes the poker gossip type topics, then I have some good news for you. We have three in a row coming up right here. In fact, I kind of wish I did them earlier. I was, I, when I was putting the show together, I, I thought maybe I should do these gossip topics earlier. For some reason, I just didn't think these topics we already did were going to take this long, but they have. Like We've been on for over four hours and we've only covered uh, like five topics with a few like little peripheral topics thrown in that weren't on the schedule. <laughs> That's, this is going to be a long show. For those of you who like the long show, I think it's going to be a long show. Because we got a number of topics still. This always happens. Whenever I do like a... a when I skip a show, it's it just the next one always ends up so long. When I was putting together this agenda, I go, oh, this isn't that long. And then I just when it was all done, I looked, I go, wow, there's a lot of topics on here. <laughs> well, maybe I'll go through them fast. Nope. So, okay. We've got three gossip topics in a row. Kind of a lighter side here. You guys might remember two weeks ago we had the story about Charlie Carroll's girlfriend who claimed to have multiple personalities and she she's 20 years old she's a former webcam girl that's how charlie met her she would take off her clothes and do really you know take requests to do explicit sexual things on camera and then you 
send her tokens that she could then redeem for money that you would buy from the site. I think she was on Chatterbait, but I'm not sure. So Charlie fell for her. He claimed he stopped being polyamorous for her. He was just, just going to be the two of them. He claimed that he believed her multiple personalities were real, where she would just completely switch personalities to be different people of different genders and ages and backstories. And we covered that on the last show. And I predicted, and it wasn't that hard to predict, that this was not going to be something that lasted long term, that eventually Charlie was going to get sick of this and dump her. Some people also theorized, especially some of Charlie's friends, that she was just into him for money because she got to know him because he sent her $1,000 when she was claiming to be broke and needing money to move out of her abusive boyfriend's place. So that immediately endeared her to him. Uh, Now, Charlie's fairly young himself. I think he's like 23 or 24. This girl's 20. And I just, I got the idea this is never going to last and this is probably going to be over fairly soon. Well, it appears that Charlie has dumped this cam girl with the multiple personalities. And while it has not been explicitly stated last I looked, I will play you a video she made where it's pretty strongly implied. So, Trader Risk, are you still there? Whether he's here or not, I'm going to play this. I just made sure his sound is on so he can hear. But, uh, Trader, if you're still here, say something. Otherwise, I'm afraid we we, pro- we may have lost him, too. Maybe just me. I may have to finish the second half of the show myself unless Brandon calls in. Anyway, here is the video that she made on, uh, I think it was December 20th, somewhere around there. The title of the video is Things Aren't Looking So Hot. And this hot is spelled H-A-W-T. Um, hi. It is like five in the morning and I woke up from a bad dream. Um, um, things are, are not better. Um, I don't, I, the thing is, is like, I can't address it yet. Um, but if you'd like an idea, I am in a hotel, if you can't tell. And I am going to be going to America again um okay so let me stop right there this is what she's trying to say she says she's not ready to tell you yet but she's in a hotel and she's going to america now what she means by that she's an american so what does she mean she's going to america she's been in england all this time with charlie that's where charlie's from so she says i'm you know things aren't going well in my life here if something's happening I, you know, i'm not going to tell you yet but I'm in a hotel and I'm going back to America. So what does that mean? I mean, you have to be an idiot not to understand what that means. That <laughs> Charlie kicked her out and and put her on a plane home. Probably put her in a hotel for the night and put her on a plane home. So why did this happen? Why why did that relationship where Charlie seemed 
so into her. How did this go south so fast? I'm I'm not okay. It's just like staring at the camera here. I'm quite sad. Mm. Quite depressed at the moment. I actually kind of believe this. This part I believe. I don't believe the personalities. I believe Um, that she is depressed, though. I was trying to make a video. Um, She's like holding up her phone doing this video. She's lying in bed. Like, symptoms of child sexual abuse. Um, But, like, I couldn't even make that video. I think I'm just going to try to take each day at a time. Um, I have footage from the video. I'm really dissociated, which, be proud of me, guys. I I fixed the way that I said it. (laughs) Um, It took a lot of practice because the way that I pronunciate things is sometimes difficult for my brain to understand. But anyways... Um, I was really dissociated in the video and was having a hard time speaking, um, but I don't have any way to edit now. I might be able to next week or... What she's claiming here is that she was trying to do some sort of video about suffering child sexual abuse and that during the video her various personalities came out and it was very hard to do the video which I I don't believe I determined just from watching her other videos that the whole multiple personalities thing is an act but that aside let's continue or like soon um because it's on my camera (laughs) but um Yeah, life is, uh, it's, 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 um, it'll be okay, but it fucking sucks. So, you can understand what she's saying here. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to where she talks about, kind of implies what happened. But uh, she's basically saying, I'm going to be okay, but it sucked. Yeah, she she lost her gravy-trained, rich poker boyfriend. And now she's frustrated that, that that's going to be hard to find again. At least one her age. I mean, she could find some dirty old man who's who's 50 that has a lot of money that will take her in. But that's that's not what she was looking for. She actually found a guy she was attracted to that was her age that had a lot of money and was really into her. And, and now she messed it up, basically what she's saying. So here's let me, I'm gonna to try to find it. I didn't have it marked down. I should have done this. Of, of what point? Oh, here we go. I, I did mark it down. Never mind. Uh, where she talks about what happened here. This this is about th- three minutes further into the video. Don't feed it and leave it in a cage. And every time you see it, you yell at it. All right, let me back it up. It's go back a little bit more. Everything just has, like, a chain reaction, you know? Like, you, if you beat a dog and 
don't feed it and leave it in a cage and every time you see it you yell at it like it's gonna be fucked up and then if you let it like go live with somebody else let me stop this right here she was talking right before this about her parents so she she was trying to say that her parents treated her so poorly that uh, it's like she was comparing herself to a dog that if if you mistreat and beat a dog every day and then the dog gets moved to somebody else's home that the dog may be messed up and can't just snap back to normal because people are treating it well that it's going to have lasting scars that may cause it to lash out at the new owner even though the new owner's been nice to it so she's referring to herself this way she said go live to somebody else that's the key point that she was talking about her parents talked about you know if you treat someone so poorly and, and abuse them all the time and then they go live with somebody else uh you know you, you can't expect them to be able to handle things normally so l- listen to the rest of this like bite the person and it's gonna not be trusting and it's just is not okay like it's not the dog's fault it's the owner's fault and like that's the kind of situation i'm in and it really sucks and like now i'm i'm like i'm gonna be in an okay spot like i'm not gonna be like i'm not gonna be living in a shit spot i'll be okay but like My heart is so broken. Okay. Again, got to read between the lines. So this analogy about the dog, she was talking about how she used the word trust and that you know you go live with someone else and you don't have trust anymore. It's very clear. She, she must have gone off on Charlie and made accusations against him, maybe that he was cheating on her. Whatever it was, she didn't trust him. And went off on him and probably accused him of things he was not doing. And Charlie's like, you know what? This girl's too crazy. I, I'm, I'm a, a rich, increasingly famous poker player. I don't need to put up with this. There's a lot of girls out there who are attracted to me. Screw this. You know, this chick was interesting originally, but she's getting on my nerves. She's unstable. She's crazy. She's out of here. And Charlie probably put her on a plane, paid for this one night of hotel, and probably gave her some money. So she doesn't just go back home and have nowhere to go. Because remember, he took her out of a situation where she was with some abusive boyfriend and she was like trying to raise $1,000 to leave and get her own place. That's where she was when Charlie entered the picture. So she she's flat broke and had nowhere to go. So I'm sure she told him this when he was going to break up, break up with her. So he probably said, look, I'm not going to be a dick here. I'm not going to just you know kick you out and say, you know, go find your way home from England. I will buy you a plane ticket back to the U.S., I won't make you go back and live with your parents who you're estranged from. You know, I, I, I will I, – you know, I'm not going to leave you in a fucked situation. I'm going to buy you a plane ticket. I'm going to give you a hotel room for the night before you fly back. Here's some cash so now you can reestablish yourself once you get in the U.S. You can get a place. You, can, you know, So that's what she means. She's saying she's going to be okay. You could tell by what she's saying. Like she wasn't saying I'm flat broke. I'm going to come back and have to live in a cardboard box. She's like, yeah, I'll be okay, but my heart's broken. So it may – she was basically saying, uh, yeah, financially, I'm not in absolutely horrible shape now. That is kind of okay at the moment, but my heart's broken, and, and this really sucks. So she blew it. She, she fell off the gravy train, or she was thrown off the gravy train with a little bucket of gravy. 
So she kind of blew it. And I think she's mad at herself. I think she got too comfortable and she, yeah, she probably is really messed up. I'm not, I'm not doubting that part. I, I think she probably did have a bad relationship with her parents. I don't know whose fault it was. Maybe it was both of their faults, but you know, she probably has a, a bad history. There, there probably have been a lot of problems in her life. And it, it is tough to go from a situation like that into just a stable relationship and treat the person well. I have been in relationships before with not, not girls to this. I've never been with a multiple personality girl or, or, or someone you know, quite like this, but I have been with, I've had, or shall I say I attempted, well, actually I did have relationships with them, but I attempted to make relationships work with girls who were not completely stable. No one any of you know, so don't don't try to guess. It's, not, it's no one that anyone here knows who's listening to the show, I guarantee you. But I, I had in the past tried to make relationships work with girls who were not stable. And I, I eventually had to give up, even, even ones that when things were fine or when uh, they weren't totally crazy, that everything was great. But I, I would realize at some point that it just can't work. There's just people who are not stable and you can't have a long relationship with them or you're going to be dealing with constant trouble. So I think that's what Charlie realized. I think Charlie just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> he's like, yeah, she probably blew up on him and accused him of things. And he's like, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. The, the multiple personalities I can take, but not, not, not this. So I'll give Charlie credit that, that he was, wasn't a jerk, and even though this looks like it had a bad ending, that he gave her some money and paid for her plane ticket home. She didn't say this explicitly, but that's what it appears happened. And I'm sure she will sit there regretting as she likely goes back on cam and has to take off her clothes to receive uh, nickels at a time, which is what it really is. Like on Chatterbait, each token there is a nickel. I think the guys pay double for that, but... Um, yeah, so she'll make nickels to dollars at a time, but that's a far cry from being on the Charlie Carroll gravy train and having him be really into you. I mean, if she had played her cards right on this, uh, she could have been with him for a long time. They could have gotten married. I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm overreaching here a bit, but he was really into her. She blew it. She really blew it. And she knew it. That that You could tell from watching this video, if you want to go watch it, you can tell that she knew that she blew it. Kind of the same feeling you have of like you're a like chip leader in a tournament. And the prize is really big. And you're cruising along and then you just do stupid things. And chunk off your chips unnecessarily. I'm not talking about taking bad beats or just going card yet. I mean you just throw away your chips. And you walk out of there and you feel so freaking stupid. That's the way she feels right now. All right. Next gossip item. Anyway, I don't think we'll hear much more from her anymore. In the chat, uh, Vegetera wrote, Druff, multiple personalities don't exist in the real world. Great for TV movies, but there's no uh, proof of it. Talked about it with a psychiatrist. I especially don't think they exist to the extent that she was portraying them with all these different ages and genders and backgrounds and personalities. It just, it, it was too perfect. Like a, like out of a TV movie. So 
So, let's move on here. Anna Kate. Anna Kate has lost her show. She had a YouTube show. And her show is is now gone. It has been thrown off of YouTube. Anna Kate, that her last name is spelled K H A I T. You can look at her on Twitter. It's uh, at Anna Kate A N N A K H A I T. She has been on this show twice. Once discussing how she was a victim of a, a tournament, a tournament series scammer, a guy who was running like a bogus tournament series and tried to hire her as a, like a spokesperson. She did nothing wrong there, by the way. She really was a victim, as were other people. And uh, she was also on here to discuss how she was going to appear on the TV show Survivor, and did. I met her in person once. I thought she was nice and seemed kind of unassuming and not, uh, not arrogant at all. Brandon met her in Reno. He thought the same thing. So I, I thought highly of her in the interactions we've had. In recent times, Anna developed kind of a new interest that she didn't have before, at least not to my knowledge, and that was politics. She's very into conservative politics and has been very outspoken about this on Twitter. She was a big backer of Donald Trump and and was also just in general uh, very conservative politically, which is pretty unusual in poker, and it's very unusual for a female in poker. There are some conservative males in poker, myself included, but uh, but a female in poker who's conservative, that's really uncommon, and especially uh, one who's outspoken as that. Uh, now, you know, she and I have some differences in our political views, and I'm not really a Trump supporter, but, you know, we are both poker-playing conservatives. Now, she had a YouTube channel, and she did various videos on there. She called it the Anna Kate Show. I never ended up watching them. I, I meant to watch them. I just never got around to doing it. Well, on December 16th, that show was removed from Google. Sorry, it was removed from YouTube, and she got a notice about it from Google. Oops, sorry, I think I blew out of your ears there. I got complaints that the uh, some of the videos I played of uh, Charlie Carroll's crazy girlfriend were too soft two weeks ago. So I I, uh, I said, you know, this time, because she does talk softly, I'm going to make sure to turn it up so you guys can hear it. And then I never turned everything back down. I just, I just blew out your ears with a, concern, with, a, with a current affair. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I, I, I hate that when I'm listening to something and the volume changes and it blows up my ear. Okay, so... She got notification, and and if you uh, tried to go to this, it would say, uh, uh, from her Google account, which controls the YouTube channel, it said, unable to access a Google product. If you've been redirected to this page from a particular product, it means that your access to this product has been suspended. Your access to this Google product has been suspended because of a perceived violation of either the terms of service or a product-specific terms of service. Uh, 
Google reserves the right to disable an account for investigation, suspend a Google account from accessing a particular product or the entire Google account system if the terms of service or product-specific policies are violated or terminate an account at any time for any reason with or without notice. If you believe your access to this product was suspended in error, please contact us. Now she said, well, that didn't take long. YouTube suspended my Anna Kate show without any warnings or emails as I haven't violated any company policy. Hashtag suspended, hashtag censorship. She tweeted this. Uh, Beer and Poker uh, responded to the announcement of this by saying, unless she was banned for excessive nudity, I have no interest. (laughs) I I can understand that. So someone asked her, did you say or cover anything somewhat controversial recently, or did viewers know what these explosive shows were when they were going when they were going to them? It doesn't mean you were legitimately controversial, but some viewers can sometimes still decide to group that to, to group together to shut down someone. So she said back, "Nothing explosive. Most of it has been in the news. It was about Hollywood, open Satanists, and pedophilia rings being exposed and broken up, all in the news." So I think we're starting to get some information here. <laughs> she was doing videos about uh, Satanists and pedophilia rings in Hollywood. And it was stuff in the news, she says, that she was just covering what she already read about in the news. But you can imagine this topic is already a bit salacious and uh, this could have resulted in something. Now, the best explanation for what likely happened came from our own Seriously Serious, the video guy for Doug Polk. Who now has a uh, lucrative career, right? at least a semi-lucrative career, uh, making Doug Polk's videos, has moved to Vegas to do this, uh, is married, seriously serious, uh, doing well for himself, but still posting on Poker Fraud Alert and still sometimes listening to this show. He wrote at the following about what he feels happened to Anna. YouTube is in the midst of another advertiser crisis. Previously, a ton of major brands like Coca-Cola, General Motors, McDonald's, etc. pulled their ads in a short span of time. This was in response to sensationalist reports of ads running against beheading videos, ISIS recruiting videos, and other inappropriate content. There was also that Wall Street Journal piece painting PewDiePie. By the way, that's the, uh, he's the highest viewed uh, YouTube performer. Uh, painting PewDiePie as a Nazi and some other damaging pieces that made advertisers uncomfortable. So, so basically he's saying that these very large sponsors that were paying to have their ads at the beginning of YouTube videos were seeing all these reports in the news that there is terrible stuff going on on YouTube. <laughs> it would start out with their video prior to this uh, terrible content. So you know, this video brought to you by McDonald's. Da, 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 I'm loving it. We are going to behead this infidel right here. Ugh! They didn't want to be sponsoring that. So that's now that's not really what was happening, but there were reports claiming it was. So rather than investigate whether this was true, these companies panicked, according to the Seriously Serious, and, and just uh, pulled their ads from YouTube. So Seriously Serious goes on to write, YouTube's response to this was to go scorched earth. They heavily relied on artificial intelligence to demonetize videos and determine what's appropriate for advertisers. Demonetizing means that videos that uh, on YouTube, the way people who make YouTube videos make money is that when people 
watch ads or uh, um, you know, when they watch ads that run on their videos that they get a small amount of money for each ad that, that gets run. And that's called being monetized. Google basically shares the revenue. And if Google has determined that they don't want to place ads on your video because your video is too controversial or, or uh, something that might offend advertisers, then they demonetize it where your ads don't run on your videos and you don't make any money for those specific videos. So he's saying that YouTube, what they did is they just sent, sent out a bot to go through their entire system to find anything that could be slightly offensive, even if it's not really offensive, even if it's not really controversial, just to look for the slightest thing that could possibly bother advertisers and demonetize them. So he goes on to say, this resulted in a lot of false positives, which screwed over some innocent video creators and was kind of a shit show. This was called the adpocalypse. This is all true, by the way. This, this was happening. I've, I've been hearing a lot about this. So he's serious and serious is totally correct here. Things eventually settled down and most of the advertisers came back, but the AI, meaning artificial intelligence, demonetization continued to run amok. Recently, another shitstorm went down when concerned parents and mainstream news finally noticed creepy videos targeted to children. This had been going on for a few years. Someone figured out that kids love to click on weird shit like needles, poop, rape, gore with characters like Spider-Man and and, and Elsa. (laughs) It became a trend and suddenly there were tons of fucked up videos like this. They were extremely popular and garnered hundreds of millions of views. Advertisers panicked, YouTube overcorrected, and now there's even a more zealous AI demonetizing videos and nuking channels. Adpocalypse 2.0. So yeah, maybe not the best time to be using words like pedophilia and Satan in your titles and descriptions and keywords. Totally true. This is definitely what happened to her. I can't say for sure, but okay, very likely what happened to her. So... YouTube is so huge that they can't have employees going from video to video watching them going, ah, this is offensive. Okay, this is not offensive. They've just decided to kill anything that has even the hint of controversy. And then, as Seriously Serious said, there's a lot of false positives and a lot of good channels, a lot of harmless channels, a lot of harmless videos were unfairly demonetized. I watched some conservative channels, and they've been complaining about this, except they're not being completely honest about this. See, seriously, serious, you can see this is a very unbiased and honest description of what was occurring. And he, he, you know, he's definitely not defending YouTube, but he's also not saying that they're, being, uh, they're ideologically targeting people. He's saying that they're just going after anyone that could have anything that's slightly objectionable even if it's not objectionable, just the bot overcorrects everything, as he put it. So that's really what is, a hap- what is happening. But I've been watching conservative channels where they really have been demonetized a lot, as Seriously Serious said. They, they really have been a lot of unfair demonetizations, and I believe that has been happening to a lot of conservative channels, uh, along with other channels, but I think just uh, because conservative channels tend to cover the type of topics that YouTube's bots don't like now. I think they really are not intentionally aimed at conservatives, but I think they are being hit more with this than the average channel. But there's been a lot of complaints. And you know, people like Steven Crowder, who I watch all the time, they've complained that most of their videos have been demonetized. 
So uh, Anna Kate and other conservatives who've either been deleted from YouTube or demonetized have taken this opportunity to claim that this is targeted demonetization because of their political views. Because yeah, Google is a leftist-leaning company. There's, there's no doubt about that. They're, they've demonstrated this in many ways, that they definitely have a left-wing bias politically. So it's not hard to believe, even though I don't believe this is what's really happening, but it's not hard to believe that if conservative videos are getting unfairly demonetized when they've done nothing wrong and violated no terms, that this is being aimed at wiping conservatives off YouTube and that anyone who's currently making money from YouTube by producing conservative political content uh, is getting demonetized in order to silence them, basically to make it not worth their while to do these videos anymore. As I said, I don't believe that's what's really happening. I believe it's just these bots doing it, and that it just happens that the topics they cover, the, the bot seems to like to demonetize more, because a lot of these topics can be controversial. And it's unfortunate, and it's unfair, and it sucks that this is happening. As Seriously Serious said, it's a shit show. But it's not being targeted specifically at conservatives. But those who have been targeted this way, I don't even think a lot of them believe it. Like Steven Crowder, for example, he's a smart guy. He's, he's very aware of the way YouTube works. I don't think he really believes this. I, I think that it's something to put out there to be sensationalist. And therefore, when you say this is happening to you, and when it really has been happening to you, and you give a reason for it, claiming that uh, it's targeted at you because of your political views, then you can direct people to go to your private website and subscribe to your content for pay. And it works to say, hey, look, YouTube is banning my stuff here, and they demonetized me, but if you want to support what we're doing, you know, go pay you know, $100 a year to have access to all my content on my private website. And this is a way to fight back against what YouTube's doing. So I think that, that I do think that Anna Kate really believes that she was targeted for being conservative, but I don't think that's what really happened. Now, uh, there, there have been other controversies <laughs> involving Anna Kate. For example, back in November, this tweet came from Vanessa Selbst, who's very, very liberal politically. She wrote, okay, so like to everyone that was all mad that I said Anna Kate is racist and I don't want to debate it, please just look what I'm dealing with. I, I'm over the last week on Twitter, but anyone else who wants to step in, please, please spare me. And then she linked to uh, some tweet that Anna Kate wrote that I can't find anymore. I didn't. I never got to read it. I don't quite know what that's about, but uh, Vanessa Selps was, was bashing her, and then a lot of people gave Vanessa Selps a hard time because she was unfairly bashing her. I can't comment on that one because I did not get to actually read what Anna Kate wrote there. I haven't seen anything racist coming from Anna Kate, so I, I think that Vanessa was probably in the wrong. And Vanessa, she is so overly sensitive to this. She is a total social justice warrior. Every little thing offends her. And, and and she's both super left-wing and a big-time social justice warrior and often a hypocrite, too. She blocks anyone who disagrees with her, too. She blocked me for disagreeing with her once politically. And I did so respectfully, too. So 
I, I don't think very highly of Vanessa Selps as a person. She's a good poker player, but as a person, I, I don't like her. I don't think she's a dishonest person, but I, I, I don't like her personality one bit. And I think she's often very hypocritical, so I, I think she was attacking Anna Kate unfairly, if I had to guess, just from what I've seen of Anna Kate and also what I've seen of Vanessa. Uh, this is from Duped Samaritan on that thread on Poker Fraud Alert. He said, I played with her a bunch at Borgata a few years ago before Survivor. She was actually pretty cool, never dressed or acted in a way that made me think she wanted to be treated any differently than any other random regular at the table. Uh, and then he said, I tried to watch the first couple episodes of her show, but honestly, it seems like someone brainwashed her. She's using her looks to get attention and regurgitating the same most ridiculous theories that are surely being pounded into her brain by some Steve Bannon type person or people. Perhaps it's the family. I don't know. So, um, you know, I, I, I did, as I said, I didn't watch her show. Uh, it, it is kind of strange how quickly she has taken to this like hard right political stance. Uh, I do think she really believes it. I don't think it's an act. But uh, it was kind of just something I didn't expect from her. But as you see, though, the the people who've met her, they all pretty much say the same thing, that she's unassuming, that she doesn't try to use her looks in person to get favors done, that she doesn't want special treatment, that she doesn't try to flaunt herself. It's true, like when I met her, she wasn't, you know, wearing skimpy clothing to get attention. She just, you know, she was dressed pretty conservatively. She's not... Uh, there's a lot of pretty girls in poker. Well, not a lot of them, but of the pretty girls in poker, especially the ones under 30, a high percentage of them are very arrogant and unpleasant to deal with. They just they, they want you to kiss their ass. They expect you to do them favors. They, they think that by being pretty and under 30 and in the extreme minority gender-wise that they deserve special treatment. And I don't ever give that. I don't ever give that, and I've actually had some of them like lash out at me for that reason. I've told some stories here before about that. That I'm I'm not the one who's kissing their butt or trying to do them favors just because they're pretty and young. And then they get mad at me. But Anna's not like that at all. I've never played poker with her, but uh, just seems like another player there. Doesn't uh, and kind of soft spoken and quiet. On December 16th, later that evening, she wrote, If you know anyone who is filing a class action lawsuit against YouTube, tag them or DM me. <laughs> it's never going to work. Never going to work. You, YouTube can kick you off at any time for any reason. So if they just don't want slightly controversial material, kick you. Tough luck. <laughs> that is not going to happen So as far as I know that She's still kicked off of there I don't think that's going to be appealed By the way I want to Also mention something similar That happened with large sponsors To Yahoo Many years ago In the 
early to mid 2000s Yahoo Chat was a very active chat system. It may have been the most active chat system at the time. I actually chatted there sometimes. I actually met a number of girls over the years from Yahoo Chat. But uh, one area of Yahoo Chat I did not go to and did not like. I mean, I, I checked it out to see what was there, and every once in a while I, I would look at these rooms, and uh, but it never appealed to me. And that would be the user rooms. That was users could create their own rooms. And then you could go to the user room section and you see the big list of rooms. Well, you can imagine in an anonymous chat system like Yahoo what type of rooms were created. So some of them would be okay. There were a few I liked. Like there was one where you'd go on there and make prank calls on the microphone. Because there was a voice chat. It was a voice and text chat at the same time, which was kind of cool. So there's like a prank call room where people would take turns doing prank calls on the microphone. They did a few of those. So I liked rooms like that. It kind of got, kind of got boring after a while, but uh, like there was a few other like kind of harmless rooms like that. But then there were these really disgusting sexual rooms, some which were even illegal, like uh, you know men over forty for preteen girls uh, eight to twelve. Like there were rooms like that. I never went into those rooms. I'm not kidding. I like I. Even to go in would disgust me. I, I wouldn't want to go in to like even see what it's like. I just would not want to go in. It's just that off-putting to see something like that. But th- these rooms were there like every day. There were tons of them. And somehow Yahoo did not clamp down on it. Well, guess what happened? Yahoo had some big sponsors like Sprint and Pepsi. And the sponsor's message was put while the room was loading, which didn't really need that much time to load, but it would delay the room loading and it would say, this room brought to you by Sprint, this room brought to you by Pepsi. So can you imagine people go into like the the older men for preteen girls room and it says it's brought to you by Sprint? Can you imagine what Sprint thought when they found out about this? So there was a mass exodus from Yahoo chat sponsorship by large sponsors when this came to light. Immediately, Yahoo removed all of its user rooms and never brought them back, but the damage was done. They never had any outside sponsors to Yahoo Chat ever again. So, and then the chat kind of languished for another seven to ten years before finally going down. So, this happened before. So that's the problem. Whenever there's user-based content... And there's major sponsors. This is always a recipe for disaster. I'm surprised Yahoo didn't learn, or I'm surprised Google didn't learn from what happened to Yahoo. I guess they just didn't know. This is exactly the same thing. Except Yahoo is worse because yeah, here we're just talking about some controversial videos for the most part. On YouTube, on Yahoo, they actually had disgusting and sometimes illegal sexual rooms. Sponsored by Sprint and Pepsi and whoever else. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate for content providers. There are people who make a living through producing YouTube videos, and that's that's a great way to make a living. I mean, you enjoy it, you have a following, you get kind of internet famous, and then you make money from it just from producing videos in your own home. Sounds great, huh? But then one day the rug is pulled out from under you, much like uh, online poker, where one day your favorite site you can't access anymore. 
or it disappears, or it, uh, it's run off with your money. One day your options are much less, and the games aren't as good. It's kind of the same thing. You wake up one day, and your videos are demonetized. So I can see that. That's very frustrating. You spend all that time and effort to build up this following. Everything's going well, and then YouTube just pulls it when you haven't done anything wrong. But that is the problem when you count on a third-party company to make a living. When you're not working for them, but we are working with them and where they can terminate the relationship or change the relationship at any time and you have no recourse. It's always a big risk. Well, the final gossip segment, of course, is about Kate Hall. That's an obligatory sound whenever we talk about Kate Hall. So Kate Hall, back in October, tweeted about a situation she had back when she was a lawyer. And I lost the thread. I had the thread up. It's gone. That's frustrating. Where is it? I, I had it. I, I knew I was going to need this thread. Here we are. I knew I was going to need this thread, and then it disappeared. Okay, so this was uh, back October 18th of this year. You may wonder, you know, why would I cover this now, over two months later? But the reason I'm doing this is because there's an update. This is what she wrote in October. The truth is I've had so many painful experiences over the years that it's felt silly somehow to turn them into a listicle. A listicle. It's kind of like a popsicle, which is a list. Uh, But hashtag me too. Now, remember the hashtag me too is is a big thing this year with women who are coming forward to share their stories of rape, sexual assault, or sexual harassment. And for the most part, I, I think it's a good thing. I've heard people criticizing Me Too, saying, oh, all these women are coming forward with, with unprovable accusations and that you know, men can be negatively affected and uh, you know, that you shouldn't give this much power to people to make accusations without being able to prove it, blah, blah, blah. Well, the truth is we haven't seen that happen. What we're seeing happen is just about all these Me Too stories, when they do name someone, tend to be true. And the details tend to be very close to accurate or completely accurate. So if we're not seeing a problem with false accusations out there. If it seems like these are all true, then (laughs) it's probably overall a good thing. I'm not saying that you if there's someone that's accused that you should automatically believe it without looking into it further. Like, whenever you're going to make that conclusion about someone, you should look into it further and then draw your own conclusion. And, of course, give them a chance to defend themselves. But Usually you can tell both by the story and the response by the accused or lack thereof whether the girl's telling the truth or not. And just about every time I've seen one of these come out, uh, the girl is telling the truth. So uh, there, there is a lot of reprehensible behavior that's committed by perverted men against women that they've gotten away with and, and girls have kind of had to just 
internalize it over the years, and uh, now they kind of feel comfortable about coming out and expressing it and calling out people who treated them poorly in that way. And as long as they're telling the truth, I think that's totally fine. And if, if someone makes up a story, then I think they should suffer consequences for it. They should be shamed and, and, and made to look terrible in public themselves for falsifying stories and maybe even in some cases uh, face uh, criminal or civil charges, I, I, I would think. But if someone is... Actually, I guess criminal would be tough, but civil charges at the very least. But anyway, in just about all the cases, it seems like these are true. And if, if they are true and they're calling out someone who really did commit these acts, then great. It's good that everybody knows. But let's get back to what Kate Hall was saying. So she said that she's doing her own Me Too thing. This is back on October 18th. This is her listicle. She says, the truth is... I'm sorry, I already read that. Uh... Uh, a bad ones. I think she means a bad one. Shortly after I graduated from law school, a partner at the firm I was going to work for after my clerkship asked me to lunch. We started drinking at lunch. Then he pushed me to move to a bar. Given that I was a serious alcoholic by that point, I didn't need much pushing. As we got drunker, he started to convince me to get a hotel room with him. He was married. I had a boyfriend and I was not interested. Despite my drunkenness, I stayed firm, though he kept grabbing my arm and telling me to at least admit that I, quote, wanted it. I tried laughing it off several times, but eventually looked him straight in the eye and said, I didn't want it, and it wasn't going to happen. And I watched something snap in his eyes, as if the drunken haze he real- as, as through the drunken haze he realized that he might have miscalculated. He looked straight at me with cold eyes and said, you should be very careful. Women who make unfounded accusations don't get very far at the firm. And I panicked, not for myself mostly, but for my boyfriend, who was already an associate at the very small firm and prized his job there. So I laughed and pretended it had all been a joke, and that I misunderstood because I was drunk, whatever. His expression softened. Again, these are all a bunch of tweets she's putting out uh, one after another in October. He told me he would all be forgiven if I came back to his house for a drink. And drunk and terrified, I agreed. I called my boyfriend on the way there, or when I got there, I don't remember, but I begged him to come retrieve me, and he did. My memory of the next bit is hazy, but I remember my boyfriend yelling at me in the back of the cab on the way to the hospital. I think he insisted that we go because he was concerned the guy had put something in my drink. But he wasn't concerned about me, but about his reputation. He yelled at me for having put him in that position, for jeopardizing his career. The next morning, he made me call the partner and apologize for getting so drunk and tell him that I didn't remember any of what had happened. I had to call this man who had done this horrible thing to me and beg for forgiveness for being a silly little girl who couldn't hold her liquor. And he, referring to the boyfriend, made me go and get a notarized affidavit describing in detail what I actually remembered and give it to him to put it in his safe. Then he disappeared for a weekend with his friends, again, this is the boyfriend, to sort out whether he could forgive me for having put him in that position. And when he got back, he wordlessly threw me down on the floor, put his hand on my face, and raped me as punishment. And I was so damaged by everything that had happened, I was grateful for it, because it meant he wouldn't kick us out of our apartment. It meant I was losing my job, I couldn't go back there, and I knew my life and my boyfriend's would be ruined if I... Uh, tried to report it. 
That was my. That was the last time I drank. But I didn't find the courage to leave my boyfriend for almost a year. I was so fucked into believing it was my fault. And you want to know the really wild thing? When picking up the worst story I had to share, or when picking the worst story I had to share, it took me a minute to settle on this one. Hashtag me too. Now that was all back in October. Here's the update from December 13th. She names the guy. She says, the person that did this to me was Jeremy Goldstein of Wachtell Lipton. I've stayed silent all these years out of fear of reprisals, but I don't think he has the power to hurt me anymore, and the world should know he's a predator. I don't want anything but for this to be known about him. So she's saying she's not looking for settlements or anything. She just wants it known. I'm now seeing stories that he left the firm under suspicious circumstances in 2014. I'm sorry to whoever else he did this to for not coming forward sooner. Now, now she's she says I'm now seeing stories. Uh, okay, so let, let's let's. I want to quickly mention this, and I'm going to go over this whole thing. These tweets are five minutes apart. Okay, at 3:59, she's like. Uh, I don't think he's had the power to hurt me anymore. The world should know about it as a predator. I don't want anything. Uh, you know, I've been a fear of, of reprisals. But like, oh, I'm now seeing stories that he left the firm under suspicious circumstances. I, it kind of sounds like she's saying, like, uh, well, I don't know. She, I, I guess she could mean by that, the, by the last tweet that that's what she was referring to in the previous tweet that she doesn't think he has the power because he left the firm. Whatever. Uh, I guess that point doesn't matter. But let me get to the whole thing here because this this is a lot to take in. So let's look at this again, because I, I read this tweet by tweet, maybe a little hard to remember this whole thing. Very simply, she got a job at a law firm right out of law school that her boyfriend at the time, who she lived with and had been with for a long time, that he already worked there and was an associate at that law firm. He was also an attorney. And she got a job there as a new attorney. And right when she got that job, a partner at the law firm, who then she later identified two months later as this uh, Jeremy Goldstein, who was married, invited her out to lunch. Okay, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. So you're a girl in, in in your 20s, relatively attractive. I know we make jokes here about about her bony hands and uh, everything else. But you know, the truth is, if you look at Kate Hall, she's a fairly attractive girl. Not everybody's type. You know, some, some may think she's too tall or too bony or whatever. Yeah, but, you know, she, she has a pretty face. She's young. She's, you know, she's uh, definitely like an above-average looking girl. So you're young. You're attractive. You join this law firm and immediately... A partner there wants to take you to lunch for no apparent reason, not to discuss business. Just hey, come come to lunch with me. It's it's not like he tricked her and said, hey, you know, we want to discuss uh, about your time here. Come to lunch. We'll do it over lunch. No, nothing. Just hey, you want to go to lunch? So come on. Kate Hall is very aware of why guys invite her to lunch. Uh, you, you don't have to be a genius, and and she is smart, by the way. I'm not even saying she's stupid. Clearly, she knew why this partner suddenly invited her to lunch upon getting the job at this law firm with no reason otherwise for going to this lunch. Just like, hey, you want to come to lunch with me? And alone with him, not not with other partners, not with other employees, just him. So right there, there should be red flags. And with her boyfriend working there, 
Even if she's not sure the guy is inviting her because he's interested in her romantically or sexually, uh, right then she should tell her boyfriend, hey, you know, such and such invited me to lunch, what should I do? And if the boyfriend objects, then ask to the boyfriend, okay, then, you know, how do I turn him down politely without uh, offending him and, uh, you know, whatever. So um, she hides it from her boyfriend, doesn't tell him. Which, if you read the tweets, it's very clear. I'm not. I'm not theorizing this. She she clearly you know hid it from him, and just went with this partner to lunch alone with him for a lunch that had no purpose. That that clearly seemed like it was more of a date. But okay, you can say, all right, fine. I, I'm sure most of you who have had jobs have probably gone to lunch at some point with someone from work. Socially, meaning it wasn't to discuss business, just someone says, hey, you want to go lunch, okay? Uh, I, I've done it before. I'm sure other people have done it before. I'm, yeah, a lot of times, uh, it's someone of the same gender who, who's who's heterosexual that just wants to, someone to go to lunch with them. Hey, you want to come to lunch with me? Okay. You know, I, I've done that before. But other dudes at, at work invite me to go to lunch with them. I, I didn't think there was going to be a homosexual pass made at me, and there was not one. So, okay. Even though... This is a bit suspicious why the partner just wants to take her to lunch alone the second she gets hired there. Okay. You could say that since these lunches, these social lunches uh, among colleagues are still semi-common, that even though she should have told her boyfriend, given the whole circumstance, given that uh, he worked there too, even though because it could be very awkward if the guy made a pass at her and she had to turn him down and the boyfriend's working there and this guy's the, the boss of the boyfriend, like she should have talked to him about it. But fine. She accepts the lunch and figures and, and reasons to herself, look, this has got to be harmless. The guy's married. You know, it's just lunch. Who cares? Once she's at the lunch, drinks are ordered. Okay. Again, you have to suspect that at least possibly the guy's bringing you there for social reasons, for, for romantic re- or sexual purposes. So should you be ordering drinks with him? Wouldn't it be better to to keep your wits about you and say, you know, even if you are an alcoholic, as she describes yourself, wouldn't it be much more responsible to say, no, no, thanks, uh, you know, I, I don't want to drink today, or I don't want to drink at this time, too early in the day, whatever. Maybe have one drink and that's it. So she drinks a lot, gets smashed with a guy, then he invites her to move it to a bar. Well, at this point. At this point, you've, you've got to see a million red flags, even if you're drunk. At this point, when you're invited to go to a bar, at this point, you know now that it is not just, hey, let's go to lunch because we're going to be working together. Now, it's definitely looking much more like a date. Come to a bar with me. I mean, come on. A dude from work invites her to lunch alone with nobody else there and then says, hey, let's go to drink at a bar together. Like, how naive would you have to be to not understand what that means? I don't believe she was that naive. I think she felt that she could gain from this situation. That by going to the bar, that she's still in a public place, that she doesn't have to do anything with a guy, that she could uh, drink with him, flirt, whatever, but then doesn't have you know she doesn't have to go home with him or have sex with him or do anything with him, and that uh, this may help her out. This is someone who's powerful. This is the, this is a partner at the firm. Why not get off on on the right foot with him and you know maybe 
he does kind of want her. Maybe she can use that to her advantage. So she goes to this bar, which is a huge mistake. When when you're working with someone and you're realizing they have a, a romantic or sexual interest in you that is not returned, especially if your boyfriend works at the same company, that is when you try to avoid that person as much as possible. You don't go to bars with them. That's when you find an excuse to say no. I don't care if you're an alcoholic. You say no. If you don't say no, then it is you being disrespectful to your boyfriend. It's incredibly – and it's, it's very reckless career-wise too. But, but even putting that aside, it's very, very reckless. And to be honest, it's giving the guy the wrong idea. I'm not saying he has a right to sexually harass or rape her at that point. But I'm saying that at this point, if I'm this, this partner, I would think, okay – this is going well. I think Kate's interested in me. That's what I would think. Again, doesn't give justification to do anything uh, aggressive or sexual, but it but it does give that impression that she's going to be interested. So they move to the bar together. And when they're at the bar, that's when he drops the bomb that he wants her to come home and have sex with him. <laughs> So um, she says no, which is good. That's the only right thing she in this whole story. The only right thing she did. And by the way, she she didn't tell her boyfriend about the bar either. That's another thing she hid from him. She didn't say to call her boyfriend on the way and go, "Hey, I'm going to a bar with 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 a partner here. That's your boss. Uh, you know, maybe you should come down here too." No, it it was. Uh, or what do you think of this? Should I do it? No, she just goes and does it behind her boyfriend's back. She's at the bar. Not surprisingly, the guy sexually propositions her. The only right thing she does the whole way here is is tell him no several times firmly. Then the guy gets a little bit worried and and uh, as she said that he miscalculated which which was partially her fault for going to the bar with him and drinking with him all day and then you know so then he gets overly uh bold and thinks she's interested and you know he shouldn't proposition sex especially with someone who's going to be working with him like this but uh you know if the guy really believed she was really interested, if he truly believed that, then you know, propositioning sex is that's too overt. Then he shouldn't be doing that. The guy, I'm not defending this guy at all. He sounds like a scumbag. But but anyway, uh, she did lead him on somewhat. If she had said no, I don't want to go to this bar for whatever reason, that would have shut it down right there. He probably would have never brought up the sex thing. So anyway, he brings it up. She says no, repeats it a few times, which is good. Then the guy realizes that uh, this could be framed the wrong way, that he doesn't want her running back and telling people that he was sexually harassing her. So that's when he put out that kind of ominous warning saying that uh, women who make false accusations don't get very far far at this firm, basically telling her, okay, look, uh, I miscalculated here. Uh, I probably shouldn't have asked you about this, but but you know, don't go making this into something more than it is, or I'm going to make sure you don't get far at this firm. Just let's just forget this happened. That's a, that's what he was trying to say in, in a kind of a threatening way. Again, not defending that. That uh, the guy seems like an asshole. The guy seems like a pervert. He was also trying to cheat on his wife. But uh, yeah, that's the message he was trying to get across to her. He says, women who make unfounded accusations don't get very far at the firm. Basically saying, uh, don't go calling me a sexual harasser. I thought you wanted this before. You confused me, so don't you say anything otherwise or I'm going to screw you at the firm. 
and not in the good way. <laughs> so it's all right. I understand why that was unnerving to her. I understand why she is mad at this guy for that. It's reasonable. But then she says, I panicked, not for myself, but mostly for her, my boyfriend, who was an associate at this small firm. So she said she pretended it was just a joke and that she she kind of misunderstood because she was drunk. Fine. That's actually a good way out of it. That's a good way out of it. If the guy's pissed and thinks now that you're going to accuse him of sexual harassment to say, oh, no, no, I must have misunderstood what you said. Look, let's just forget this whole thing. That's just, yeah, <laughs> it's, oh, isn't that funny that, that, uh, that, that you thought that? No, 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 no. Don't worry. I, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. It's cool. So that that's like an easy, a way to let him out easy to where um, – she let him. She's trying to make him believe that she's not offended and doesn't believe he was sexually harassing her, even if she thinks he was. And this way, he thinks there will be no accusations or anything to make him look bad, and everybody can just forget this and move on. Fine. But then he started to feel comfortable again. Then he he mistook this to mean that uh, he was back in the ball game. That. Uh, Maybe that uh, he still has a chance here. So he tells her that uh, he can forgive her for this whole thing if he comes back to her house, to his house for a drink. Kind of like a BS pretense or did her to come. Like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I, 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 I see, I see. But look, you know, if you misunderstood me and all this drama is created, you know, I can kind of forgive you if you just come back to my house for a drink. That's, that'll, that'll make me forget this whole thing. So obviously it was to get her down there to the house and have sex as a pretense to get her down there. So she says, drunk and terrified, I agreed. Can you believe this? Again, behind her boyfriend's back. So she agrees to go to the house of the guy who just propositioned her for sex and still doesn't tell her boyfriend. So she claims she called her her boyfriend finally either as she was on the way there. I don't know how she drove over there when she was drunk, but we'll ignore that. Uh, or when she got there to the guy's house. But basically asked for the boyfriend to come over there and bail her out and get her out of the situation, which he did. So then she says she remembers her boyfriend yelling at her about this whole thing. And he wasn't concerned about her. He was only concerned about his job. Well, first of all, he told her to go to the hospital to make sure nothing was in her drinks. Obviously, he was concerned about her. But beyond that, she said he wasn't concerned about me, but for his reputation, he yelled at me for having put him in this position for jeopardizing his career. Uh, Well, he's right. Kate, you went to a guy's house who had asked you to have sex with him, who you first turned down, and then you agreed to come to his house anyway for a drink. This is a guy who it seemed was interested in you from the start before you even went out with him to this lunch. Then from the lunch, you went to a bar with him. Then from the bar, you went to the guy's house, all behind your boyfriend's back who works there. And a very, very awkward situation would be created if anything went wrong, which it did. And then the awkward situation was created. And so, of course, the boyfriend was unhappy. So, first of all, he's unhappy from the standpoint that his girlfriend does this and ends up at another dude's house who wants to have sex with her alone. When the the signs should have been super obvious. So 
he's pissed about that by itself that this all happened behind his back. But but he's even more pissed that this happened with his boss to where this is now going to be really awkward. Now the boss is going to be pissed that he came over and retrieved her like the jealous boyfriend. He's, you know, how does he explain that he's even there? Like, how does he explain why he's there to pick her up? Like, this is going to look bad. The guy's going to feel awkward. Like, like a, you know, her boyfriend is coming to retrieve her from his house. That's really awkward. Like, how's, how's he going to interact with this guy? This guy, this partner there is going to treat her boyfriend like crap at work. He's not going to want to talk to him because of this awkward situation. So, yes, he did jeopardize his career. His career was going fine until Kate decided to do this. So, of course, he's pissed. He had a right to be pissed. I would have been pissed, too, in that situation. I would have said, how the hell did this happen? Why would you have done this? How could you have been so stupid? To go to the guy's house? To go to a bar with him? I mean, there's no way you can justify that. But, but I really think Kate is so used to flirting with men and getting favors from men who, who are attracted to her that uh, she thought she'd kind of get away with that without actually having to do anything with the guy. And then it, it all went wrong, and it turned out you know, there's a lot more complications to this than she expected. Not only her job, but her boyfriend's job. So, of course, he was pissed. So... Then yeah, the boyfriend had her call this this partner and, and basically try to smooth it over. And uh, you know he probably said, "You screwed up so badly here. Now you're going to have to do something that's probably unpleasant." But it's, I, 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 the boyfriend's probably trying to think, "What? What? What? How is there a way out of this to where the partner's going to not try to take it out on both of them?" And he probably thought, okay, the only way is to make the partner feel like that there's going to be no threat to him, like that the, that Kate's taking fault for the whole thing. So he had her call up and and say that, oh, I'm sorry, I got so drunk, I don't really remember much of what happened, but if I did anything wrong, yeah, sorry, uh, goodbye. So I agree, the call was probably humiliating, and Kate was probably frustrated having to make it. She was frustrated about that because she knew that this guy was was a an asshole pervert who was trying to cheat on his wife and pressure her to have sex with him. And to have to call and apologize, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm the one who was out of line. But um, I understand with the boyfriend, you know, he, he didn't have much choice. I mean, it, I don't know if that was the right solution. But the, the boyfriend was trying to come up with some solution to undo this with minimal damage. And there really was no easy way to do it. So whatever, I, there's no easy solution to this. I, I can't think of a single thing that they could have come up with that would have been easy and painless. You can't just ignore it either. You can't just pretend it didn't happen because it'll be awkward if this if if this partner believed that the boyfriend had to come down and retrieve her and that she told the whole story about her being uh, yeah about him propositioning her for sex and cheating on his wife like like yeah you know, he had to come retrieve her. I mean this this partner is going to think look I don't want her boyfriend even working here anymore. I don't, I don't want him around. It's, it's just you know he's uh, uh it's uncomfortable being around him now. So I I I don't know if this is the right solution at the time, but th- there wasn't an easy solution. And he said, and he made me go and get a notarized affidavit describing in detail what I remembered and give it to him to put in his safe. So the reason he got this done, and I think this is fine, is he knew that Kate Hall is currently with him, but he didn't know the future. And if one day things fell apart between the two of them, in fact, he was already considering leaving her anyway over this, which you'll, you know, you heard that uh, 
he wanted this all on paper so if anything did happen at the firm, if he suddenly got fired for mysterious reasons, that he could sue the firm and sue this partner there and, and could uh, present this notarized affidavit in court what had happened and claiming that this is retaliation. His firing was retaliation for what had happened with Kate. Basically, he wanted everything on paper and he wanted Kate to do it now so if she cha- you know, this way she won't change her mind later about uh, cooperating with any kind of lawsuit like this. So that's fine. I think that's fine. To, you know, he's so fearful that there's going to be retaliation against his work, against him at work over this, that he he wanted Kate to get this all down on paper and he wanted to store this in his own safe. This way, no matter what happens with him and Kate, no matter what happens with the, in the future of that law firm, if there's any retaliation over this, that he has something now that he can use in court with or without Kate's cooperation. Fine. I think she owes him that. So then she said, then he disappeared for a weekend with his friends to try to sort out whether he could forgive me for having to put him in that position. Okay. Fine. I mean, he had a right to be pissed. He really did. You went behind his back. You went went out with another guy from work who also was his boss. Led the guy on. Went back to his house. You know, went to bars with him. uh, Created this super awkward situation that could hurt him at work. Of course, he's furious about this. So then the rape part, that when the boyfriend got back, keep in mind a boyfriend she was with a long time that she willingly had sex with many, many, many times before this situation. This was not like a new dude she started dating. This is someone she's living with that she's having sex with regularly. When he got back, he wordlessly threw me down on the floor, put his hand on my face and raped me as punishment. Come on. That's not what it was. It was not rape. What happened was the guy sitting here thinking for the weekend, like, what the hell should I do about this? I really like Kate. I really have feelings for her. You know, it's not so easy to walk away, but I'm freaking furious about what happened here. And he's going back and forth in his mind, probably discussing with his friend. Should I stay or should I go? Okay. And finally, he comes to the conclusion, okay, I'm going to stay. And in order to, I guess, make, a small amount of lemonade out of these lemons here from the whole situation. He decides to kind of have like angry sex with her to come home, just grab her, throw her down and have sex with her you know, forcefully and say, you know, this is what I'm doing to punish the bad girl. You know what I'm talking about here? He's not really raping her. It's just, it's kind of uh, just like sort of, yeah, I forgive you. This is how I'm showing you. I forgive you, and this is what you're going to do for me because I'm forgiving you. And he's not really, like, actually forcing her, and he doesn't really believe she doesn't want it. It, it, He's kind of using the situation to at least have it be temporarily a turn-on for both of them, that he's passionately coming back and just going to take her to show her that he forgave her. And keep in mind, she doesn't say that she resisted. She doesn't say that she said no. She doesn't say that she stopped him and said, no, no, seriously, I don't want this now. Please get off of me. I think it is possible to be raped within a long-term relationship or marriage. Because if, you know, if, if the woman's saying over and over, no, 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 seriously, I don't want this right now, and the guy forces it anyway, even if it is his wife or his long-term girlfriend, I agree that's, that's still inappropriate and still could be classified as rape. But not when the boyfriend thinks this is like a, a moment of passion where he just angrily grabs her and throws her down after, you know, three days later after he's mad about something that she did to him. 
and then comes back and his first action is to throw her down and put his hand over her face and quote force her to have sex with him while she doesn't seem to resist at all. I mean that's uh, he. I'm sure he thought that she was turned on by this like he was. She didn't. According to her own story, she's not even saying that she tried to stop him or push him off or say no. So he he thought that you know she's happy about this and they're having a moment of passion over it. That's not rape. Come on, Kate. See, I, I hate when there's claims of rape like that or they're not really rape. And believe me, if she was kicking and fighting and saying no, 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 and being yeah, you know, being serious about it, she would have put that in the tweet. She she put out like you know, twenty five tweets about this whole thing. She couldn't fit that in. So it's clearly she just uh, and she even said in the next tweet that she was grateful for this happening because it meant that uh, he wasn't leaving her. He said because it meant he wouldn't kick us out of our apartment. You you can't do that. You can't just kick someone out of their apartment. There's uh, and she as an attorney would know this that you can't just. Uh, Tell someone get out if they've been living there. There's an eviction process, okay? So it's nothing about the apartment. She knew she screwed up, and she was happy that he stayed with her. She she was into this boyfriend still, and she didn't want him to leave her. She knew she screwed up, and she was happy that he came home and forgave her. And I have a feeling she really was into the sex, and only now she's framing it this way as rape because you know we're, we're years later now, and, and she's not with him anymore and probably doesn't think highly of him anymore. And then she says, oh, I was so damaged, uh, everything that happened, I, I, I was grateful for it. Well, no, you were grateful for it because you knew you screwed up and he stayed with you. And she didn't find the courage to leave him for almost a year. No, it didn't end for over a, almost a year because you knew this, this was your fault. You knew that your boyfriend was right to be angry here. She said, I was so fucked into believing it was my fault. You know, you weren't. It was your fault. You're fucked now to think it wasn't your fault. Now, it wasn't Kate's fault that this pervert from work overstepped his bounds and that he again invited her to his house after she already said no and then kind of gave him an out by saying she misunderstood. Uh, But so I'm not defending this pervert from work. I'm sure her assessment of him is, is probably true. But uh, the boyfriend, I don't blame for for any of this. The boyfriend really was uh, treated poorly in this situation and put in a bad position unnecessarily. So, you know, there's a matter of personal responsibility. I've heard before in rape claims people defending the accused rapist by saying well if the girl didn't want it she shouldn't have gone up to the guy's hotel room and i don't agree with that i actually you know just because a girl goes up to a guy's hotel room does not mean he has a right to force sex upon her a guy never has a right to force sex upon a woman who does not want it no matter what the circumstance is okay but at the same time There are those on the other side who say, no, a woman can do anything at any time, and uh, whether she's leading the guy on doesn't matter. It's always the guy's fault, 100%. Well, no. It's not that the guy has a right to rape anyone or sexually assault anyone. It's that at the same time, the girl needs to act responsibly. The girl should not be leading guys on. The girl should be... uh, 
use common sense and say, okay, if I go back to a guy's house alone with him after drinking with him at a bar, that is giving him the signal that I want to do sexual things with him. Not that he has a right to force me to, but I'm giving him the wrong idea and that's not nice to do. That's not the right thing to do. It, it's uh, very misleading to make a guy think that uh, you're coming home with him for this purpose than just to pull the rug out from under him and go, nope, I'm just here to hang out with you. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, if the girl is not a complete idiot, she will understand when there is or is not a sexual overtone to everything that's going on or, or being offered to her. And she needs to understand those situations and keep herself out of them. Again, does not give the guy the right to do anything against her will. But at the same time, it is crappy to lead someone on and make them believe something that is not true, especially if you think you're doing it for personal gain. If you think that uh, maybe by leading someone on that uh, they'll treat you better in the future as part of like the chase of you when you really don't want them. And there's plenty of girls who do that, who, who uh, kind of give little signals to guys that they want something from or are in positions of power or uh, whatever without ever outright offering anything or promising anything, but kind of giving the guys a little bit of hope that if they do the such and such favors, they might have a chance. And and they the girls know what they're doing. They, they know that uh, these guys are attracted to them. They know they'd never want to be with this guy, never will, but they, but they don't want to shut it down and say, look, I see you as a friend. You'll never be more than a friend. That's, uh, you know, that's how I see you, and you know, if the guy doesn't like it, then he can leave. Uh, they, they, don't want, they don't want to say that because they, they like all the favors being done for them. They like the fact that they're getting extra privileges out of this, out of the attraction to them that's not returned. So I think that's, that's where the female responsibility is. The, the male responsibility is to never make a move that's unwanted, to always accept no for an answer, to never believe that you have a right to force sex or, or any kind, anything like sex on a woman if she does not want it, to never touch a woman if she does not want you touching her. That's the guy's responsibility. The girl's responsibility is to not be misleading, to not use her sexuality or sex appeal to get things that she wants out of guys that she does not want to actually be sexual with. And to read the situation and not make a guy believe that interest exists where it does not. And definitely if you have a boyfriend to keep him apprised of situations like this and see how he would feel. Not that you have to always answer to your boyfriend every time you go out with a guy for for lunch or whatever, but but that uh, in situations like this where it's where he works and it's his boss and where you're sensing that there is some attraction to you, then it's definitely imperative that your boyfriend knows. So sorry, Kate. I don't think you. I think you were a victim somewhat of sexual harassment here at the beginning from this partner. But from this boyfriend, you were not a victim, and, and and if anyone is the main victim in this whole thing, it was actually your boyfriend who you put in an awful position because of your poor decision-making and probably your desire to get ahead and work at work by uh, using your sex appeal to flirt with a partner there. So if that's your best Me Too story, then it's not a very good one. Of course, I've... Uh, you know, people on Twitter, they were 
congratulating her for being so brave, blah, 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 not calling her out about this, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. If any of you are still awake and have something to say, here's some text messages I got. From the 702, uh, LOL, a couple shows ago, you said cam girls can't make that much money. The top cam girls on the monthly leaderboard at My Free Cams make uh, from 40K to 80K monthly. The winner for the month is usually over 60K for that month. Hmm. Several girls are consistently high in the monthly standings. They can also work on multiple sites at the same time. A few of the top cam girls that make over 400K a year are the non-nude models. Wow. (laughs) How do you do that? How do you make 400K a year never taking off your clothes? Whoever you are for the 702, um, he seems to know a lot about these campsites. So we have experts in everything in our audience. Um, if you can tell me if you're still listening right now, I got these texts about three hours ago. Tell me, uh, how do these non-nude girls make so much per year, these top ones? Are they doing some kind of uh, fetish camming, like feet or something? Like, like There's got to be something more than them sitting there in clothing. And talking, I can't imagine they making 400k a year that way. It's got to be some kind of fetish thing, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'm not sure. I really believe though that they're really making 40 to 80k monthly. Is it possible that that's what's being tipped to them, but then the site keeps half of it? I don't know. It could also be a gimmick. It it could be something they have up there, and. Uh, the girls agree to have the BS numbers up there, so this way it encourages more girls to sign up. It could be that. Because think of the average cam girl who sees something like that, that they can possibly make uh, 60K per month, which is 720K per year. That's that's huge money to make just taking off your clothes and you know doing sexual things to yourself on webcam. That, that's huge money. So maybe this is a way to encourage more girls to sign up because the more girls that are on these services, the better these services do because the, you know, the more variety there is. Uh, you may wonder the name myfreecams.com, why, you know, why that would exist. Like how could they make money off free cams? How are, they, how are these girls making so much money? It's what I was saying two weeks ago that anyone can watch these for free but then if you want to ask the girl to do something specific, then you have to tip her. Otherwise, she won't do it. So, hey, do such and such. Uh, or sometimes even just to take off their clothes, someone has to tip her. Now, you know, the cheapskate can sit there and tip nothing and just watch. But then, of course, they don't get a choice in what gets done. From the 650, speaking of degenerates sitting courtside, they showed Phil Helmuth trying to talk to... Joe LaCobe during the Warriors game tonight, LaCobe basically ignored him despite Helmuth tapping him on the shoulder and leaning into it. <laughs> Helmuth is a huge Golden State Warriors fan, especially since they got good. So for those of you that don't know, 
uh, Joe Lacobe is the majority owner of the Golden State Warriors. I, I, I assume that's the way you say his name. It's uh, L-A-C-O-B. I, I really haven't heard it pronounced. I've only read it. But <laughs> apparently Helmuth is trying to like become buddy-buddy with him. <laughs> Lacobe's like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> okay. 775-372-8355. You can text me at any time, before, after, or during the show. And I will read it. This is a long freaking show. Five and a half hours and not close to being done. A new era of hotel rules has begun. And not a good one. Not a good era. We're entering the era of do disturb. Not do not disturb. Do disturb. As you all know, on October 1st, 2017, Stephen Paddock opened fire from a Mandalay Bay hotel room on a concert below and killed, I think, 58 people down there, injured a number of more. It's... uh, very tragic shooting. The motive has never been made clear. The whole story kind of died. It does seem like there is some kind of cover-up. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it is weird how we never got more information on him, why he did it, what his assets really were. Like, nothing. The whole thing just fell off. Like, they don't want us to know. It may not be as sinister as some of the conspiracy theories I've read, but I agree there's something weird about the way this whole thing concluded. Anyway... One of the things that I thought of as soon as this had come out, that it had occurred, was that they may be changing the rules in hotels regarding do not disturb. Because they mentioned that over several days that Paddock had stockpiled weapons in his room by bringing them up in suitcases a few at a time. And over a period of four days, he had a ton of weapons, like 20 20 high-powered weapons in his room. It does look like that Paddock was looking to do much more damage than he actually did, but uh, wrongly believed that law enforcement was just about to show up and and, uh, arrest him. So he shot himself first before that could happen. So he didn't end up using most of the guns he brought up there, but it really looked like that uh, he was going to fire off everything he had brought up there. He also had weapons in his vehicle, presumably to go and cause damage elsewhere before ultimately being killed by law enforcement. So as bad as this was, it could have been much worse. Anyway, because of the angle of him having a do not disturb sign on his room and sneaking weapons in there over a period of days, I said, "Uh uh-oh, I have a feeling that the overreaction to this, much like YouTube's overreaction we discussed earlier, I have a feeling the hotel overreaction to this will be to end the practice of leaving Do Not Disturb on the door for days at a time, something that I like to do, which I've discussed before on this show. Why do I like to do that? Well, I do not feel a need for the maid to come into my room in a short hotel stay. Short being, like, a few days. Why? Well, do I have a maid come to my house every day? No. Would I want a maid to come to my house every day? Like, if the maid said that that she could come every single day 
and only charge me for one day per week and come the other six days for free. Would I want that? No. Why? Because it it, it gets to be an intrusion. It's a pain in the ass. Like I don't need her that much. So similar to this, I don't need a maid in my hotel room every day, just as I don't need one in my house every day. When you have a maid in your hotel room, a few problems can occur. Number one, stuff can get misplaced. I'm not even talking about her stealing things, just her moving things around while she's cleaning. And then something you left somewhere, uh, she moves it to the corner, you forget it. Uh, stuff can be broken. Uh, she could go through some of your stuff that you wouldn't want necessarily want her touching. Stuff can be stolen. So... Uh, and stuff can just be rearranged to where you don't want them. You know, you have certain things you want in certain places, and then it moves. you got to find where it, it, it moves. Even if you don't lose it, it's, it's a pain in the ass. So I just don't want someone in there going and disturbing the way I have everything in there if I'm only going to be there a short time. Now, if I'm going to be there a whole week, yeah, I want the maid to come at some point because the room's going to get dirty. But if I'm there for, for one, two, three nights, I, I don't really want that because uh, I don't think the room gets dirty enough in that time to... Having to need a clean, someone said, "Well, don't you want to to have the bed made and the sheets?" And like, I, no, I don't need that. Do you change your sheets every day at home? I'm sure none of you do. They don't usually change your sheets anyway for the same guest. But and like you say, okay, what about the towels? What about the soaps? What about the toilet paper? Okay, well, if I start to run out of these things, I just go to the maid cart and grab them, or ask for them. I don't need a whole service there. I just don't like people in my room when I'm not there. And if you are there, the, the you know, you're kind of in their way, and uh, you got to keep moving around as they're doing things. It's it's pain. You got to hear the vacuum going. It's pain in the ass. I don't need it. It's just something I don't need. And furthermore, if anything happens, like if if you let the maid come into your room when you're gone, and then like the next day you notice something's missing. Okay, well here's the problem. The maid has been in your room, but you let her in your room. So you can make a complaint, and even if they can show, because they, they can see by these key cards who, who's accessed the room. So let's say it's only you and the maid that has accessed your room, and you claim, you claim something's missing. Well, the maid can counter, no, I didn't steal anything. I went in to clean like I was supposed to. And then it's your word against hers, and usually nothing gets done. However, if I had a do not disturb the entire time on the door, and something disappears, then... Anybody who used their key to get in my room is a suspect, and they can't explain at that point why they were there. So they were there when they weren't supposed to be. At that point, my story becomes much more credible. Whereas if you let the maid in and then something disappears, then your story is not credible and they're not going to believe you. So this way, if something disappears from my room and they show when they analyze the key that uh, someone came in, they can see who came in, and if they were not supposed to be there, then that automatically makes them guilty of something. Big difference. So that's another reason, too, that I don't like letting the maid in. If I have a long stay, like if it's like more than three days when I'm with family or more than five days when I'm by myself, then yes, I will have the maid come. I will have her do it when I'm there. And then uh, you know, I'll try to stay out of her way as much as possible, and then I will give her a tip at the end for the trouble. And also because the room's a little bit dirtier after a few days than it would be if after one day. 
Uh, also, if I have a long stay and I don't use the maid at all, I will actually leave a tip for the maid before I leave the room. I'll like put a little note: "This is for you. You know, thank you for cleaning the room. Uh, yeah, leave, leave the whatever I'm leaving them uh, under something heavy, like the remote control, and a note making it clear that I didn't just accidentally leave it there. That's for them." So, that's my personal choice. I understand there's some of you who don't feel that way. My own father thinks that I'm being ridiculous with this and that he loves having the experience of coming back to a hotel that's cleaned and the beds are made and he feels it's like a luxury that you get from travel. And I feel it's a burden. So, it's just different personal preferences. So... I'm not going to hold it against you for liking the maid service or wanting the maid to come in every day, but uh, everybody feels differently about that. And there's other people who I've spoken to who feel exactly the same way I do, that they put the Do Not Disturb sign up the entire stay unless it's a really long stay, and then they'll let, they'll let someone in to clean, but only when they're there. Like uh, I'm not the only one who feels that way. So Disney Resorts have decided that they are not going to allow Do Not Disturb anymore at all. Forget like three days. That's <laughs> we're, we're past that now. Now you can't do it at all. A new era has started, unfortunately. Disney resorts have removed the Do Not Disturb signs from all of their rooms at several of their resorts. The first ones to do this were at Disney World in Florida. There are no more Do Not Disturb signs in these hotels. Instead, there's new signs that say Room Occupied. But all those signs do is tell the staff that there are people in the room, but the staff has a right to walk in at any point. Furthermore, the sign is right next to something else, that every guest sees that shows a new policy that Disney employees are required to enter each hotel room at least once a day to, quote, ensure the safety and security of guests and property. So they have to come in your room once a day, no matter what, whether you like it or not, at these Disney resorts. It's pretty intrusive. And you have absolutely no option at these properties to keep the staff out. They have to come in once a day. Though they said if you do have your room occupied sign up, they will knock and announce they're going to be entering the room before they come in. But you can't say come back later. That they can just come in if they feel. You can ask them to come back later, but they can also say, no, we wish to enter now. Can you imagine? What if you're having sex in the room? Just tough luck. Um, that, that's insane. But but even if you can turn them down and say come back later, like uh, and just have to let them in at some point, that's uh, which doesn't seem to be the case here. But how awful is that? You you have no right not to let them in. If you if you just want to hang out in the room all day and not be bothered, you 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 have to let somebody in to inspect your room. Can you believe that crap? That's awful. Now, let me tell you the truth here. This is not going to save lives. 
you may think, okay, this is inconvenient, but all right, if it's if it stops another Mandalay Bay incident, then we got to put up with it. Well, they're coming in once a day. The truth is that you can get a lot of guns up in your room without spreading it out over a period of days. It's it's safest to not get caught by spreading it out over four days, but if necessary, you could sneak in a lot of guns into the typical hotel room, especially in a large property, without any suspicion being raised because they're just really not watching people's movements back and forth in and out of the room. So, like, you know... Uh, you, you could bring a few suitcases up at once or, you know, up, up a, you know, a few times in a row as if you're just checking in. No one will notice anything. Uh, then you could do it again a few hours later, you know, see, make sure that security is uh, kind of rolled over. A different person's watching now or maybe they're not watching at all. Maybe it's, you, you can go through a side door or a back door as a lot of hotels have. There's so many different ways to get these guns into a room. And then do the same thing Stephen Paddock did, break a window and it starts shooting. It's unfortunate. It's, it sucks that this vulnerability has been exposed, but there's very little that can be do can be done about it. Short of there not being windows in the room, which is never going to happen. So, if there are windows that can be broken, and there are people below, then yes, people can be fired upon, and there's really not much we can do about that. Sucks, but that's the case. And, and once-a-day room inspections are not going to change that. This is like a feel-good response that seems on the surface to be about safety, but in reality is not going to accomplish anything. And look, people who want to commit these crimes can adapt. Stephen Paddock took four days to get his guns in there. He didn't have to take four days. So now he can't take four days? All right, well, he'll do it in one day. Uh, he won't. He's dead. But the next Stephen Paddock can do it in one day. This is not stopping anything. So it, it's so obnoxious. I wouldn't even be opposed to hotels putting some kind of uh, metal detectors in the room, which yeah, it may be difficult because these rooms are often made of metal. I don't know if such a thing could exist to detect large metal objects being brought in the room. Maybe they couldn't. But some kind of non-intrusive detector, if such a thing could exist for people bringing in things like that and then sending security up when... Like if there were a way to detect people bringing large metal objects into a room and they'd get some kind of flag and security would come up and check if they were to get that flag, that'd be fine. But this just, we have to check everyone's room once a day, and we can just barge in at any time. That's awful. You, you get to the point where, where the added security, if there even is any, isn't worth it. A Disney guest told the Associated Press, we bought a motorhome when I retired because of all the security issues. Like, you never know when, when somebody can come in your room when you're not in your room. So that was one of the guests at, at Disney. And uh, so I guess they bought a motorhome because they just didn't they didn't like the fact that their room could be entered at any point. And now they were staying in the hotel and they find out that uh, they really can enter your room more than ever. It's, it's worse than it ever used to be. Now they're not only can, they will. 
So what a stupid policy. Now, at the Rio, as I've talked about before, what I did in previous years, all the way through 2017, I should say you know, previous years, including this year, is I would put the Do Not Disturb on my door and never let the maid in except for like once every five days to clean the room, and I'd be there when she would clean it. And they have a policy at the Rio that after three days, they have to enter your room. And I always got them to waive that policy. I, I had to put some pressure at some points. I had to argue. But I always got it done. They always eventually agreed to do it for me. And my argument then was, look, what's going to happen? Can't use that argument anymore. Anyway, I'm sure if I try that this year, they're going to give me the big middle finger and cite what happened in October. I'll try. I'm going to try anyway, but I bet they're going to, I bet they're going to say absolutely not. And at that point, I can't argue that much. I don't even know if they've changed the policy. It may, may not even be three days now. Maybe they're going to enter every day or once every two days. I don't know. But that would suck if every Do Not Disturb sign disappeared from hotels and they could just come in any time. Can you imagine? That is intrusive. Even if they, they even if you have a choice of the time, if you could pick the time they come in or... Or, or you have a right to, you know, one time tell them to go away and come back. I mean, how does this work? And they, can they really barge in? Like, if you're having sex, do they really just have a right to knock on the door and enter? Like, could that be true? Or, or will they give you a minute to put your clothes on? I mean, how, how crappy would that be? You're, you're in the hotel room with your, your, your girlfriend, your wife, or some girl you just met, whatever, and, and, and you're in the middle of having sex, and they knock and say they've got to come in right now? And you've got to stop? What a freaking joke. All right, so Party Poker. They're holding a tournament that I'm very surprised about. This is their millions tournament. And it's a $5,300 buy-in. It's not a cheap tournament. $5,300. And they're having a very, very large guarantee. I think the largest guarantee I've seen uh, of an online tournament. Their guarantee, the prize pool of their millions tournament is a staggering $100 billion. Yeah. Now it's $20 million. $20 million guarantee. And this is a site that does not, does not accept American players. Party poker. $20 million guarantee in a high but not super high buy an event, meaning many will be priced out of this 5300 5300 is kind of a funny number because it's high enough to where a lot of poker players would not want to enter that. And it's not so high to where it's huge to where a guarantee could be made very easily. If you bust out your calculator, $20 million, and this is to have an overlay I'm talking about, to avoid an overlay, $20 million divided by 5,300 is 3,773. So they need uh, point something. So they need 3,774 entrants to this thing to not have an overlay. Can you imagine? 
How are they going to get 3,774 people to enter a tournament with a buy-in as high as 5,300? I can't imagine that. That's what they need. Now, yes, they can have people satelliting in, but still, how are they going to get 3,774 people to enter this thing? But that's, that's what they think they're going to do. Now, yes, they can afford it if they get an overlay. Party Poker is a very big company, but but still, it's a, it's a weird thing to be offering. Here is some comparative information. Poker Stars, in their 2017 scoop, which is the Spring Championship of Online Poker, they had a main event of 10,300, which is you know, about twice the buy-in of this one. But you know, similar. You, people who enter 5K events tend to also enter 10K events and vice versa. They only got 693 people. And Poker Stars is bigger than Party by a wide margin. So Poker Stars being the bigger site had a similar... Main event, double the buy-in, but similar event. They only got 693 people. So let's look at the lower buy-in scoop event, which was the mid-main event, I mean the mid-buy-in main event. That had a buy-in of 1,050. Well, that guy 5,033 entrance... But it's a far cry from a $5,300 buy-in. A lot of people would enter a $1,050 buy-in, but would not enter a $5,300 buy-in. So they'd still have to get about uh, three-quarters of that number of entrants entering their much higher buy-in tournament to even avoid an overlay here at party. And it's a smaller site. I, I can't see how they're going to do it. Now, this is going to take place uh, a long time, in December 2018. So it's a year from now. And they're going to be running satellites all year. So that could be the one angle on how this will happen. That If they run enough satellites between now and next December, that with a year to do it, that they can generate enough entrance, even if there aren't that many people buying in directly for 5,300. For example, if they could run a satellite, uh, if they could run enough satellites, let's say over the next 50 weeks, to add, I don't know, 60 people each week, they could crown 60 satellite winners to this thing every week. Over 60 weeks, that would be 3,000 people. And then all they need is you know, 774 people to buy in directly. Then it starts to look more reasonable. So we shall see if the Party Poker Millions really hits that 20 million guarantee. It's a pretty steep guarantee, though. The SLS Hotel, the former Sahara, which I always thought was going to be a disaster, is on the verge of bankruptcy according to reports. 
I always thought this is a horrible idea. The Sahara really was a has-been in every way. It had a bad location, the North Strip. It's already in kind of a lousy area, and then just immediately north of it is a terrible area. So uh, people don't want to go down there anymore. It's not by anything that's, that's prominent or big. You can't really walk to anything there that's really particularly interesting to go to, especially higher-end hotels like, a, you know, you can walk down to Circus Circus and it's not super far, but who really wants to do that? Especially if you're, if it's being converted to a higher-end hotel as it was. So someone thought that converting the Sahara, which was closing, to a luxury property was a good idea. I don't know why. I don't know how they thought it was going to work. I don't know why they thought that guests looking for a luxury property would want to go to a bad neighborhood that's away from the rest of the nice properties on the Strip. I don't know why they thought that would work, but they did. I don't know how they thought that would ever do brisk business. Someone even recently tweeted that the SLS does not even have a walkway directly from the Strip. So if you're walking down the Strip, you can't just walk directly into the SLS. You've actually got to kind of go around the back to get in. (laughs) What a horrible design. So the Las Vegas Review Journal did an article on this uh, on December 8th. And there's a lawsuit over this. A lawsuit claims that since it opened in 2014, it has never turned a profit and that Chinese investors lent $400 million in about uh, two equal portions, probably about $200 million each, in 2013 and 14 to help the owners, which is uh, Stockbridge Capital Group and SBE Entertainment, to convert the Sahara to the SLS. And that these loans were done specifically to basically allow these rich Chinese nationals to buy citizenship. Uh, there's a program called the EB-5 Pilot Program, which I wasn't aware of prior to reading this article, that allows foreign citizens to potentially receive U.S. citizenship if they invest 500000 or more in what's known as an at-risk large-scale project that creates jobs. So there's also uh, a $45,000 administration fee to invest in the product, and they also have to pay a yearly management fee. So 60 individuals from China did this and uh, together loaned $400 million dollars to get this uh, the citizenship. Now, I don't understand uh, why they all didn't just loan the minimum because you know, 60 times 500,000 would be 30 million. Somehow we got to 400 million. That's not really made clear. But that's what they lent. It was a 400 million total and that they were expecting citizenship. So I, I think this is kind of a, a, they thought this was a dual benefit. They they were convinced that they were investing in something profitable and they get citizenship. So it's like the one-two punch that they thought they couldn't refuse. So all 60 of these people are in a class action lawsuit that was filed in Los Angeles County. I, I'm It probably has to do with where these companies are based. But they 
filed it in Los Angeles County, and they claimed that, among other things, they never got their citizenship. So not only is it losing money, not only does it look like their investments just shot, but uh, they also never got the citizenship that they thought would happen. So none of them have received a permanent green card. The plaintiffs, the plaintiffs in this class action suit are seeking $255 million in damages, plus attorney's fees and other costs. Now, in May of 2017, Stockbridge Capital Group agreed to sell the casino to the owners of the Grand Sierra Resort in Reno, known as uh, Muruello Group. And uh, Stockbridge, they have been putting millions of dollars of year, millions of dollars into the SLS every year just to prevent it from completely going under. They did say that uh, the company does not expect the litigation will deter the sale and does not in any way anticipate a bankruptcy filing. They said the lawsuit is without merit. So the new owner, and I I guess the sale hasn't completely gone through yet. I guess it was just an agreement to sell. The new owner, uh, prospective new owner, Miruelo, is trying to renegotiate the loans from the Chinese investors that uh, the problem is that uh, the loans from these uh, Chinese people, there's another round that's come due in uh, in 2018 and, and also I think in 2019. Another loan is, is due. So they're, I think they're afraid the, the Chinese will not pay, feeling that they got built. So they're trying to come up with an agreement on on uh, what to do about this, but they haven't been able to come to one, and for that reason the sale has not been approved yet by the Gaming Control Board. That's why it hasn't completely happened. The... Because the and they can't pay them because of I mean when I say come due I mean that they had to pay the Chinese here not the other way around so the proposal to these Chinese investors is to repay them in 2023 and that instead of paying them back the 200 million dollars they invested plus interest they would instead receive 14% of the casino's equity. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can understand why they don't want that. So they also claim in the lawsuit that the new deal being proposed to them would be a material change to the business plan, and they claim that's not even allowed by these EB-5 rules and would pre- prevent them from getting citizenship. And the lawsuit states the plaintiff's investment in the Phase 2 LLC will be completely wiped out and many of the plaintiffs will not be able to get their permanent green cards if the sale goes through. And the sale is supposedly going to be completed in February if this is stopped in some way. So this is a mess. Can you imagine that 60... Chinese nationals were convinced to invest that much money. I mean, if it was just buying citizenship for 500k each, I would understand maybe if they're really rich that it's worth it to just 
invest 500k in anything, even expecting to lose it just to get the citizenship. But it, obviously, some of them invested much more than that to add up to 400 million. It really amazes me sometimes that people can be convinced to invest very large sums of money into things they don't know much about. If a simple and cheap focus group was done with Las Vegas tourists, Las Vegas locals, just people who are knowledgeable about the industry, even you know, someone like myself, just do a focus group, pay some you know, various people a token sum of money to do the focus group, and ask them, this is before converting the, the Sahara to the SLS, this is, you know, ask them, like back in 2013, hey, if we were to convert the Sahara into a luxury hotel, uh, how interested would you be in going to it? How, how likely would you be to stay there? How likely would you be to visit at all? How much would you care about this? I'm sure if they did this focus group, they would have realized that this thing was a dog. It was never going to work out. But for some reason, they don't. For some reason, these projects get talked up by those soliciting the investments, and then the investments are made, and, and no one does their due diligence. It's amazing. It's amazing what some people invest in. This had no chance. It's one thing to invest in something that looks good on paper and then fails. This is something that everybody knew was going to be a fail. When this SLS opened, when it, when it was announced, everybody said, what? How's that going to work? Who's going to want to go there? It went exactly the way people expected. So I, I don't see anything positive coming from this. I don't see how they're going to have a happy ending here. Because these Chinese investors want their money back and it's not even going to generate money. I don't know where the money's even going to come from. The new owners, I don't know what they're thinking here. This whole thing's just a mess. This kind of reminds me of, of the revel in Atlantic City, just something that needs to be sold for a tiny percentage of what it costs and just be done with it. <laughs> just because running it, even at a profit at all, is going to be so difficult. So, that was a mistake. Now, if you want to hear about another mistake involving over $100 million in Las Vegas, I have another story for you. In fact, it's our final story prior to my editorial. The Las Vegas monorail wants... $110 million to expand their route in a direction that nobody wants to go. (laughs) This is absurd. This, This is absolutely absurd. So let me explain what's going on here. I I just, I scratch my head and, and wonder what people are thinking when they come up with stuff like this. Because, again, it defies common sense. Again, a simple focus group could allow them to discover that this is a mistake and that nobody wants it. But for some reason, nobody does that. So there's a monorail in Las Vegas. You may not even know this, (laughs) but 
there's a monorail you can take in parts of Las Vegas from pretty much the MGM Grand all the way to, well, the SLS. It's not free, but uh, you can take it. So if you don't want to drive, you don't want to walk, you don't want to take cabs, you can take this monorail. We are talking about a fairly long distance, longer than you'd ever want to walk from basically Sahara Avenue to Tropicana Avenue. And this monorail is not doing well. It uh, It's had very low ticket sales. The Las Vegas monorail company that built it uh, went into bankruptcy. So what do you do next? Uh, why not expand? So... The Las Vegas Monorail Company is a it's a private mon- it's a private nonprofit company, and they want to expand the monorail. It's it's only a mile long extension, and they claim that it will convent it'll connect the two largest convention centers. Uh oh, what is this? Stupid! Oh boy, has to happen once every show. <laughs> I don't even know where this is. Oh, here it is. Okay. No, that's not it. Hold on. <laughs> it's some terrible ad. Surprise. Jesus. I can't, I can't turn this off. I, I'm reading. <laughs> the Las Vegas Review Journal owes me money for that. I, I'm trying to, like... Reference their article. Oh my gosh! Years of government secrets. Is that legal? What is it you think we do here for a living? It's a good question. Is this legal? Stop! No! No! Oh my gosh! Horrible! Yeah, I, I heard that Google is going to stop this autoplay in 2018. I heard like on January 1st they're going to roll out a new version of Chrome, which just stops autoplay. Like, why not do that already? Why do they have to wait till January? There's not even a reliable Chrome extension to prevent this. I've been looking. It's horrible. I hate autoplay. It's really the most obnoxious thing, especially for this radio show. So, yeah, so they're claiming that it will connect the two largest convention centers in Las Vegas by doing this extension and that it will reduce strip traffic and then also this NFL stadium that's being constructed for the Raiders that uh, it'll bring riders fairly close to it, but not you know right next to it. Uh, Tina Quigley, the general manager of the Regional Transportation Commission, said having many different modes of transportation is important to moving people from the stadium and between all our major convention centers. But why? What's the reason to go between convention centers? How often are there two different conventions at two different centers that you want to go to? Usually people that are there for, for one particular convention. So she said, if we can have a monorail that connects the Mandalay Bay Convention Center, the Sands Convention Center, and the Las Vegas Convention Center, then we can make a market then we can market nine million square feet of exhibition spaces that's all connected within ten minutes of each other. That's a great marketing point for the city. No, it's not. People are not gonna want to go on the monorail to get between convention centers. It's a pain in the ass. It's not like walking next door. 
That, that's not really how conventions work. Usually conventions, they take place all in one center. So they, they told uh, Clark County commissioners last month that they are not going to be able to sell enough tickets to turn enough profit to repay the company's debt, their existing debt. And that, uh, however, they think if a new station opens, then that will allow them to make this profit. That, that's the selling point here. If we, if we can only get uh, another loan, then we'll be able to start making a profit and we can pay back the first loan. Uh-huh. So to show you how this convention thing is BS regarding the monorail, how it's not really affecting it, the Las Vegas Review-Journal did a little graph. So in uh, 2005, the, that's when the monorail ridership peaked. And uh, it was they had uh, 10.3 million people ride the monorail in 2005. Now, conventions kind of fell apart from that uh, housing crash, which caused the recession. Starting from 08, there was a big decline. And the number of convention attendees in Las Vegas went down from uh, 5.7 million to near 4 million. But it's interesting to know that the monorail, other than a few years where it's like it had its peak in 05, then it sharply decreased from 10.3 million to uh, about seven and a half million the following year. So it already, already fell big time between 2005 and 2006. Then it slightly rose to, in 07 to uh, 8 million. And then from then it's gone down every single, it went down every single year for uh, five years to hit a, a low of about 4 million riders. And then it's kind of slowly crept up and then went a little back, back down. Overall, it's been kind of flat. Uh, currently, 4.9 million riders of the monorail. But conventions have recovered and actually have more attendees than ever. 6.3 million people attended conventions in 2016, more than any time in the past. So even though it recovered from four, it went from uh, a previous peak of, of uh, a little bit over 6 million to a low of a little bit over 4 million after the, the recession, and then it has climbed back up to 6.3 million. But the monorail has not recovered. So they're not related. They're just not related. So to, for the, to give them another large loan to add another mile to it, to be able to pay the, the first loan is insane. So they want to borrow $110 million to do this extension. And then they were also asked uh, since those uh, since the Las Vegas shootings in October, how has that affected the monorail? Might might the monorail even be doing worse now because of that? And 
they didn't really answer that. They said back, uh, ridership estimates for the expansion were derived from over a decade of actual data based on proximity to current stations, to hotel rooms, convention facilities, and other existing trip generating data points. In other words, no, we haven't we haven't looked at how the ridership was affected by the shooting. It probably it went down. They don't want to admit it. So, where do they want to expand expand this monorail? Well, would you believe that uh, they don't want to expand it along the Strip? Now, keep in mind, the existing monorail doesn't even go directly along the Strip. It's, it's kind of behind the Strip. So the existing monorail starts on Paradise Road, which is a, you know, it's the next large street east of the Strip, which is Las Vegas Boulevard. So it starts at the SLS, which is on Paradise it goes down Paradise uh, around the Wind Golf Club. Then it heads towards the Strip. And then it gets to Center Strip. There's only one stop in between there. So it's the SLS, then it stops at the Las Vegas Convention Center on, on Desert Inn in Paradise. Then it goes to uh, very close to the Link Hotel in Center Strip. Then stops at Flamingo, stops at Paris, stops at MGM Grand, and that's it. So that, that's the current monorail as it stands today. And it's, it's a little bit east of the Strip. It's kind of behind these hotels, Link, Flamingo, Paris, Bally's, MGM Grand. It's behind those, but yeah, but basically, if you're going to those hotels, it's convenient. The proposed extension, instead of sending the keeping the monorail along that same path or even moving it closer to the Strip, instead the monorail is going to be initially traveling more east. <laughs> it will go east on Tropicana Avenue toward McCarran Airport. Then get to the airport and then turn and start to go west and then south and then west again to eventually stop near the Mandalay Bay, but not at the Mandalay Bay. And near the Luxor, but not at the Luxor. In fact, where it's going to stop is not going to be in front of any hotel. You may say, well, okay, but they're adding this extension to the airport. So great, people can start using it from the airport to get to their hotels. That might be useful. No. Uh, Even though it's going to go to the airport and right by the airport, there will be no stops at the airport. (laughs) How does that make any sense? For once, they could have done something smart. For once, they could have stopped at the airport. That would be useful. Imagine if you didn't have to hassle with a taxi cab situation and these scam taxi cab drivers that bring you in an indirect route on the freeway when you don't need that and having to fight with them about it and having to pay these high fares. If you could just hop on the monorail and get to one of these hotels, especially ones that it stops right in front of or very close to, like the MGM Grand and Paris and Flamingo and and Link. That would be useful. But no. Can't do it from the airport. They just want to run it right by the airport with no stops and just add one stop to where the Mandalay Bay is kind of near but not at. How is that useful? Just just because it's uh, it, it's going close to a, a third convention center? Who cares? 
How, how's this doing anyone any good? Who's really that the, the, this whole thing is just to connect convention centers that are unlikely to have conventions related to one another? And again, they're not even that close to the Mandalay Bay Convention Center. That it requires a little bit of a walk. Not a huge walk, but a walk. You're not going to just hop off it and be at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center or the Mandalay Bay. It stops at this weird spot in between the Luxor and the Mandalay Bay. That's that's the proposed route. Despite the company's financial problems, the Las Vegas monorail company's tax forms show that the CEO makes 450000 a year and another executive of the company makes 330000 a year. Another eight executives combined make about $1.3 million a year, which averages about you know, a little less than 200000 And the monorail seven board members who meet about 10 times per year, that's less than once a month, uh, they each get compensated uh, (laughs) $42,000. I should join that board. I'll I'll take $42,000 to go to the monorail board meeting 10 times a year. It's $4,200 per meeting. Sign me up for that board meeting. I'm not kidding. I'll do it. This whole thing's a money pit. It was something that's kind of a good idea, but it's a money pit. By the way, if you do want to ride the monorail and you have a Nevada ID, you get a very steep discount. You get a discount of like, uh, I think, I think the fare goes down from like eight fifty to one fifty. So if you have a Nevada ID then that is something you may want to consider if you don't feel like driving around the Strip. Yeah, it's actually $1. It's $1 as opposed to like $8. So if you're a Vegas local, you may want to consider that. What a mess. I wonder if they're going to get the money they're looking for. But I, I would it, This thing deserves nothing more They deserve nothing more I don't know where they're going to borrow this from though It's not even clear to me Where they're asking For the money from Um Oh, this is another funny part that I forgot to mention. Last month, county commissioners, Clark County commissioners, unanimously voted to set aside $45 million of hotel room tax revenue that the monorail can request in the case of an emergency. (laughs) So you, you know that hotel tax that you pay, you know, all those taxes on your hotel rooms in Vegas. Some of that is set aside each year. Sorry, not forty-five million. Four point five million. 
45 would have been outrageous. But 4.5 million is set aside each year of that hotel room tax you pay to be held to give the monorail to keep operating in the case of an emergency. Now, they, they, they can't automatically demand the money, but they can request it, and it is held for them only. And <laughs> County Commissioner Marilyn Kirkpatrick said that uh, this is already concerning her. She says, in my personal opinion, if something is not going to make it over $4 million, then Jesus, they've got bigger problems. They shouldn't even have to come to us. But uh, indeed, if they can't get these new loans, then they may not be able to pay their existing debts. So it sounds like they're just pro- prolonging the inevitable. They're just taking new loans as like a Hail Mary attempt to bring in more temporary profit to pay back the old loans. This is going to collapse. And I don't know what's going to happen to it at that point. I, I have a feeling it's going to collapse and eventually the city's going to have to take over to operate it. How does it even get this far? Like, Why aren't these things planned properly? Why? Why? So many dumb things. I mean, so many dumb things we're talking about here. Like this and the SLS and so, so many other things that you just wonder, why? Why do people, why do companies invest so poorly sometimes? All right, so here's my editorial about another kind of investing that could be a big mistake, and that's Bitcoin. I know what you're thinking. You are probably thinking that I am going to be railing against Bitcoin and say that Bitcoin is going to crash and that if you're going to lose money if you invest in it and it's too risky. That's not what this is about. I think it's clear that nobody could really have predicted what Bitcoin has done. Nobody can really predict where Bitcoin's going to go. It would be foolish to say Bitcoin's going to lose value by a year from now or six months from now. They might. It may, it may go down. It may crash. It also may continue rising in meteoric fashion. For the past week or so, it's been yo-yoing between like 12,000 and 16,000. Right now it's sitting at 13,900. I lost about 300 while we were doing this show. But where it goes from here, nobody can really guess. In poker, there are many people who have been talking about Bitcoin, mostly in a very positive fashion. There are some well-known rich poker players who claim to have invested a lot of their net worth in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Doug Polk is one of them, uh, but there are many others. There are also Bitcoin millionaires, people who really didn't have all that much money, but got in, or jumped on the Bitcoin train early, held on to their Bitcoin, did not sell it, and they were rewarded by this intense appreciation. Let me give you some examples that can be pretty shocking to think about. I'm not talking about people who invested in the early days back when Bitcoin was $5 or $17. I mean people who invested 
little more than a year and a half ago. People who invested, say, in like March 2016, either invested or won them or whatever. Let's say that uh, you did pretty well playing uh, online poker and you won $400,000 that you were holding in Bitcoin as of March 2016. If you just sat and did nothing, that 100 Bitcoin right now as I speak would be worth uh, it would be worth 1. Point, or sorry, it would be worth 13 million dollars. Not 1.8, 13 million dollars, almost 14. Can you believe it? $400,000 worth of Bitcoin would be worth almost 14 million dollars as I speak right now. Bitcoin back only in March 2016. Now, I'm not talking about the beginning in 2011. I'm talking about 2016. It could be worth uh, $14 million from 400K. So, some people did that. Some people in poker really did that. Let's even take something less than $400,000. Take uh, $150,000. $150,000 in Bitcoin that you had in uh, Bitcoin that was worth about 400 each. So you had uh, 375 Bitcoin. By the way, the, the 400,000, I meant that uh, you had 1,000 Bitcoin, not 100 Bitcoin earlier. But you had 150K in Bitcoin instead. 375 Bitcoin. And yeah, that's very reasonable. That is not hard. I, I know a lot of people who won $150,000 in poker in, I don't know, six months or so, eight months. So say they won that leading up to March 2016, and in March 2016 they they were holding on to 375 Bitcoin worth about 150,000. Today, those uh, 375 Bitcoin would be worth over five million dollars. 150,000 to five million. Just for sitting and doing nothing. Just for saying, I believe in Bitcoin. Now you may say, okay, who, who would have these balls of steel to just sit there watching it appreciate and jump up and jump down? And uh, like, Who could sit through, through all this and, and uh, just watch it possibly disappear all one day? Well, some people can't. A lot of these are, are crazy gamblers for, to begin with. A lot of these are, are great poker players who just couldn't hold on to a bankroll. And provided that they were doing well enough to where they didn't have to go dip into their Bitcoin, a lot of them provided they had enough money to continue playing, which provided they weren't losing at the time they did, provided they didn't go on a big downswing they did, they were happy to just sit with their Bitcoin and let it appreciate. And they they were willing to take the risk that one day they will wake up and it's worth almost nothing. I personally could not have done that. I, I couldn't have watched all the ups and downs and, and not gotten out. But but these people, they did. 
it, it, what's tough about it is even if you start, if you, even if you say, okay, I can risk one hundred fifty thousand. That's not a big deal. That's what I'm investing. If I lose it, I lose it. The problem is once it goes way up, it's not one hundred fifty thousand anymore. At that point, you can get out and make a ton of money. So at that point, you're risking millions. Even if it started as one hundred fifty, you're risking millions. So it really does take a lot of gamble and a lot of bravery to sit through these ups and downs if you really believe in it. So I know personally some Bitcoin multimillionaires who became that way simply by winning low six figures in poker and sitting on the Bitcoin they won. There's a number of poker players who can be described that way. You might even be jealous of them. You might even say, oh, damn it. Why didn't I do that? Or why didn't I just buy some Bitcoin back then and sit on it? And is it possible that perhaps these people, that they're not done making money, that maybe Bitcoin will be worth 100000 one day not too long from now, and that these people who are currently worth $5 million will be worth $40 million? Is that possible? All from 150000 Well, anything's possible. Bitcoin has surprised us again and again with its resiliency and recent crazy appreciation. So what is my problem here? My problem here is that if you do not have an exit strategy, if you have not considered when it is time to sell all or most of your Bitcoin, you are going to be left with nothing or almost nothing. You are going to lose it all. How can I say that? How can I say that when I cannot predict what's going to happen to Bitcoin? How can I say that these people are not going to become filthy rich? or filthier rich than they've already become from Bitcoin. How dare I criticize them when so far they have done the right thing, the opposite of what I have done? How dare I make that statement at this point? But look, let's look at the people who've been hoarding their Bitcoin since March 2016. They've watched it go up, they've watched it go down, they've watched it crash, they've watched it rebound, they've watched it uh, zip up to... Heights never seen before and heights that didn't necessarily have the certainty or even likelihood to sustain. It's easy to look now and say, oh, it's worth almost 14000 today. But as it was going up, at what point was going to be the top. Isn't it possible it would have hit something high and then crashed way back down to where it was before? Keep in mind that Bitcoin had been declining for a period of more than a year and a half all the way through May 2015. March 2016 was less than a year removed from that. So after a period of straight decline for about 18 months, it had eight months where it appreciated very slowly before taking off. So would it be a surprise to see it crash back to that 400 where it originally was? No. But these people, rather than take their millions, right now as we speak, 
Rather than say, hey, I had $150,000 that I had won, sat on it, it's worth $5 million now, less than two years later. I'm happy with that. Thank you very much. I'm, I, I, I now have a net worth of $5 million. I did well. I'm proud of myself. Are these people doing that? No. They're waiting. What are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting for it to go up more. They believe in Bitcoin. Okay. So let's say it goes up to 25000 well, now they've nearly doubled from where it is today. Now they're worth almost $10 million. So they've done something even smarter. Do you think they will sell at that point? Or do you think they will say, well, if it's gone up to 25000 I bet it can make fifty? Well, what if they're right? What if they wait and it becomes fifty? Well, now they've doubled their net worth again. Since it's actually around 14000 now, it, you know, 25 is not quite double, but uh, yeah, we're using rough numbers here. So what are they going to be worth? Like $18 million at that point? If it goes up to 50000 Well, now they really look like geniuses. But are they going to sell at that point? Are they going to say, okay, this is it. Now I've had enough. I don't need to make any more money. I'm going to sell all or most of this and get out. I mean, are they even going to say, I'm going to sell half of this and get out? No. They're going to want to keep reaching for those stars. Because they don't have an exit strategy. They just they believe in Bitcoin. They just believe it can indefinitely rise. Well, then it rises to 100000 And they are very happy. They are now worth, at, uh, at 100000 They are now worth. Uh, I'm sorry, I said before fifty thousand. They're worth forty. They weren't. They're yeah, worth about eighteen, right? No, I just say that. I, I, I don't know. I've been on the air forever and get confused. But the, at a hundred thousand, they will be worth about uh, thirty-eight million dollars. I'm just. I'm, just I have, I'm not doing it with the calculator. Just you know, getting approaching forty. All from their hundred fifty dollar thousand dollar investment. Can you imagine? Somebody who won $150,000 playing poker in late 2015, early 2016, sits on the money in Bitcoin and now has $38 million to their name. Let's say, let's say it's at $100,000 a few, like two years from now. Can you imagine as we, as we end 2019, these people are now sitting on almost $40 million bucks simply from winning $150,000 and playing online poker? Can you imagine how they will laugh at me? For doubting them. But wait a minute. They're not going to cash out yet. Why would you cash out at 100000 when it could go to a million for all you know? There's been people predicting that already, that Bitcoin's going to be a million one day. So you have these people who've already made so much say, well, $38 million is nice, but imagine if I could have about $380 million to my name. If Bitcoin rises to one million dollars, so why should I sell now? Imagine my life if I could have almost four hundred million dollars. I think it's going to keep going up. I'm going to wait. I think you're understanding where I'm going with this. 
When do you think is the point when they would sell? Is there ever a point that this Bitcoin believer is going to say, I've made enough, I'm getting out now? There isn't. They're never going to. They're always going to believe it's going to go up more. And until they actually sell that Bitcoin, it is not worth anything. Your Bitcoin are not worth anything until you have converted them into real money. Similar to if you have money on an online poker site, it is not worth anything until you have actually cashed out to your bank account. Because what if the online poker site goes down or runs off with your money? Then you have nothing. Same with this. If you do not sell your Bitcoin before it goes down to zero, you will have zero. So, you may ask, what if it doesn't just keep rising? What if it goes up and down, up and down, and uh, wouldn't that encourage them to sell? Let's say our current pattern sticks for a long time, or it yo-yos between 12,000 and 16,000 over and over and over again. Do you think at some point these people will say, all right, I think we hit our stable Bitcoin value, even if it's kind of jumping between 12 and 16. I I, I think it's kind of just going to be stuck there for a very long time. Uh, It's time to get off this train and get my money out. No, they're not going to do that because they saw this happen before when Bitcoin was stuck between 300 and 400 for a long time. They're going to say, look, we have our periods of stagnation, but then we have our great periods of appreciation. We just got to wait this out. What if Bitcoin crashes? What if a few months from now, Bitcoin's worth uh, 2500 a coin instead of almost 14000 as I speak right now? Well, then they get out, albeit with much less profit. Still, someone who invested 150000 in the whole thing or kept 150000 in Bitcoin, still, if it goes down to 2500 they have still made more than six times their money and they're almost still a millionaire from it. Still did pretty well overall, even though they're way off their peak. At that point, might they say it's time to get out before it really hits the bottom? Well, no, of course not. They're going to say, well, this has happened before. We've had so many crashes before, and look where it got to. It got as high as 19000 at one point. So I've just got to ride this out. The people who ride this out end up making a lot of money back. The people who panic sell, they end up regretting it. So I'm, I'm not going to be a panic seller. I am going to wait even if it falls further to 1800 then 1300 then 800 they will say oh well we've seen this all before remember between march 2016 and december 2017 it went from 400 all the way up to 19000 it's going to happen again this bitcoin believer that i'm describing never has a time that they would want to sell. There's no time in their mind, there's no circumstances of Bitcoin in their mind to where it's ever smart to sell. If it's rapidly appreciating, hold it because it's going to go up more. If it's stagnating, hold it because it's going to eventually go back up. If it's crashed, hold it because it's going to go back up. There's never a time that they think it's time to leave. So what is going to happen to these people? Well, 
They may sell a coin here and there to pay for basic life expenses. But for the most part, they're going to hoard them all. And one day, this is going to be over. One day, Bitcoin is going to crash down and be worth very little. One day, Bitcoin, even if cryptocurrencies eventually become huge and, in fact, are used for everyday payments, it will not be with Bitcoin. Bitcoin already has a lot of flaws that have been exposed in practical usage. In fact, the even just the fees for transferring Bitcoin from one wallet to another have become so expensive that it's not practical to use for payments that are small or medium in nature. So uh, Bitcoin is just not really practical anymore. It's just being hoarded. That's the only value it has. So if cryptocurrency does become the wave of the future, it will not be with Bitcoin it will be with some other more mature cryptocurrency. So eventually Bitcoin is going to hit the bottom, as I think are all the other current cryptocurrencies that, if you notice, tend to be pretty tied to the value of Bitcoin, even if not directly. So it will eventually be zero or close to it. Hard to believe right now, but it will. When? I don't know. But if your plan is to hold it forever, or if you don't have a plan of when to get rid of it, of under what circumstances to get rid of it, then you will be left holding an empty bag. It's kind of like someone who is betting their entire bankroll every day on positive expectation bets. Now, they may all be positive expectation, but you will lose some, and once you lose, your bankroll's gone. And that's basically what they're doing. They're going all in with their investment every single day. And nothing that happens can convince them to bail out and sell. So there's only one result that will occur. The only way out for these people would be if they sell their Bitcoin and then invest in a different cryptocurrency. Now, I could see that happening. In fact, some are already doing that, but it, it's it's still along the same lines. Still the same thing's going to happen. They'd have to run so well to jump from cryptocurrency to cryptocurrency and avoid some kind of catastrophic crash that pretty much ends that particular cryptocurrency and eventually get on board with the one that persists over a long period of time that becomes the stand, the international standard that's being used for everyday commerce, which we're nowhere near that point, and we may never even get there. So if you have an investment in Bitcoin, if you've made a lot of money in Bitcoin, you need to have a conversation with yourself and say, When is enough? Not when is the peak, not when is the very best I can do, but when is enough? When will I be satisfied with what I have made? And then promise yourself to cash out at that point. Or what is the minimum I will accept before I bail out? If it crashes down to a certain number, when is the time you will just sell and not try to wait for a recovery? 
and then promise yourself you'll do that. Or at the very least, promise a certain percentage will be sold to where you'll be happy taking that amount of profit even if the rest gets lost. So let's say you say, okay, at the current moment I have $5 million in Bitcoin. Um, if, if it gets below $10,000, i am going to sell half of it. And then the, the, the other half I'm going to hold and see what happens. So at the very least, uh, I have about $2 million out of this whole thing. And I can walk away happy, no matter what occurs. Fine. But make sure you have some kind of exit strategy where you're going to turn this into cash at some point. Because if you're just waiting for, quote, the right time, that's never going to come if you're such a big believer that you always think that the next Bitcoin meteoric rise is around the corner if you just wait it out a bit more. Eventually you will lose. And that is my editorial for this lovely evening, which is now almost 4 a.m. It's a long show. This has been the final show of 2017 of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis. And we will be back next week. Hopefully I will be here when Cal Watt is uh, still awake. We didn't have him tonight. The chat room is pretty much empty. I think just about everybody's bailed out from the chat room. I think the few people there are probably just sleeping in the chat room. We still have some listeners, though uh, the ratings have fallen. I know some of these listeners are ones who have fallen asleep because I noticed when I turn the show off and turn on the streaming reruns instead, there's a certain number of listeners that remain, which they probably wouldn't if they knew an old show was coming back on. Nevertheless, to those of you that hung out all this time, uh, good job. That's <laughs> almost seven hours. Thank you to sponsor Eric Benzamokin. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for co-hosting part of the show. And... I have no plans to change really anything of Poker Fraud Alert Radio in 2018. So if you enjoyed the show this year, then you will enjoy the show next year. Cal Watt uh, should be on as the primary co-host for the foreseeable future. Trader Ruski is always welcome as uh, a host on the show. Brandon, whatever he'd like to join, happy to have him. Maybe we'll have other guest hosts here and there. Basic format of the show is going to remain the same. So, unlike the Total Rewards program, we're not degrading anything in the year 2018. And in fact, we should be here the very first week of 2018. Provided I don't get sick again.
I'd like to thank all the loyal listeners of this show. Honestly, if this show was not listened to, if there was a, a poor listenership, I would give up on it. There is some burden to do a show like this, a time burden, an effort burden, even a burden on my voice to sit and talk for this long. Especially since this is not a profitable venture. The main reason I do this show is because I know people are out there who want to listen and who enjoy listening. And I figure if I enjoy speaking to you and you enjoy listening to me, then it's a positive for everybody. And I think there's enough of you out there to where this is still something I enjoy doing. If there were, you know, 50 people I were talking to, then it, it probably wouldn't be worth it. It'd just be too much effort for too few people. But we've got enough. Got a four-figure listener base. Hopefully one day we'll grow, or grow a little bit. But I'm happy with the ha- listeners we have at the moment. And especially if you enjoy having a long show to keep you company with whatever you're doing, then I'm happy to be here for you. You can text me again at 775-372-8355 at, at any time. Anytime. And I will get back to you. I do enjoy hearing from our listeners, including ones that I've never heard from before. So this has been our sixth year in radio, 2012 through 2017. We will embark on our seventh year. Not seventh full year, but seventh calendar year. Next week. Happy New Year, everybody. Shalom.